Welcome to the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. I'd like to welcome everybody to episode number 20 of the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. Brent and I are back in the, uh, well, we're not in the roving studio, Brent. We're in the permanent studio, which is your basement. Hey, you know, it, it's multifunctional. It, it is, man. It feels good. And, uh, dude, we are, uh, we're back for, back for a lot of arcade talk this, uh, this episode. I'm looking forward to it. We've had, uh, quite a good bit going on and, uh, we got a little bit of pinball talk coming up because there's, I was going to say, now define arcade because yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in an arcade. Are we going to talk change machines this week? What are we doing? No, 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 no. We can't Neon do that. Neon lights. We can't do I know nothing about Black those. lighting. And I know nothing about arcade and pinball, but we've got to talk about that. We should have a whole it's in the name of the show. We should have a host segment on we've already gone off the rails we haven't just we have not started and we're already off the rails because yeah. i'm thinking we need to have segment on uh lighting and carpeting and uh, uh decorations and well dude if we cover it like we covered the ratchet straps oh, it'll be it, everywhere it, it'll, it'll be everywhere it'll be all over the place man i don't think we could do justice to I tell you what, I still like the ratchet strap deal, so it was good. There was a lot to talk about there, but but no, we want to thank everybody for listening, and uh, like I say, welcome to show number 20, and we're recording this around the middle of December, so Brent, I'm going to go ahead and open it up and say Merry Christmas to everybody, so uh, we're, we're glad you guys are with us, and if the show, if the release on this is timed right, we ought to get this out. It should be a Christmas like, present. It should be a Christmas present, like right around Christmas Eve, and Brent, I tell you what, if we can... Get the show notes done, everything. I may just go ahead and hold this puppy and then release it on Christmas Eve and then, you know, just say, I, I Merry mean, Christmas to everybody. What, what else is there better to do when you're stuck in a house with family? <laughs> than to listen to us? You know, it, <laughs> man. It makes me think of, you know, it makes me think of Thanksgiving. Uh, every year at Thanksgiving, <laughs> yeah. this is completely related. Why not? Try not to hit the mic, Whitney. Sorry it's, about it's that. It's our first show. Man, dude, it's a podcast fail again. That's all right. Gosh. Every year at Thanksgiving, I would hang Christmas lights. Uh-huh. So this, I mean, it's Christmas. We're yeah. about Christmas. Yeah. And this one really crappy year, it was rainy and drizzly. And mom said, are you sure you want to do that today? We can wait. There's You can do it on the weekend. I was like, no, mom, I am not going to spend the day in the house with all of you crazies. <laughs> and then she... <laughs> she she looked at me as if to say, if I could get on the roof with you, I would be. Yeah, exactly. But anyway. Exactly. So anyway. either either she marked up your Christmas list or she marked <laughs> down your Christmas list. One of the two. So, so Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. So, Brent, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we've got a couple of interviews coming up in this show. And uh, one of the interviews is uh, one that uh, one that we've had kind of in the can for six or seven weeks now, kind of been waiting on the right show to release this, and this is the right show for this interview. So really looking forward to it, everybody. We're going to talk to um, uh, Crafty Mac, and Crafty Mac, uh, for those who uh, have been listening to the past couple of episodes, uh, has released the uh, the much-lauded uh, arcade monitor test pattern generator, and we sit down and we talk to Aaron and uh, kind of go through that. Aaron, uh, Aaron Reed, actually, we talk through the whole genesis behind that project and what he's done to work on it. It's, 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 a, great, it's a great interview. Lots and lots of fun. So then following that up, uh, Whitney and I had the pleasure, yeah. and this relates to the second interview, Whitney sure. and I had the pleasure... Uh, to visit the Stern factory. Yes, thank you, John Trudeau. Thank you. We had a uh, uh, we had 
quite a bit of time to spend on the factory yeah. floor. Dude, the Godfather hooked us up, man. Oh, he yeah. took good care of you us. You know, it answered questions and showed us some really cool things. Yeah. And, you know, if, hey, uh, how's this done? Oh, well, that's back over here. And we'd already been there. So we went back to it and looked. I mean, we, <laughs> John, thanks a lot. Oh, you know, we're going to, we, we, we are going to talk about yeah. our time with John in Chicago uh, on the Stern factory floor. Yeah, and then yeah. that leads into uh, the, the second interview. Yeah, the second interview we have with uh, Mr. Jack Benson. And uh, Jack is a, a very, very young, very young guy. And he works at, he works at Stern and uh, just... A and great, proud of it. And, and very and, proud and of it. He, he was is, a great interview. Yeah, he is proud and happy yeah, to and, be... And it, in the job, in our daily lives, I'm yeah. sure there's times when you're like, man, I am just... This is what I do. This is what I'm good at. But I'm over it. Jack, he is just... Ex- oh, he, he's he excited. Has, he has, he has yeah. energy. So, so yeah, I guess you could kind of, you know, look at Jack and, and talk to Jack and then, of course, listen to the interview. And, and Jack comes across as, like, new and excited blood in the pinball industry. And so it's really cool. Uh, Jack is a developer, so he works on game code at Stern, uh, most recently doing some contributions to my, the, the newest code release for Mustang and a few others. And so we were able to catch uh, Jack at Logan Hardware which is we stopped there as part of our trip and uh, Jack sat down with us for a little bit and uh, gave us a really really good and interesting interview so uh, we've got that uh, as well and Brent the one thing that I'm the proudest of on our trip to Chicago we did not get lost the GPS worked the entire time and uh, we used turn by turn from day number one or from uh, mile number one so dude <laughs> it, it worked out well didn't it? it's smooth wasn't it yeah this I think we finally gotten it now. well I'm gonna say that now we're gonna yeah. be completely hosed on the next trip <laughs> <laughs> it worked out great, man. It was it was a fun trip, so yes, we'll talk about that. But yeah, so that's kind of like a, a preview of what we've got going on, uh, you know, for this episode. We've got another contest coming up, Brent. So we've had some uh, we've had some some quote unquote. I'm, I'm using air quotes right now. We've had it some, works great in an audio it, format. It does, it does, because I, I can sit here and do this for as long as I want, and nobody nobody really knows. But it's a uh, we got some merch for this episode brent so we've had we, we need an announcer and whitney's air quoting yeah exactly so we we need a third voice to do the to do the, you know those types of announcements but we've got another contest coming up this month and we'll announce that uh a little bit later on in the show but uh we definitely want to thank uh we want to thank uh, david paul from life under glass for for donating the prizes for this month so if you want to check out da- stuff, if you want to check out david's stuff it's lifeunderglass.net yeah great yeah, he's, he has great some pin, unbelievable designs yeah, great great pinball artwork so really cool stuff so yeah in a nutshell Brent, that's what we've got going on we're going to cover a little bit of you know news in the in the industry and in the hobby this month there's lots of there's lots of drama going on dude and uh in the pinball side and uh, not going to uh speculate on it just going to report what we know but it's it's all interesting nonetheless so so we've talked you know whitney let's let's uh kind of uh, tee this up you yeah. mentioned that we're going to talk a lot of arcade stuff and yeah. we've been pretty hit pinball heavy here we, for a we while have, dude. It's, and it's we've already rolled non-stop. into we've rolled into a lot of pinball things that yeah. we're going to discuss so you know when we get down in the technical uh technical and kind of restoration segment there is a lot of video stuff coming your way yes. as well as some uh, some things uh, on my side of the house that will apply to both yes. so you know hold it uh, hold hold on you yeah. know set tight yeah yeah we, we've got a lot of both so 
Brent, why don't we why don't we go ahead and kind of change up the order on the uh, on the segments, I guess, or what we cover this month? Because I want to make sure that everything kind of kind of blends together proper, and the pinball stuff is where it is is in like side, and the arcade stuff is this in is, like this side. This is kind of like behind the curtain, or like what is it called <laughs> behind the cart curtain, or it's on the it's on something the behind baseball? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't it's, know sports it's, analogies. It's on, it's on the fly, dude. Okay, so, whatever. So why don't why don't we take this time, Brent, and kind of cover what we've been doing over the past month where where we on our pro, uh, where we are on our projects it's easy for me to say and kind of what we've had going on Brent we've had a couple of people even on Twitter that have uh, been tweeting it's like man where's where's the burger time where's oh, Brent on God. the burger time and dude so they're like busting your chops across God. the internet <laughs> so it's kind of oh. tough but uh but yeah man why don't you why don't we take this time and uh, tell us a little bit about what you've had going on the past month well I took it out in the back of the property and I set it a Oh, dude, you, you weren't supposed to do that, man. Well, we need to edit that from the show. That has never happened. You know, th- this month has has just absolutely flown by. Here's a little bit more, uh, you know, behind the behind the curtains, if you will. Whitney. Have you got I, your Christmas shopping done? I have. What? I do. You I, do? I have a couple little minor things to pick up, but man, dude, I 99% am. of it's done. Oh, gosh, dude, I am, I am on the proverbial hind you know whatever oh. so, so I'm, here, I'm, here's I'm some doing, more of the, i'm doing bad here's some more behind the scenes i was telling whitney earlier it's like i feel like i have been a little lax in in some of the stuff for the episode this week and uh, uh maybe i know why <laughs> i've been i've had holiday stuff going on i've been doing yeah. the shopping we've had a couple of events here at the house uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. You know, it's it's a busy time of the year, but we have had arcade things kind of kind of rolling. Yeah. It's always nice to be able to kind of get away from uh, stuff for a bit and come down and work on some stuff. But that's good. Yeah, that's, um, that's, it, it is. It's fun. So as as to the question at hand, the burger time. Yeah. So I'm dubbing this burger time, or how I have learned to hate the Zenith arcade monitor. So has that been like the the bane of the of the project so far, or what? You know, I've looked at, at some stuff online and. I, and if the if there's a listener out there that actually said this, whether it was on Clove or whatever, but one of the one of the bits I've read about the monitor, it was in a thread somewhere, and someone said, "Yeah," and I uh, I even talked him into taking that monitor with them. You know, oh, it was kind wow. of a Seriously. I was happy to get rid of it. And well, hang on, dude. Okay, before you start going going down that tirade, because <laughs> I, I hear a Matsushita type of oh Zenith tirade gosh. coming on here. Where you're gonna like use your hands a lot to talk, but um, so where are you at overall on the burger overall. time? So so let, let's start. You know, if you wheel the burger time in, the burger time's in my shop. Where, where does it sit right now? The burger time's in my shop. Okay. Um, the I've got a replacement harness for it. The harness uh, is in it, but it's been hacked. At some point in time, someone more or less converted over to JAMA and just joined into it where they needed to. Okay. So I've got the transformer assembly. Uh, it's separate. Okay. I need to to remarry the two. All right, and uh, uh, adapt the harness. It's I've got a Bob Roberts harness. So okay. Bob makes awesome harnesses. I yeah, haven't he does. I haven't looked at this one, but my guess is is it's like the others I've used, and that um, uh, there's a sheet in there, and when I open it up, it'll have the pin out with the colors that he he you know there's there's too many color variations. So he if he's going to make a harness and all the harnesses that he makes, mm-hmm. he it just it just stands to reason that you can't do them all to the factory colors yeah so you know i've got to do that i got to figure out how to make those up but so yeah right now it's it's still sans harness uh i haven't 
haven't put the transformer assembly back in it. It's got a monitor frame in it, which is actually one of the Zenith frames. So someone had, whoever had this prior to me, had taken the Zenith, the tube from the original monitor out. There's no tube in it. Okay. And they had taken the the pieces of the chassis off, but they left the frame in it. Okay. So that's still in it. So uh, an overall where I'm at with it is... I'm just trying to get the monitor running. So I had, I had, yeah. when I got this cabinet, I had, uh, <laughs> somebody had, had given me as part of the deal, take these two Zenith monitors. <laughs> and I said, so dude, it's the holiday equivalent oh of my. a fruitcake. Yeah, what exactly. It is. Exactly. Yeah. And I, one of them was originally a burger time cause it has a little burn on it. And then, you know, I think I've said this. So too, it did run at one point. Well, I don't know if that was the monitor out of this game or oh, not. Oh, okay. Because like I said, okay. the, there's a frame that's still hanging in the game. Yeah. Um, and I've kind of asked around, and uh, some of the people that have been in this a lot longer than I have, people that do repair work for a living, you know, I think Edward Lutz even said this to me, more often than not, a Burger Time will have the Zenith in it. So yeah. for whatever reason, when it was made, I don't know, there was a deal with Midway or whatever, they managed to get a stack unlike a pack where it could have anything in it from the factory yeah you know and a lot of games where you'll open the manuals and it'll have two or three monitor manuals in it because it could have several game several monitors in it apparently the zenith was pretty common in a burger time so anyway um you know i need to open my burger time up and see because most every other uh valley game or you know valley slash midway game that i've got it's got a geo7 in it well this monitor is really obvious one of the things that really stands out is the bottom plate of the monitor frame okay it's not a metal plate the sides are metal Uh the bottom's a piece of wood you know something i i will go i will go home over the past over the next week or so i'll yank mine and i'll see what's in i'll, I'll see what's in mine well if it's got one in it yank it out throw it out in the street so, run seriously, over it. so really just get rid of it huh well you know so I, I threw the two monitors on the bench and hey this is timely i pulled out my uh crafty mech test pattern generator and oh, plugged dude, into them dude that's a segue man and it worked i mean but it was but it's early man you should have saved the segue man. well it's <laughs> <laughs> we should have flip flopped this then. Yeah, I know it's all it's all good, dude. So, um, you know, I, I so, test. So, so you got the TPG out. Yeah, and I, I hooked hooked it up to the monitors and yeah. tested them. And you know, one of them uh, um, had a little collapse in it. Okay. One of them worked fairly well with uh-huh. uh, uh, um, just some issues. Had a burn connector on it that I kind of had to jump or out of the power supply section. So uh, what I what I took to doing was. Picking the better of the two, all right, and then starting on a cap kit. And it, as it turns out, there are two flavors of this monitor because the two that I had, Jeez. when I took it's the, frustrating, yeah, man. The, the main PCB and the power supply are two different pieces. Uh-huh. And then who whoever designed the power supply was either a genius or a madman because it's just <laughs> it was one and then the other. It, I think it's like how did you. It's it's like the a monitor equivalent of a transformer. I can't figure out how you balled all this stuff up in a in such a small space, and then it's it's vertically mounted, and the part side faces inward inside this cage like assembly. Okay, and you just about have to. I took it apart to work on it after I unplugged what was about forty seven thousand connectors. Oh, so man. I mean, it's just I. 
I, it's spaghetti. Huh? It's spaghetti. So let me ask you why why would you why would you keep this monitor in the game just for originality's sake or why wouldn't you swap I've questioned in, that? Okay, I was going to say why wouldn't you just swap in a Geo Seven or you know forty nine hundred or something like that? Well, I, I questioned that. And I looked at it and I thought, you know, this can't this can't be that bad. And the more I've dealt with it, there's there's no stuff. There's no real yeah. support for it online. The uh-huh. best, no one has either found or found and scanned a, a manual okay there are schematics out there uh-huh so you know there's a there's a myriad of pots on the board it's kind of like best guess is what they do some of them are somewhat obvious and uh, uh i looked at the i took the Man. chassis that i had that was working yeah and i thought you know i'll go ahead and cap it uh-huh i've got a good tube i don't think that this will be a big deal yeah and it's just and, and honestly, some of it's probably just been I've had lack of time to yeah. devote to it. Yeah. In, in all fairness, yeah. Well, and it's probably the barrier on it's a little higher than it would be some of the other monitors just due to yeah. familiarity. You, know, you look at a Geo Seven man, and it's all it's one board. It's all easy to get to. Yeah. This it kind of makes you wonder. Um, I'd I'd be interested in the history of something like a. Um, a Matsushita, however that's pronounced. Matsushita, I Matsushita. believe. I think that, I don't think I botched that. I think that's yeah. right. Okay. Let's we'll put it this way. I, I didn't put the inflection on the part that would that could, you know, destroy our, you know, our, our G rating or exactly. whatever. Exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd this love thing's to, a piece of Matsushita, yeah. man. <laughs> I would love to look at the genesis of a Hashtag that, bro. <laughs> I think I think there's enough in just the name to blow all the, your character limit on Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Isn't it? Yeah, I, I'd love Dude, to look. That could be a show title. Sings <laughs> a piece of Matsushita. <laughs> <laughs> write that down. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna write that down. So hashtag show. Title. I would I would love to understand the genesis of some of these monitors when you look at like an Electra Home and how elegant it is for what it does okay. and how well it does it versus. The aforementioned Machu Sita. Yeah, I, I can't say that word. Yeah, don't don't worry about it. And dude, uh, and the Zenith monitor, and you know what? Which one? We all understand that at some point in time, these chassis were based on televisions. I mean, like you look at a forty six hundred, and that's probably the closest one that was ever a TV because you can see silk screened on the main board where things are not that would have been portions of the television okay and then jumpers and the like where they just took that chassis and they made it work in this situation <laughs> okay so so this this thing was this thing sounds to me like it was probably closer to being a tv closer to yeah. a tv and then it was just kind of retrofitted in yeah. order to do the minimal it sounds like the minimal amount was done to get it functional yeah. inside for, for its other use yeah and then, yeah. like i said there's two different versions of it so the 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 uh, bottom plate that I wanted to use didn't fit the cleaner chassis parts that I had that I was okay. going to use. And then, yeah. then I realized that I had one in the cabinet that was the style I needed. And it just, so anyway, yeah, I've been kind of just chunking along on the monitor. I've got, uh, all the caps in it. I've kind of got it all cleaned up Yeah, and, uh, uh, it, it's a waiting final assembly. I had to, had to kind of redo some connectors cause the, the chassis that was nicest overall, and most functional overall of the two had a uh, um, a burn connector that I had to kind of work past. Okay. And they, and they don't use standard connectors. So they're standard width, like 156 width connectors, but yeah. they're, they're a different connector than I've ever seen. They've okay. got like a little locking 
little like a tooth on them that goes yeah. down into the board. So are they gr- are they grouped differently? I mean, it, it's you know in numbers of pins together or something like that or what? No, I mean, is it is it, or is it just the the, the locking connector? Just on the it just itself? the connector style okay. is different. Right. The width the width is a standard width, uh-huh. but it's just a different connector than okay. I than I've seen used on other games. So okay. you know the burnt connector, I just I used. A standard Molex replacement. Yeah, okay. So. Okay. So that's where it sets, and I, I I really actually want to get it going. So well, you know, I've had a couple of people uh, contact uh, on Twitter and ask, "Hey, man, is Brent going to re-stencil that cabinet?" So, do what, can you speak to a little bit about your plans for the artwork on the cabinet? Because that that seems to have come up a couple of times where people are they're interested on uh, on whether or not you're you're going to go down the road of re-stenciling that. Oh, I tell you what, in another person that asked me that was a listener friend of the show jeff waldron he contacted me on facebook and he said hey man is is brent going to go down the road with re-stenciling that cabinet? You know, jeff so, has done some really cool have um, you seen some paint of the, work he, lately have you seen some of his pictures i man? have he's done a good job I, I met jeff jeff came in for the the sale that i i just helped a, a good friend of mine with at his his warehouse yep. you know yeah uh, second sale we'd had with him and we were basically clearing out as much equi- equipment as we could and jeff came in picked up some pieces and i saw he he has gone through some paint work on those a going lot of through. bondo work too dude yeah he, he's bonded like three cabinets at one time so bringing some of these old games back to life more and, power to him uh no well to answer that question i do not plan to re-stencil so okay here, my take on things is um i like to get a, a nice example uh-huh. i try to get a solid sound example uh-huh. but um i don't mind a little and let's just go with patina yeah i, I don't mind a little you uh-huh. know we were talking about my pack over here just before the show i have seen cleaner packs and it, it is nice overall it is yeah but it, is. it has I, I i'm not a big pack fan so i'll, I'll be honest with you I'm, I'm not a big pack fan i i but I got it at a good price, and I thought, I know it's a crowd favorite, and I'll get it, and I'll put it in the game room. And it has really grown on me, not just yeah. the game, but the cabinet has just grown on me. And, you know, here, here's the thing. Um, I guess we're, we're going to just go completely off topic here. But I'll it's do our it show. We can do whatever we want. I guess we can. But um, I find that my OCD for game condition – it has lessened over the past couple of years because what I'm after or what I, what I want is a good clean game, not mm-hmm. something all tore up, chewed up and busted up. Okay. But a good clean game. Don't mind putting new artwork on and things like that. But the patina actually kind of over the past year or so has started to grow on me a little bit. And I think, a pack cabinet is the one where I like the patina the most. And a mispack with a lot of patina looks looks grungy to me. Yeah. And I think it's because of the pink the and the blue. Yeah. It's the color. So when when it has patina, it looks it looks horrible. But when a Pac-Man has patina, it actually looks like cool. You know, I, I, I would it, agree with to you. Me, yeah. To me, it actually looks kind of neat, you know. And I think, um, and I've got, a, I've got a pack sitting out in my building right now, and it is in very good shape. It does have a little bit of patina and a little bit of wear on it, but... Dude, I'm not. I'm not going to touch it up at all. It's like I'll throw some new T molding on it and call it call it quits. You know, because it's like, yeah, it actually looks neat, warm. You now, know, it if, looks good. Now, if I've got a cabinet that's really obvious, mm-hmm. yeah. like a um, like a, a lot of your Atari's are good, where they've got that white background, like your pole position yep, and yep. your centipede, and your centipede, or even like a uh, an asteroid. Dig, all... Dig Dug is the same one. Yep, Dig yep. Dug. 
or in asteroids where it's that so much of a black background uh-huh. if those get a nick in them they kind of just like oh look at that they you stand know, out look man. at that beautiful brand new mercedes with that ball peen <laughs> hammer dent right there in the middle of the hood yeah, you know somebody egged it man but they so, egged it with a rock yeah yeah so i'll go through on those and i'll do a little touch up here and there just just to kind of knock a little that edge off yeah the 20 foot view off yeah, of it yeah exactly yeah. but from a from a cosmetic perspective i try to um, I try to get a nice example, yeah. and where I spend my time is on the functionality. Yeah. I like, yeah. I that's, like that's no, me anymore as well. To me, the interface to the game is well, it's everything. It's to me, it's the monitor and the controls. That's yeah. your interface into the game. Yeah, and so I like a, I like a a, a, f- a nice working good condition good feel joystick buttons whatever the controls are Uh and i i really like and i've had people comment on this as recent as you know we'll talk about this here in a little bit some some had some folks to the house for for the holidays i i really like a nice clean tuned monitor yeah because that's what you're looking at to play the game that's right that's right so and and for me it's also the the control panel overlay i like having a good clean cpo because i have to and i'll i will go the extra mile and replace replace one that's even okay with one that's new because when i walk up to the game i want to feel the 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 you know the crispness of the cpo i want it to be nice and clean no dirt on it nice and vibrant because when i'm when i'm looking at it when i'm gazing over the game the the vibrancy of what's in front of me shapes my opinion of the game See, so that's interesting you say that like mm-hmm. if you look around a couple of my games like look at my tempest over there mm-hmm. the bottom edge of it right where it wraps and goes right underneath toward yeah. the corner door yeah it's split out a little but bit due to all tempest my tempest yeah. is the same way now, the right, top, right now anyway the top where the controls are uh-huh. it's great it looks perfect you yeah. know yeah. and like there's a new there's a new cpo that's on my uh centipede uh-huh and it's, now if it was blown out around the trackball like a lot of them are yeah. i'd replace yeah, it i wouldn't definitely. i wouldn't leave it with a little quote-unquote patina in it yeah now the burger time it's got a little it's starting to crack a little bit at the bend yeah and i'm really on the fence because it's it's fine around the buttons it's around the around the joystick yeah and it's just dirty which i can clean yeah and I, i'm i'm on the fence with it because i the bezel's faded and i uh-huh. do have an aftermarket replacement bezel that i'm going to put in it okay but where did you where did you get the bezel the monitor bezel that was reproduced a couple years ago yeah i just been one, set, yeah i just one of those on up? it yeah Dude, yeah. uh, I I got one of those as well. You're talking about the silkscreen glass yes. ones, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's that's nice because that project was done. I think that was. Um, let's see, let me, let me think. It was Malice ninety five on Clove. I can't remember who did that project and Rich from this old game screened those for him. I, I'm sure I know Rich yeah. did screen them. Rich I couldn't remember. Rich did screen, screen those. But dude, those those came and gone. And I don't think Burger Time has even been discussed since. And no. How long ago was that, Brent? What, oh, I four years? Easily. Four I think years it was ago. right after I moved into the house. I, you know something? I've been sitting I had to on, go back and find it. Mm-hmm, I've been sitting on mine that long as well yep. just f- with my Burger Time just kind of waiting its time because uh, dude, my Burger Time, it's in good shape. But man, I've got so much 
burger time burn on the tube that it's going to have to have a tube swap mm-hmm. and it takes forever to warm up well if it's so. got a zenith in it i can hook you up no no i don't want you to man <laughs> <laughs> you know it's one of those deals well, i've gotten good about th- thanks but no thanks <laughs> i'll swap that no, baby here, out here take this i'll put in your car for you <laughs> dude seriously i'm gonna find is your car unlocked because if you go to the restroom it, later i'm gonna put a tube in it, it. it is man it is no actually i was gonna gift you uh i was gonna gift you that so you know it's it's the christmas present you'll never want oh. to have you know <laughs> oh but, i thought you meant the bezel you're gonna give no, me a no. tube no i can't do that man those bezels are unobtainium so that the bezel's got to stay with me so I, and you've got now, one so do you you're remember doing good. and this speaks to rich yeah we're so off topic, but who cares? It's our show. <laughs> uh, do you remember? Was, Dude, it's all good arcade talk, was man. Was that so. the bezel that had the print error on it? And they had to go back and be redone, yes. And so this, they this were, speaks to Rich and, and, his, and the work. And, and his desire to get it right. right. So, so, yeah. So, at some point, there there was some lettering problems. I think it was a misspelling? It was it was okay. a misspelling, if memory serves me correctly. There were some lettering problems with uh, that portion of the bezel, and uh, Malice95, I think he caught it, if I'm not mistaken, or at least if I remember the threads correctly, he posted about catching it, and then um, and then he and Rich worked it out, and they re- reproduce that mm-hmm. so they took everything that had been done and they rescreened them all again corrected and um that just speaks to you know i guess the the commitment to the quality yep. there so and you know and you know brent that is not a inexpensive endeavor no, to have no, to go no, back no. and quote unquote just the material to the glass lick that calf over yeah, you know exactly so, yeah that's right so uh to bring it all back around but anyway bur- so you got the bezel got the bezel yeah. so i I'm focusing on the cabinets in, is in really good shape. It, it, it's got it nice is. art it, it is on in, it. It is in nice shape, and uh, it will clean up very well. I'm mm-hmm. probably going to run with the factory C, the current CPO, which I assume is the factory CPO. I'm going to put the new bezel in it. I got a the marquee in it is really really nice. Um, and the only thing that I'm lacking right now is the pepper buttons. And I looked, I looked for those. You can get those. Yeah, still. I looked for those about, about a month ago or so when yeah. this when this fiasco first started. <laughs> and uh, uh, there was there was a lot of folks were out of them at the time. There was one shop out there that still had them, and I I presume that you know the supplies picked back. I mean, I'll find them. Well, I mean, here's the thing: I know of two places that you can get those right now. Okay. The, the first is uh, Proc on Clove. That's uh, that's Brian who runs Game Stencils. Com. Okay. He has those. He has those buttons, and then I have also seen. Um, I've also seen them on eBay. Okay, where you can get the pepper buttons and the mustard color. You know, player one, player two buttons. I'm fairly certain I have like a crap ton of those. Yeah, but man, those things are like twenty five bucks on eBay. Oh, you're I mean, kidding? It's, yeah, me. it's big money, and I think. If I'm not mistaken, I think you can also get them from Arcade Shop as well. Okay, I believe so. They're they're attainable. You you can yeah, get them. they're out there. Yeah, like I said, there. I remember I, I I remember finding a lot of folks that had them on their online catalog. But yeah. They were just out of stock at the time. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, they, I've still got a little, little bit of the Pepper logo on them. So, yeah, but dude, if you're going to go to this yeah, length, oh yeah, I mean, you want I, I mean, could those, I, that game's kind of known for those Pepper. I buttons. will you get want them. them. Nice. Worst case, I can run with what I've got until I get a set. You okay, know, so it is. But anyway, that's cool. So there's there's the burger time and uh, you know what I mentioned this so I'll, let me go ahead and hit this I've had a couple gatherings down here in the game room I hosted the family for Thanksgiving this year so all the kiddos in the family and uh, actually this year a lot of the adults you know um, we had a little bit smaller gathering than than usual this year so your whole family came over here to your yeah, house there's, right? there's not a lot of us left yeah you know well dude I've got a small family as well so do you wind up doing any of the cooking 
No, you I don't. provide I provide the home, uh-huh. I provide the space, uh-huh. and uh, uh, and then the boot that kicks them all out. Basically, right? yeah. yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. That's that's how it goes. Yeah, so, understood. Uh, when when I moved here, and then the, you know, kind of got the house together, and uh, just with some changes, you know, I don't want to I don't want to bring the show down, but <laughs> with just some changes in the family yeah. and some some you know some passing on, and yeah. um, you know, it, the the torch was kind of passed to me to since i had the space and and the like and to host for thanksgiving okay so you know the families came over here i think this was our third year of doing it kids come down here they really look forward to it yeah i'm sure i'm sure uncle Bryn is a popular guy when it comes to that so we had we had thanksgiving here and then uh shortly thereafter i have a yearly get together uh around my birthday so Uh this year my birthday was on a sunday and I have my my kind of yearly party yeah. the closest Saturday to my birthday. Yeah. So I had a, a lot of local folks, uh, uh, actually a few folks from a little bit of a distance. You okay. know, what uh, was the family fur- what was the furthest drive that you know of? You know, I'm I'd uh, I'd have to go back and I'd have to take a that, that's an on the spot question. Okay. Whitney. I have right. to take Sorry. a I'd have to take a mental uh, a me- make a mental list of everybody. Oh, that was, was here. Just kinda, that's just always a curiosity point to me. Is like you know who who, who tracks it, who hoofs it the which, furthest? Wichita, Kansas. Yeah. Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> Represent. <laughs> so we had I had my annual I guess birthday bash or whatever you want to call it, and a lot of local collectors and and family and friends and people from work and. Yeah. Uh, 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 a couple people that I've gotten into the hobby and, you know, everyone comes over, you know, food and just has a good time and plays games. Yeah. Dude, so I wish I could have made it, man. I, I thank you for the invite, but this well, is every a, year you tell uh, me that you're, that you have to go to a fundraiser I at do. your daughter's school. I and do. I really need to Google that and see if you're li- you're lying to me. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a, I'm straight up, dude. I'm straight up. No, I, I I thank you for the invite. Like I say, but se- second year in a row, I've not been able well, to. Well, you know it. it is what it is. And I, I had a lot of uh, a lot of folks that that really genu- genuinely wanted to come. Yeah, and they couldn't, and I said, you know, it's a hard month. Yeah, and people have asked, well, why do you have it in December? And, and I said, because I do this, I throw myself a birthday party. And it's funny because I end up working because the game room's got to be together. Yeah. Usually there's a new piece that or two that comes into the game room. This year, um, actually, I'll talk about one of them here in a second. Yeah. And one of them I've talked about before, this Kung Fu Master that I've kind of been kicking around a little bit. I added it into the game room Dude, temporarily. Dude, we got to talk about Kung Fu Master for a few minutes when that time comes. So I've got, I've got some burning questions on Kung Fu Master. Well, I mean, oh, yeah, well, when I hit to the other game, we'll talk about yeah, okay. it. So, uh then you know, then I kind of do all the organization. The past couple of years, I have when, when I turned forty, uh, some friends did it for me, and then I picked up the reins after that. So you know, <laughs> it's, now, was the, was that because you appreciated their effort, or was that because it was a disaster? And it's like, I, I, if I got to get this done right, <laughs> the, I got to do, do it myself. Yeah, no, so which one was I think it? The, I think they they said, okay, you're having a bit, you're having a big one. It's an even <laughs> number, so we're we're gonna have a party, and you just you just wake up that morning, and you know they not only I, I handed them a list of people, and uh-huh. they t- they took care of all the invitations, That's and they cool. they mediated all the people, they took care of the food. I just woke up. Uh huh. Took a shower uh, and, was and there. hung out. Yeah, and then and then after then all the years subsequent that I've had to work my tail off. Yeah, so, f- fair enough, fair enough. And, but I have a good time. I, I enjoy watching the games being played. I barely get yeah. to play a game just talking with folks, but yeah. everybody comes down and they love it. That so, is that is the fun part. You're right. Had that going on. Um, uh, I know we talked in the past a little bit about having the sale 
the, from my buddy we talked about a little earlier uh-huh. there's a retired operator so i've had a couple buddies that from work that and just kind of just in general one gentleman from work in particular that had picked up some pieces as part of that and that has launched his way into the hobby so seriously yeah, really? yeah seriously so so just within the past four months yes he, yes somebody has actually gone full bore into the hobby yeah. so really. the little bit of time this month i've spent kind of handing you know handing off some of that arcade knowledge and giving some assistance and yeah you know he he had taken pontification a, with a purpose exactly twenty dollar word pontification right there one of the things he had done is he had taken this i mean <laughs> clapped out cabinet okay and it had it was a. Uh, it was an Atari like centipede style cabinet. I'm yeah. not sure. Oh no, it was a it was a centipede that the profile of a centipede, but it was a kangaroo cabinet. All right, and it had probably been converted. I don't know how many times. Uh, and Man, dude, what what is it with kangaroos? That, that, I that like that kangaroos. Happens? I don't Seriously. know. I mean, let's pull that apart for just a second because. I think the color scheme on kangaroo is very hard to look at. It's there's it's you're just talking about many, the game or the art. It, no, no, no the, car, the, the, the cabinet game, art. The game. The cabinet art is beautiful. It's a beautiful cabinet, man. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's you know a lovely cabinet, but the the color palette on the game itself is so it's too many earth tones and pink and green. It looks almost kind of like a it looks like a tulip exploded or something. <laughs> but but the gameplay is actually pretty decent. I mean, it's not a bad game. Yeah, I all. Always, I like the game. What I didn't like about the game, and I've heard this from other people, is that um, it it just needed a little bit more polish because uh-huh. there's some places in it where it's just like uh, like a it's just it's, it's just off it's blocky and weird yeah. It, it, the, the game flows, but then it seems like some of the mechanics on moving rough. the kangaroo are a little rough and. It seems like the game doesn't really respond exactly the way that yep, you want it to, to because it. I, your avatar is so big. You know, she, she, you know, Mama Kangaroo, Mama Kang is just so big. It's really kind of tough to do those really intricate moves like you can do with Mario on mm-hmm. Donkey Kong. I mean, I mean, dude, you can be running in one direction on Donkey Kong, and if you master slapping the button and hitting the joystick, Mario won't even change directions, but he will be moving forward and then he'll jump backwards yeah i i don't see you ever being able to no, do that on kangaroo kangaroo's not that smooth the, the finesse and the smoothness is just it, not even there. some of the even in some situations when you um uh like when you're punching like an apple or something yeah. like the monkeys will throw an apple and you can box the apple yeah, yeah. there's there's some situations there or like I'm, gosh it's been for years since i played it can you actually you can hit a monkey too you can box a monkey I think so. It's when, been when a they long come to get time you. since I've played it too, man. Well, there's some situations where when you're in that motion, uh-huh. it's just the animation, just the movement of the sprite yeah, isn't it, fluid. It just, it's not and fluid it, at all. And it just, it almost like blocky hit. It's like well, almost like sudden, TV flicker or something, Yeah, exactly. Man. Yeah, there you exactly. go. That's a good way to 2600 it. flicker where you would get too many sprites on yep. the screen at once and then it would have a hard time drawing them all properly. That's what comes to mind with Kangaroo. It's like fantastic game and i think the game i think the core gameplay is there it's just plagued by the lack of attention to detail we keep threatening to to get jimmy on the air jimmy's the gentleman that owned the the uh, owns the where the warehouse Man, dude, he's a retired gotta, operator we gotta do that this year uh, and J- I, no, no i'm sorry whoa next year yeah. we got to do that in 2015 uh, jimmy's daughter christy is the one that does our voiceover work yeah. and she was with us at little arcade expo last year yeah. and hopefully it'll be should be this year too that's cool um 
we'll have to ask him how kangaroo earned. Man, dude. You know, the funny you, thing you is. You know what Jimmy's going to say. Kangaroo what? Kangaroo. No. You'd be surprised what he remembers. Oh, yeah. Just in, just in the Even time that I've talked to him. all the volume. Yeah. All the games. He's a wealth of knowledge, man. Um. I don't know if you've heard him talk, him talk, talk another another Atari game with the butyl cabinet is Crystal Castle. Uh-huh. Crystal Castle did not make any money. Well, and I I attribute that, that to he the said fact, if, he said if they needed to convert something, the first thing they did is they said let's find a Crystal Castle and they convert it. And you know that's kind of sad because the game itself is a solid game, but my take on it is the reason that it well I I don't like I say this is just my take, but. The game ends, you know, and you can do a speed run through it and knock it out. I mean, you can see videos on YouTube where... Are you talking Marble Madness? Huh? Well, in Kangaroo... Uh, I'm, Crystal I'm Castle? Crystal Castles, yeah. I mean, it has... Oh, well, I didn't it, know it Crystal has, Castle had an end it to it. It has a finite end to it, yeah. I did not realize yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I've even seen, like, speed run videos and stuff like well, that. Well, I have to go look so, for that. Yeah. I, I would... My my feeling is... I never got to the end of it. I, I had a converted one here for a while. And it was converted from, um, actually, I think it was a kangaroo. It was a kangaroo with a conversion kit in it from Atari. And I, I, I think what, in my opinion, is is that how everything was kind of offset at, at an angle. And I can't think of the word that's used for that. And there's people out there screaming right now. But kind of like on that Zaxxon kind it, of it's a, a... It's a 3D isometric. I, there you it, go. There, there you go. So you're like 45 I'm degrees off. want to say that $20 word for next month man you are just racking them up <laughs> well when you gotta hunt them down man that's, i'm going that's just what you got. i'm going simple this way. i'm just yeah. i'm just happy to get words yeah, out no it, it is it's 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 like an isometric it's, you go. It, it's 2d but it's rotated on an axis and that's then the word you I was get some for. shading and that, that's what it is okay yeah and, and i in my opinion that's what that's what made it a difficult game for a, the younger crowd to play i couldn't i was terrible at zaxxon when i was younger i couldn't figure it out yeah. Uh, I was having a hard a hard time dealing with that that little slant of reality that I was that I was looking at, and you know I, I when I got the Crystal Castles I was pretty excited about it because I I vaguely remembered it I, I don't recall really playing it I really liked the look of it the game itself yeah. but once I got the game back up and running and I I had to try to like the game yeah well dude here let's let's take a look at this I just looked this up on Wikipedia it says oh Crystal- so it's got to be true then. yeah so well we're gonna we're gonna lend what credibility uh, we have there uh, to Wikipedia so. Crystal Castles has nine levels with four castles each and a tenth level which features a single castle, the clearing of which ends the game. Each of the 37 trimetric projected, <laughs> trimetric projected <laughs> castles. You got, you got to take $10 back. <laughs> that's 10 bucks back. We need a cha-ching sound like a cash register sound, dude. Um, consists of a maze of hallways filled with gems and bonus objects, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it goes on. I didn't but, realize it ended. Yeah, but uh, dude, Mark Alpiger, who lives here in Louisville. Oh, yeah. I've seen I've seen videos of him doing speed runs on it. He's playing it with his feet. Well, here's the here's he's doing the trackball with his foot, dude, and he just wails his way through that game, and then it's over. And I guess my take on it is is that uh, it should have it should have kept going with increasing difficulty. And I think you mentioned Marble Madness. That's one of the downfalls I think of Marble Madness is that everybody loved that game. I love Marble Madness, but dude. Once you, it but has, once it's done, it's done. Yeah, and it, it's not, it doesn't, just from the numbers that you had read there, it doesn't have near the depth. No, no. Marble Madness has nowhere near the depth. But, dude, you and I played it in Chicago at Logan's, yep. and we had a ball with yep. it, man. It, it's fun, but there's just not enough of it. Does, I don't see it having stay, uh, Marble Madness having a 
staying power. Now, no. now Crystal Castle is good for me, but if, is, if I enjoyed a, the game, because game. I don't I, know, I like it. I'm not that good. I don't think I could get to the end of it. Yeah. Uh, I say that now I may be able to, but it would take me a lot longer than it would like a marble madness just yeah. because there's more there. Yeah, exactly. And if you think, if you think about it, it, it's, you get into that situation, I guess, where if you're defining a unique castle per level, as opposed to using a smaller number of castles and then writing something into the the programming to increase difficulty like uh-huh. like say on a donkey kong where you got a rotating you got the same levels yeah they rotate yeah but the difficulty changes it's, ratch- it's ratcheted right up. because yeah. you can affect all the other variables and there's there's some randomness there too i mean don- there's randomness in donkey kong that right. is just yeah. the core of the game but in a case of like a crystal castles or marble madness you are defining the play field per level uh-huh um, and you're you're not you're not changing the difficulty just through just through the 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 monsters or yeah. the barrels or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, and with Crystal Castles, the 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 gameplay is what the gameplay is. I mean, much like Pac Man, you, know, you can only you can only increase difficulty a certain way, and mm-hmm. and you still you still have to collect all the gems, yep. man. So it's just kind of what it is. But so it is, anyway, it's a pretty game though. It's a beautiful game. So anyway, so man, he we, says, we he have, says they convert them. We have just completely gone. It's we're all, so far off the rails. It's all good, dude. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I've been giving some advice to um, some some folks, and one in particular, a buddy of mine from work, who has who has just jumped in kind of with both feet. He took this game that had came out of the the warehouse that had been converted and converted and converted. But it and, was a Crystal Castles to start. No, this with? one was oh. a Kangaroo. Oh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah. my bad. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, and uh, uh, he he has gone through and. And completely redid the cabinet. I mean, it was his first run at actually having to do Bondo repair. Oh, wow. And paint work. And, I mean, he even uh, broke the coin door down. It, he ended up doing a multi-game in it. He did your classic 60 and one okay. in it. Okay. And do you, know, uh, do you know what he did with the coin door? Uh, did he sand it or blast it? Or I don't what know. Did he do? I've just seen pictures of it. I, 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 okay. I can ask him. I, I'm just kind of curious. As, I'm kind of curious as to how someone new uh, in the would hobby go at it. Good point. Would, would approach that. What their thought process would be. It's like, man, I've got this flat piece of metal that has a lot of dimples in it and hinges. How the heck am I going to get all the paint off of this? Yeah, I'm just kind of curious point. as to how you might have solved that. No, I have to ask you. Yeah, him. yeah. It would be it would be an interesting point to revisit because it seems like every time that I look at coin doors, I, I feel like the way that I did it last time was not good enough. So I feel like I have to do it a little Different approach different, uh, differently the next time around so so just, this, just curious i've already seen pictures of his uh the kids and the family playing it he's got uh, two good, young boys good for them, man. so they're already you know they're Enjoying already taken it. to it yeah uh he, he picked up a a miss pack so i've been kind of helping him with that it's got okay. some classic miss pack issues so yeah. you know edge connector and rotted pins on some ICs and you know yeah. some some proms so yeah because uh, they working, generally weren't treated well yeah, either. Yeah. I'm working working through that with him. And man, there's we got another got some more hobbyists out yeah, there. Yeah, no, that's that's great, man. That's great. And then the preserving f- the history. Then the that's final cool. thing, cinematronics, man. I have become Ooh. flush with cinematronics stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I already already had already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I now I can't say it. It's like fire apart. I can't <laughs> say it. You're trying to say it and that's the reason why you oh, can't say it. My eyes are bleeding. Yeah. So just just lean back in your chair uh, and then restart the sentence and it'll flow right out. I there. already had yeah. a Star Castle. Okay. I've had it out in the building for a while. Do you like that game? I really like it. I do too, man. I dig that game. I really it, it's, it's like it. It's like all the good things of Yars Revenge on the 2600, 
but but vector and smooth exactly. and just just cool yep. you know yeah no, i really like that i game. do i love that game so i had uh i've got the star castle all right and is uh, it in good shape it, the cabinet I, is in good shape i don't yes. think i've seen it uh, yeah it could it, use side art dude what is it with the cinematronic cabinets where they're just they're just eight all to just they're just eight they are, pieces man they are you like the Rockola cabinets. Dude. This is where I need somebody that really knows the difference. So you you know plywood, yeah, you know, you've, which is somewhat substantial plies uh-huh. that are you know basically bonded together with glue, and usually the 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 grain of the ply they turn them like ninety degrees, and yep. so it's it's relatively stout, uh-huh. yeah, and, then, and relatively waterproof as right, well. Exactly. Yes. Then you've got your particle board, which is like what your typical Atari cabinets are made out of, yes. which is literal particles that are bonded together yeah okay and like, like sawdust yes. right yeah so what is that type of wood that is basically like l- barely laminated sheets of paper it uh i consider it to be like melamine something like a melamine but the cinematronics cabinets are not even that tough you know that it yeah I, mine my i've got a star castle sitting out in my building mm-hmm. and it it works 100 percent. okay the 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 monitor is very dim so it needs to be serviced but you plug it up and it will play the only reason why i haven't brought it in my house is because the thing is dirty beyond compare and the bottom of the cabinet is it looks like it had been run through a trash compactor oh wow and, and i don't understand and i guess there's a reason for my question to I don't understand what it is about the cinematronics cabinets where they just don't survive. They just well, don't does, survive well. Does your, uh, and I haven't tipped mine up. Does, yeah. The well, bottom's about ready to fall out Did it have leg levelers on it? No. Uh-uh. See, that's the... Uh, uh, I ha- It's been a long time since I tipped the, the uh, Star Castle I've got now back <laughs> yeah. to see if it does. The bottom stuck to the, to but the floor. The... Uh, it, it, what I have done here is I've been able from a local collector. He had a complete, a, a working one with a cab that had had a lot of repair work done on it. Okay, uh, like I mean, what Bondo water like, water damage? Like repair two or what? two corners, like a corner on like if memory serves, it's on the right side in the corner, like the bottom edge of where the where the profile of the cabinet comes out for the control panel uh-huh. it had been significantly damaged so it had been okay. repaired okay. with yeah. a piece that's probably four inches you know from that from the from the edge down yeah, but, into the body like a triangular type shape yeah but that if memory serves me correct i mean you've got some beveled edges right there where the control panel comes out yeah so, i mean it'd been so cut to match just, oh it'd been yeah, cut to match it's like okay. there was it was if you ever seen a game that had just been mistreated and like when it was zipped around someone moving it and like the the little protrusion around the control yeah. panel gets caught and it just shatters just yeah. just just, just flex it right off splinters and everything do my mappy is that yes, way exactly my well, it looked like this had happened to this game yeah and then the lower front corner if you imagine that triangle from where the bottom comes up uh to the to the kick panel take like a triangle take maybe five or six inches back five or six inches up and then cut it at an angle yeah. so you got like a 90 degree triangle yeah that much had been grafted into the lower right corner as well okay. so okay. i don't know whether that had split out same thing had happened it, it had been turned and caught something and flecked off I, okay. I don't know yeah but so it but it's working he'd been holding holding on to it for me for a while and so uh, this month i actually managed to get over 
and uh, and pick it up and bring it oh, home. Oh, cool, cool. So you so, got it. So you got it here now. So, so I have it here. now. You've got two star castles I essentially. Do. Okay. And the first one doesn't work. So my intention is to take both of them, play one off the other, like uh-huh. I did back when I did the battle zones. Yep. And end up with two star castles working. Okay. A nicer one, you know, that will obviously go into my collection. Yeah. And then one that I can move along to somebody wanting a vector game yeah. or some, started, you know, a, a little bit of some, some cinematronics part of their collection yeah. or just you know more of a you know there's we all admit we all know there's levels of quality of of all of these games so that there's a market true. for that all is, of them there's a market for all of them but the main thing is you will have kept a star castle from dying which there's not really a lot of them out there and like i say for the ones that are out there they tend not to be in the greatest of shape no and they so, don't and so it's tough to get a very nice working star castle I'm fortunate though in that I have uh, I have acquired another cabinet to swap mine into, so I can solve oh, cool. I can solve my cabinet and all the arts my, reproduced and all the arts reproduced and so and, and and you can you can get that so that's not that big of a deal. It's more so just getting mine into a decent cabinet to where I can bring it into the house because uh, Brent, you know, I like I say, don't think bad of me, but oh, I I don't really. Oh, want I already to, think bad of you. Nothing fair, you're going to say now okay. is going to add. That. Don't think any worse of me, okay? <laughs> because, dude, I just really don't want to spend uh, the time rehabbing a water-soaked particle board well, cabinet. And that's that goes back to your original question. I, I don't know what you would what you would call that type of wood. I'm sure it's obviously made of scrap material, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it almost looks like paper thin plies. Uh-huh. And when it starts to, when it gets wet and starts to puff up, yeah, it almost looks like the edge of a book that's yeah. gotten wet like yep, you could yep. just thumb through the pages yeah, exactly and it just starts to just i, I it, don't know it does and when you and when you kind of butterfly there's somebody thumb. out there that knows what that's called yeah it, well it, it for for me you know for, i guess i called it what i what i consider it to be but i'm sure there's a there's a, a better and a different name for it but it's almost like when you when you butterfly it with your thumb it permanently damages it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's you cannot put it back no, after you handled it, it. Once it once it has started to kind of separate, uh-huh. and generally it's with moisture. Uh-huh. And, and cubits are like this too. Yes, they are. It's made yes. of that same type of material. Yeah, yeah. Or, or technology to make that piece of wood. You I, know, you know and, and I don't know. It, and it's not like it's not like MDF because MDF is way more compacted. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I don't know. I suppose MDF has got a lot more glue in it to hold it together to create the dent of it and a lot more sawdust you know well usually in mdf the the pieces of of, it's more like flakes Mm -hmm. it's larger yeah yeah it does it's almost like it all it particle boards more like sawdust yeah but it's it's larger pieces of dust for Mm -hmm. like if that makes any sense like looking at an atari cabinet this this stuff is almost like you took tissue paper yeah and laminated a thousand sheets of tissue paper together yeah. i don't know what it's it's, it's just cheap it's man. very it's, cheap it's just very very cheap and, and do the rockola cabinets are a lot oh, like that they? to me as well yeah they just it, it's just very hard to find one in very good condition so yeah. so anyway part two star castles and to add to cinematronics fest okay. i also picked up a very very nice ripoff came so came out of a local town Oh, it did. So, yeah. what, so what's the story on that? So, how how did you find a ripoff in that good of a condition? Because, dude, honestly, it's, you, it's you need, very nice. You need to take a picture of that yeah. and throw it up on the Facebook page because I don't well, think I could, I've ever seen one that's that I nice. Did, I didn't want to do it until the show came out. Oh, fair enough. Okay, that's you that's know, cool. And real yeah. quick, talk. You were talking about um, 
you know, just how do they get in that condition? I asked yeah. about leg levelers. You know, when I tipped this one up to put it in the, in the, I, I could tell it wasn't sitting on the leg levelers and I mm-hmm. thought someone had taken them off. Mm-hmm. And I figured that, and this generally happens, the leg levelers will come off when you start moving the game around, then the bottom will start to open up. Or if there's any moisture anywhere, you're sitting right on it as opposed to being an inch or half inch off of it. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, it becomes a sponge. I laid the game down. There was never leg levelers on the thing. And ah. then looking back at the Starcastle, when I picked the Starcastle up, no leg levelers were ever yeah, on it. See, Actually, that's a problem. if I lay that ripoff over where the cabinet, the, the kick panel and the back and the sides come down, that it's like a it's like it's sitting on a four-sided box, if you will. And then to add a little extra to it, there's two pieces of scrap that were obviously from somewhere else in the cabinet because it's the same material and the same the same coloring, the same black color. Yeah. You know, where they were whatever coats it, whatever vinyl or whatever coats it before it was assembled. There's just two pieces of scrap tacked under there to I guess give it a little rigidity, you know, kind of like a triangular kind of we'll have to I have to tip it over and take a picture of the bottom of it. But Dude, so anyway, just, just don't tip it over on me because I'm looking I, while you've been talking I've, I've been kind of taking in the, you know, the overall profile on that cabinet. That thing is a beast. Yeah, it's good I mean, size. I mean, yeah. it is one and a half times the depth of what I would consider a star castle. To yeah. Be. I yeah. Mean, it's it, good. Wow. Size. That, that is, it's, it's a big cabinet. When uh, we had uh, the, the gentleman I bought it from, he had a, it was in his basement, but it was a walkout basement. The walkout was just to a side yard where there wasn't, he had like a little step, like a little, I mean, maybe three by three concrete pad out there. Okay. So we actually had to wheel it down a hillside <laughs> and yeah, it was, <laughs> It's, how do you how do you do that, Brent? Carefully, very carefully. it was weight yes. was very apparent. Yes, I, yeah, that, yeah. It doesn't look ginger or light at all, man. That dude, that thing swallows the defender that's sitting opposite. Oh yeah, of it's it. good size. I mean, yeah, it's definitely good size. So anyway, I, I guess I didn't realize that you'd wow. asked how okay. I found it. Yeah, how'd you find it? Somewhere, you know, this I I happened to, and I never do this. I happened to be, and this was kind of like the Back to the Future. I happened to be just like on on eBay, and I said. Let me put in in the arcade air section. Let me just do like a radius thing and see what's out there. The Star Castle was out there. I was like, "Huh, look at that!" And it had a. I'm cheap. Let's just go. Let's just just. There's. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm cheap. Okay. And it had a. It had an initial price on. I was like, mm, "I could see doing that. I could see it going for that. It wasn't that bad." In all honesty. And I said, eh, let me put a watch on it. Because, yeah. you know, I looked at it, and if memory serves, it had been relisted. You know, it was, I kind of poked around at it. So not that not that long after, it turned up in a few other online air, uh, online forums, other places with links back to it. And it had been listed a couple times. No one was willing. And I, and I don't know whether it was a Vector thing. It was a Cinematronics thing. A you combination know, of those two. Probably I a think. combination of yeah. those two. Yeah. It was obvious the cabinet looked nice. It was a working game. Um, and I, I, so I ended up contacting the guy. And, you know, actually, I need to reach back out to him. He uh, he actually holds, and, and I'm not going to get into it, just I haven't asked him somewhere to protect his privacy, but it, he had a small game room, small collection. He actually holds a, 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 a Twin Galaxies high score w- world record on oh, one of his titles sweet. so yeah i need to reach back out to him and and you know like i said i don't want to get into who he is just to i haven't asked him yeah yeah no i understand but in the I conversation understand. it came there's up there's an order order of operations to Absolutely. everything and that would be that yeah so 
uh, I go out to his house, and it was in a it was in a local city here, not too far out, uh, away from Louisville. And, okay. Uh, talked to him for a little bit, took a look at the game, and he, he just got into that that where that place we all get to where he'd ran out of space. He had uh-huh. a small area set aside for his game room. And uh, he's very respectful of the family, and you know he didn't want to start spilling stuff over into other areas of the house and all that. So he's like, "Okay, I brought something in. Something has to go. So uh, the the ripoff has to go." And he uh, his daughter didn't want him to sell it because if you ever have an opportunity to play ripoff, and the way the game works is is there's there there supposed to be fuel cells that start in the middle of the game, and how many depends on how the game's set up. And if you're a, uh, a playing it by yourself, you've got a tank. And it's not a life-limited game or a time-limited game. You play until the enemies, represented by three smaller vehicles, and the speed varies as you get farther into the game, you play until all of, uh, uh, as long as you've got little fuel cells. Uh When they all get ripped off, quote-unquote, then the game is over. Okay. So you can even, you can shoot, and a, a, a technique to to continue the game is just to run right into one of the enemies when you blow the enemy up if they're towing one of your fuel cells they drop it where it's at so if you can you can t-bone them it takes you out and them out and then you'll regenerate like a half a second later back at your starting point and then you're on again and you keep going as long as you've got a fuel cell okay so the fun part of the game is when you play it two player Uh one player is okay but when i had folks over here for thanksgiving and for my birthday Two player is where it's at. Is buddy. where it's at. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's, it's awesome. like Gauntlet, man. That's that's it, it was. It's best played that way. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. got it's it's like Star Castle. Star Castle's got that deep sound, kind of like an like asteroids. It's got oh, that yeah. deep kind of grumble, rumble yeah. to it. Yeah, and a Star Castle's that way. Like when the when the little guy, you're the thing you're trying to destroy that's in the middle of the uh-huh. castle. When he yeah. fires, it's got that ooh, uh-huh. that that just all encompassing real deep that base just, yeah yeah, yeah. This, that's how ripoff is when yeah, you're playing cool. okay. so it's 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 i'm really happy to have it well let me ask you so of all the games to go after what drew you to ripoff was it because it was the cinematronics was it because it was a condition or did you have an affinity towards that i never game? played the game i knew i knew about the game okay. i knew that it was um a pretty popular game for cinematronics uh-huh I don't ever remember seeing one back in the day. <laughs> Me neither, dude. I I would consider it, um, and it's not like any cinematronics is common. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. But I would I would say that that's I played probably, Starcastle back in the day. I do not never played cinema. Yeah. Never played. Excuse me. Rip off. You know, I only saw Starcastle in an arcade uh, in one arcade that I can remember, and that was the only cinematronics game I ever saw on location anywhere. Never saw Armor Attack. Never saw Rip Off. You know, none. Uh, I never saw it. I may I do vaguely remember Armor Attack, maybe at a at a Malibu Grand Prix, which I don't know how how far spread across the country those were. Mm-hmm. We had a Malibu Grand Prix here in Louisville. They were a, a, a like a I hesitate to see your first, but they were a, they were like a go kart track, a big go kart track. Uh, with an attached game room. Yeah, okay. So you went okay. in, you got like a driver's license, and you yeah. got to go out and run the track, and they had a huge game room. Yeah, so. okay, cool, cool. But so yeah, Cinematronics Fest, man. Yeah. I, I'm I am a flush with Cinematronics games at the moment, so, so to speak. So with the Star Castle, real quick, I'm just kind of curious. So, so you said that you're going to take two and make two, and mm-hmm. then and then go ahead and probably move one on down the line. Yeah. Okay. I, 
what, what's the what's the condition of you know of, of both of them? Are they going to require a lot of work, or do both of them plug and play right now, or what? The the one that I have picked up this month works. Okay, and it's got a little sound issue, and honestly, it, I think the speaker's just blown out. Oh, okay, it. you know, okay. I think the speaker's just done. Yeah, uh, the sound works. It's just it's just really really scratchy, which is to me, I mean, ninety nine percent. It's just a speaker. Yeah. Um. The uh, the other is basically a basket case. I mean, it's all oh, there. All the pieces are there. Um, it ju- it just it's just going to need some love. I'm going to start the power supplies. Probably what it is. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah. The power supplies out. in those are. I think there were two two different power supplies for those, and they're just. They're they're just big ungainly beasts is what they look like. I yeah, mean, well, they've they've got cab they've got these big radio caps that are just, oh, they're huge. They're, they're yeah. huge and they're like ratchet strapped together and everything. Or, uh, I'm sorry, you know, like plastic tie wrapped together. Yeah, exactly. And everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, it's it's unlike most any other power RK power supply I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, when I got yeah. the game, I was handed a uh, <laughs> ratchet strap. Ratchet strapped. <laughs> I guess they might as well. Have been. That was a Freudian slip. Yeah, that is a Freudian slip. When I got that, when I got the Star Castle that's out there, I was handed. Um, you know, kind of like in the bottom of a, a lot of Williams games where you have a couple transistors in the power supply section that's just mounted remotely on a heat sink. And I was handed the heat sink for one of the, the little bottle cap transistors that goes in the game. And the connector on the end of it looks like someone had taken a blowtorch to it. Yeah. So uh, right off, it's obviously got uh, a power supply problem. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. You know, down the road you know long term and don't hold me to this because then we'll be tweeted about how am i doing um <laughs> well brent you got you got to look at it man Pe- people are interested and that's good we'll talk a little bit about <laughs> like little arcade expo here at the, toward the end of the show yeah uh after the burger time is done and I'm, i've got a couple things in mind to to clear out a little space and be able to take some some nice pieces to expo and you know Let's be honest. I'll put a for sale sign on them because there's a good opportunity. We get a lot of collectors in, a lot of a lot of new people in the hobby, and uh, hopefully one of them will be one of the two star castles. That's like, cool. You know, move it along. Get it in the hands of another collector, another yeah. enthusiast, maybe a new enthusiast. Yeah, make some space. So yeah, bring definitely. Back to life. I mean, it's kind of a tough star castle to me. is kind of a tough game to own because because it is cinematronics, and you definitely have to. I think has some dedication to those titles in order to own them long term. But there's, I mean, amongst the collector community, there's, I mean, it's definitely a desirable game. There's no doubt about it. So, so yeah. Well, uh, so I've rambled on for almost an hour, and we got any, we need to touch on your updates. But behind the ripoff, yeah, is Kung Fu Master. Yes. So now you're gonna ask me about Kung Fu Master. So here's the deal with Kung Fu Master. Kung Fu Master. Yeah. Yeah. Kung Fu Master. So, dude. Um, Kung Fu Master is one of those games that I've had a latent desire to get, okay? So I would say it and Bump and Jump are two games that I would just love to have. Bump and Jump doesn't surprise me. Kung Fu Master surprises me. Yeah, yeah. Not that there's anything, not that there's anything wrong with Kung no, Fu no, Master. Kung Fu Master is a great game, yeah. man. But um, Bump and Jump and some of the games that I know that you like, I would put back in that real, arc, in the golden age of the arcade era yeah, yeah. whereas kung fu master i kind of look at on the fringes it, it's, of that. it's on the fr- like tarnished gold it, it, yeah it is it is well and it's day to east gold on top of that too so you know um it just kind of curious where did you get that and they don't tend to to cost a lot of money kung fu masters tend to be pretty you know, hey i'm gonna be pretty cheap i may eventually are you buttering me up no 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 i'm not buttering you up at all <laughs> 
<laughs> but well, maybe I am. I don't know. But I, I guess time will tell on that. But so, but I'm just kind of curious. Where where did you get yours? And and you know, is it this it, that game? Is it a two player, or one player, or it's I, a one I'm, player? They're I, one player. Now, fair you, enough. Two fl- two player. Are you thinking um, Karate Champ? You know something, dude? That's what I am. I'm You're thinking Karate, karate Champ. Champ. I am completely sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking Karate Champ. Okay. All right. Well, okay. Then I'm definitely not better. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. We can skip that. Anyway, Leighton Desire and yeah. Karate Champ. I'll find a Karate Champ. That's it. Thank you. Okay. Move along. I'm Nothing scr- to see here. I'm scratching my eyes. You know why? <laughs> you know why? Oh, yeah. Because when you walk out my building to look at that Star Castle. Yeah. There's a karate champ out oh, there. Oh, it's a really awesome dude. Yeah, it's it's the karate it's the there's karate, karate champ. Cha- there's a big fist on the marquee and everything. Yep. There's yeah, a karate that's, champ out. Yeah, that's, uh, that's out that's in the middle I'm, of all my all my crud out in the building. Yep. So karate champ and bump and jump are the two that are the two that I've got a pretty yeah. late Kung desire Fu Masters, to get. Kung Fu Masters are a pretty cool game. I mean, it's I've played it. Uh, it's obviously since I've had it, yeah. and uh, I. It's difficult. I mean, you have to really focus. You can't autopilot this game. Okay, so yeah. I, I've obviously confused the two. So I need to play Kung Fu Master because I have no, I have no mental image of that game at all. Okay, None. all right, well, we can play it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to do that, and then we can cur- then we can curse it a little rip off. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Sounds good. All right, so Whitney, tell me about Zookeeper. Zookeeper. Yes, dude. I have been working on the zookeeper this month. Well, thank gosh, because I've had people just texting me and Twittering me and Facebooking me. And what's Whitney doing with that what's zookeeper? What's Whitney doing with the zookeeper, man? You've been Twittered. I've been Twittered. Yeah. And it's, it's about your zookeeper. It's weird, dude. It's a weird thing, especially about a zookeeper. It's it's odd. Um no, dude, the zookeeper. Uh, there's, there's no, there's no hiding it. That is definitely, uh, you know, quote unquote, a grail game of mine. And uh, Sabrina, I've, I've just really kind of been, you know, on arcade cloud heaven, I guess, you know, since getting the game, having it, and uh, and starting to work on it. So, so here's the thing. Uh, I have. I have started on it, but it has taken me longer to get, I think, kind of spun up on the Zookeeper because I have been finishing up a game that I've been working on as uh, as essentially trade bait, okay, that I had started working on several months back and just kind of building out and, uh, and you know, putting it in for trade. And uh, I've got that game finished. I've got it wrapped in plastic and everything like that. So it's kind of been a skunk works project that I've been working on. And I've just, and I've just like finished it within the past week or so. Okay. And so I've got in my, in my workroom, in my basement. Okay. Kind of like where my office is, I guess, mm-hmm. like where my computer is, my solder station and all that. I, I've got an area that, you know, I, I guess you can kind of like coin the service area and I can wheel a game into that room and I've got enough got room a workshop. there. It's a workshop yeah. in my basement, and it's it's essentially where the the HVAC is and all that kind of stuff, the water heater and all that. But you know, I've I've gone through and you know installed lights and epoxied the floor. So I mean, it's a really nice work area, and I've got enough room there where I can completely tear down a game. Okay, but I don't have enough room for like more than two like when i did the project flip-flop i it was pretty much all i could do to work on those two games kind of side by side because i've got a bit you know workbench on on one side of the games and i've got like storage shelves on the other mm-hmm. so that it, sounds a lot like my shop yeah yeah i mean i can work on two cramped but i can work on one really good yeah you know so mm-hmm. so i had to move the the skunk works game and it, it, dude it's a donkey kong so i'd i'd 
piece together. I wasn't going to ask. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, dude, there's, it's nothing to hide, you know, so it's, <laughs> it's just one of those things. But I'd had, you know, I'd, I'd procured um, an, an old Donkey Kong. Well, they're all old, I guess. But I procured a very dirty Donkey Kong uh, sometime back. And I was just going through the process of getting it clean, getting it put back together and everything like that. And uh, using using it to trade for some stuff later on down the line. So got the Donkey Kong finished, got it completely wrapped. And I, I didn't really put it on Facebook or talk about it because it was not going to be a game that stayed anyway. So there, there was really no use to talk about something that was going to move on down the line at some point. So anyway, to make a very long story short, um, I get to Zookeeper. I've now got it in the service area, so to speak, in the workshop, and I have begun the teardown on it. Okay. So I've been taking pictures, and by the time this show releases, hopefully on Christmas Eve, then I will <laughs> Merry have started. Merry Christmas, everybody! I will have started a Zookeeper album on our Facebook page. Okay, where I start detailing what's going on with the game. But anyway, so here's here's where I'm at on it. Um, you know, I've I've gotten into the game. I've done the initial assessment on the game, and I have started to take the board the board set out of the game. This zookeeper actually has the um, the original PCB cage cover. Okay, and and Brent, once you oh, see it the picture, I've seen the I've seen it in person. It was yeah. wild when I opened that back door. I mean, I, it's it's wicked wild, you know, isn't it? You're so used to seeing games that operators had just worked on over the years. And the first thing that goes is anything like that that's in the way, you know, uh, do you take it off and you're not going to put it back on? No, you know, no, it was no. just, it was really kind of cool. It was because what it does is it, is, is it shows you how Tato uh, released their games, you know, how they engineered and released their games because the zookeeper is completely unmolested. There is nothing that's not original about the zookeeper. And that's, I guess, one of the things that continues to kind of kind of blow me away to this day is that it's not hacked it's not been uh revi- it's not been worked over before getting to me i mean this thing is as original as original can be so getting the <laughs> getting the pcb cage cover cage off of this thing has been a task in and of itself because um Brent, and I, Brent's giving me the oh, yeah this is weird Brent's like, giving me the the, the really weird did they like, make it difficult like, to- like, like what what's up with that uh, dude the only thing that I can think of is that over time the, the game may have been stored in an area where it was hot or where it was warm because dude the wiring harnesses going onto the PCB are so brittle okay so i have had to use extreme caution and just a very gingerly touch in taking everything apart and taking everything off because what i have found and brent you i mean you saw it you played it it worked perfectly Mm -hmm. when i got it it will not work now after me touching it i know that for a fact yes because everything is that brittle so so you're gonna have to re or you have to to repin i want to repin them i'm gonna have to put new connectors and repin everything okay on the harnesses so are are the wires breaking like at the connector they are yes so i've already already had a couple snap with just me trying to get just trying to get the connector off so if you go back an inch or so do you still have do you have good viable wire i do i do i have to work my way back probably six inches or so oh wow yeah dude they are that hard and that brittle at the at the connector end on on the harness oh that's insane it is i wonder how 
I, anyway, I mean, that's it, a dude. Who knows? It's hard to say. All I can figure is it's got it. It had to take some heat. Now, or does, something. is that is that six inches? Is that far enough to get outside of that RF cage? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No, oh, so right far, the edge of the far. RF cage is where it's at. And I wonder, huh. and I wonder if the RF cage like held in heat, or if the just the the ventilation on the cabinet just wasn't well, what it needed to be. I, I I mean I don't know. I remember that cage being. I don't know how you would describe it. D- dense in terms of just it you is. know how there there wasn't there it was it was full of holes. Yeah, but but, but, it, the, but the holes were so small right. in space and, so far apart. In space right. so far apart that I don't think that it was able to whatever air it was almost would, in a solid box. It, it, it was it was it was daggone near a Faraday cage is what you can yeah. almost think about that thing like and. Brent, I don't know if it's just the heat that's been trapped in or whatever, you know, the lack of airflow or whatever, but um, as I've been taking it apart, I have been unwittingly tearing it up as I've been going, okay? So, anyway. I've never done anything like that. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's see. uh, I need a hashtag true that on on that one right there. So, it's it's nothing, it's nothing like fixing something better, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Fixing something that works or I don't know. Yeah. It's it's like, dude, it's like, there's got to be a Kentucky phrase for that that we should know. I fixed it so good I broke it, you know? (laughs) That's about the size of it right there. But uh, but here, here's the self. You're not going to help me on any of my stuff. <laughs> no, dude, I can't. So, and the reason I can't is because I'm so wrapped around the axle on my own stuff. But so, dude, anyway, you can get it all taken apart, uh, get the cage off of it, and um, I've been talking to uh, local um, local 413 on Clove. So that is a gentleman by the name of Pete. Uh, goes by local 413 on Clove, and Pete has been a huge help to me, Brent, because he's been giving me some some reference material. I guess some kind of words of wisdom on working on a zookeeper, because uh, Pete built his from scratch. Uh, he he was telling me that it's taken him years to get his zookeeper uh, together and working because he essentially built it from parts. Okay. Uh, and they they are that hard to find, and so he's been kind of giving me some advice, you know, as he has had years of experience in working on these, and uh, just giving me some, you know, I, I guess you know some nuggets of information, for lack of a better term, on what I need to do to. And dude, I hate to air quote the word bulletproof, but to get it to the point to where mm-hmm. it is, it is reliable day and, in and day out. You would go ahead and address everything that can the shortcomings. Be a week. I mean, you're a not point. But the game this old. Yeah. You know, I, I had. Yeah, I keep going. You know, you know, which means I'm forking the conversation and stepping back a little bit. <laughs> I I hesitate to use that term myself. Uh-huh. But that's what I, I do. I hate the term really it, because you you can't really bulletproof anything. Right. You it's, can't. It's impossible. But when I, I try my best to do the exact same thing, you know, yes, I, I, yes, I'm yes. very happy. And you know, I've already talked about the events I had at the house. Uh, I'm very happy that I come through those events. You know, people, people here, I'm stepping back again. I'm forking yeah. again. People talk about the events they have on, on, online and they say, well, you know, I only had two games go down. I only yeah. had one game. I knock on wood. I don't have games go down. Well, see, and, because and, I I try to do all of that obvious stuff before front, something goes in the that's game. Exactly right, yeah. right Brandon. So, so so I understand so, where you're going. So so enter so so enter Whitney's world, and that's and, kind and, of and Pete was it helping you Pete out? Pete has yep. been a huge help, Pete. And if you're listening to this man, thank you. So. 
Pete has given me a good laundry list of, of what you need to do to a zookeeper in order to make it reliable, okay, and, and, and to make it work day in and day out. Because Brent, they are plagued uh, with a reputation of flakiness and unreliability. Now, see, this I didn't know. This is oh, information yeah. to me. Yeah, so so zookeeper is not... So a, this this is beyond your normal power supply, monitor. Yeah. Oh, What's it, flaky about... And I knew uh, the batter, it's, battery it's, issues. The, ba- the battery issues, it's the interconnects at the boards. Okay? okay. It's the ribbon cables. It is the coin processor ROM. It is the RAM. And it is the video processor board. Well, okay? I, think, I think you should just do the same thing I did with Burger Town. We'll take it out back and we'll burn it to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> why would you go through all that? You know, I don't, I, I guess it's like, why are we even in the hobby? You know, it's like, I don't know. You know, it's like, why do we punish ourselves like this? I don't know. You know, but, but here's the thing. We should just, we should just collect obscure British cars in the, in the States. You know, <laughs> how difficult is this? It would this? be the same difference, you know? Uh, no, I'm sorry. There would be no difference. Yeah. So that's oh. the better way to say it. Zookeeper is one of the games that you you have to love it in order to own it and to care for it. I think. Okay, so so, so this is Taito's pole position. This is Taito's pole position mm. in a lot of ways. So so with that, Pete's giving me the laundry list. I know what I've got to do in order to in order to address you know all the longevity issues with the game and. So uh, are you just, thinking once you get it running again, are you going to go through and maybe what new RAM, new? Are you going to just freshen I'm, up all these old pieces? I'm going to freshen up all the old pieces. I have to reflow. I'm going to have to reflow all the headers on it, and mm-hmm. I'm probably going to have to replace all the headers on it. And mm-hmm. this gets into, I, I'm not going to usurp something that you're going to talk about, Brent. Uh, but one thing that I did want to kind of, um, I guess, kind of. Uh, branch over towards and we can get into this a little bit when you talk uh, about the corrosion repair here a little bit later on in, in the uh, in this episode but uh, dude I'm going to go through and, and much like what you did on your corrosion repair uh, repair is you know you swapped out the header pins on the battle zone board and you went with the square uh, you're, you're, tri- the, the square trificon yeah. header header pins okay and so you're and, mix I think you're mixing tech segments that there wasn't corrosion repair on the battle zone. That was that, that was, was on a, that pinball board. Yes. Wasn't it? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. 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 You know. You know where I We're was gonna, going. Okay. Yeah. I know so, where you're okay. going. So, so I'm going to gotcha. do this. I'm going to have to do the same thing to the zookeeper. Gotcha. Okay. So. It, it, I'm going to have to reflow everything, but is if I'm going to reflow everything, might as well just, might as well I'm just going to yank them it. out and I'm going to put better in. Especially okay? with, you know, I don't know that the heat so much would affect the the header, but if the header's kind of cheesy, well, like... The, the headers are a known weakness on, on okay. those boards, okay? So, yeah, but I'm with you. you. Yeah. So Pete advised me, man, reflow everything. And I'm like, okay... If I have to go to reflow everything, I'm actually going to yank it and I'm going to put better in, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. and, and then just address that, you know, all at one point. Yeah, thank you. I stand corrected. That was that pinball repair that you did, not the battle and that, zone. And board. actually, we're going to yeah. talk about that a little later. In the yeah. Episode. Okay. Cool. We teased it earlier, but we'll, yeah. we'll get to it here. Yeah. Here because, shortly. like I said, I've got I've got a couple of things that I want to talk about when once we get to that discussion. Okay. So anyway, so got the boards out, got the boards busted apart, and um, you know, into in, in each, you know, I pulled each board apart essentially because there's 
there's there's several boards that make up that make up a zookeeper, a working zookeeper, and I'm just really kind of assessing everything. Uh, a couple things that I did get from Pete though, and has come to find out, Brent, these are almost unobtainium anymore themselves. Is there was a run of replacement ribbon cables done for zookeeper that are color correct and um, you know and, and are you know nice new refreshed and everything like that, and so uh, it, because my ribbon cables are very brittle okay mm-hmm. on on this pcb set to the point where you almost can't even move them they have lost they they have no pliability whatsoever okay mm-hmm. the rubber's hard and brittle and to some extent when you move them you almost wonder are you breaking the are you breaking the wires inside you well, know? i can imagine if, if you actually had the harness wires which yeah. are much yeah. more formidable than just what you've got in a ribbon cable yeah if it, those were that brittle yeah it, the interconnects very, are done. very very brittle so the interconnects are done the thing that amazes me, honestly, is that game even played when we got it out of uh, David Paul's van. Th- that's the thing that Well, that not only did it me. play, but David picked it up, transported it home, put it in his game room for to, for storage for a short period of time. Yeah, several Loaded weeks. it up. Well, he, dude, his kids played it. Yeah. He sent me pictures of his kids playing it, and he was like, dude, I now understand why you wanted Zookeeper. This game is awesome. It's great. And he sent me pictures of his kids, like, standing on their shoulders p- to play the game, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then he drove it all the way here, loaded it up, mm-hmm. and then we unloaded it in my driveway, and it still worked in my driveway. And we powered it up in your driveway. And That's we amazing. Z- and we played Zookeeper in your in Until your you touched it, then it and, broke. And then, of course, once I get it home, I start to work on it and it breaks. So, (laughs) you know, Brent, that's how these things go. (laughs) So um, we take one step back to take two steps forward. So um, I did get a set of the replacement ribbon cables from Pete. And he told me, he's like, man, he goes, this is the last set that I know of anywhere. And so he had a set. He had to go dig them up. But I was able to get a set of those from him. And he also uh, hooked me up with one of the high score save kits. Nobody does me favors like that. Dude, you got to ask around, man. No, I just... You got to hunt the stuff down. I think people know that it, it deep down in my heart i'm just evil <laughs> so i don't know what sound i just made but it was funny and it caused me to make that sound so um that's funny brent no you're not dude i'm seeing <laughs> you put on a good i tell you you cover it well then how about that so dude you're, i, I guess crying. it's like it's like jason Bourne, man anybody walks up to you and you just automatically take an arm off you know what i'm saying so i do i do it you know reflexively the only so. reason the only reason i have you know, my birthday party yearly. It's just so that I can pretend to have friends. Just, just have people over. The first Eddie. step, Brent, is, is acknowledging Admitting. that you had the problem. Yeah. So, so. Welcome to my intervention. <laughs> that, right. That'll, that'll be in the, uh, in the outtakes, man. So, um, <laughs> So so Pete hooked me up with a high score save kit as well, an NVRAM mod for it. I'm so thinking that's a show that. title. Welcome to my intervention. <laughs> we'll use, that's a good one too, man. Welcome to my intervention. Anyway, all right. so, so um, Pete hooked you up. Yeah, Pete hooked me up and Pete, thank you so much. So I've got that so I can address you know, I, I can address the battery issues on it by not having to have a battery. Okay, so I can do all the cleanup. And I don't think that the battery... If Just remote mount me, the battery. Uh, well, I won't have to with high score safe kit because oh, okay, it's okay. all in VRAM. Okay. So, yeah, it uses a Dallas uh, Dallas RAM chip gotcha. on it, and it's done. So no battery necessary. So that's even that much better. Um, and so uh, there's there doesn't appear to be any battery corrosion on that board set. So that's a, a major score, right? you know, right there in and of itself. So, you know, so I, like I say... Well, I'm speaking... Gl- Speaking of the board and the battery, let me ask this. Yeah. Um, I like kicks. All right? Yes. And I've got a nice kicks cabinet. I've okay. got 
uh, I've got everything to build a nice kicks mm-hmm. other than the board set. Okay. Aren't the board sets they are they are almost very, the s- they are almost the same. Okay, so you can, you're you, gonna have interconnect ish cables. I know the any, battery issue. Anything issues. that happens with the zookeeper is going to be an issue on a kicks as well. Okay. okay. So All right, well, that's if you ever that, come across when, I'm sorry, when you come across a good kicks board set, mm-hmm. you will likely have to do these same things okay. to it All as right. well. Well that's okay. uh, that's something to definitely keep in mind. So you know, we can revisit this for you at a later point gotcha. down the line. It's okay? something to, it's it, something to be aware of. Exactly. Okay. Only don't let me work on it because I will break it before I fix it. Well, okay. I'm sure I I'm I do my own. I'm <laughs> yeah. good enough at well well and truly breaking my own stuff. So I don't <laughs> no. I need no assistance. Well, I'm good. See, that's the reason why it was so easy to come up with a with a you know a name for this podcast, dude, because it is broken before <laughs> it works. So so uh, so like I say, got all that taken care of. And dude, um, there is a gown cloth. Okay, his he goes by the handle Space Baby. Okay, and. Um, interesting handle, you know, in and of itself, but he does re, he, he reproduces the bases for Tato and Nintendo games. All right. So he's, um, you know, he's drawn everything up. He cuts the wood. He, he, and he builds the bases. Okay. So the base on Tato games are crap. They're utter crap. Well, you okay? need a bigger speaker. Huh? You need a bigger speaker. That, this much is true. <laughs> I'm so yes, sorry. Yes, I have turned this into like it's all good. Some, some weird morning show in a little town. <laughs> I, know. And, I know. it's If we had more sound effects, people would have stopped listening long ago. So... So he builds bases. So he builds and sells bases. And the thing about it is, Brent, is he addresses all the weak spots on the bases and he puts in, um, you know, he puts in, you know, T-nuts for leg levelers and stuff like that. They're all reinforced. And I've already got pictures of those um, and they'll, they'll they'll be in the photo album. What's nice about it, is that um you know he for like 25 or 27 dollars plus like five bucks shipping he'll oh. send you a base done oh, wow yeah you know and, what and I, dude, I was about to say i was assuming it was gonna be more than that i was thinking like 50 no 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 dude they're no they're they're very inexpensive oh, wow and the, well where and, i was going with that is is you know like to like to support folks like you know What's what's his name? Real name? Do you know his name off the space space baby? Yeah, I don't. Okay, no. In the return address on the package, he put space baby oh, and, that's then he hilarious. Put his, and then he put his address so oh, it's like, okay so it's like space baby he he's he's an enigma man oh, okay. he's just a guy out there you know he's out there building bases but he does good work okay so the so, thing about it is brent i could not build it yeah, for that's, what, that's where for i was what going i could pay him to build it for me and send it to me that's right well not only that i was going the other side i was saying i was thinking it was much more expensive mm-hmm. and and i i was was going to encourage folks to step back and say Let's just say that was $50, okay, okay? which yeah. I would still think is reasonable. A lot of people would look at that and say, I could build that for less than $50. By well, the time you do it with you, by, by the time you factor in your time, no, you can't. Yeah. You go and get all the pieces. You order a handful of T-nuts and you order a handful of leg levelers or whatever's involved in this particular project. You go up and you get the lumber and it, does it come already finished? Is it painted? No, it's not painted. Well, you, still. you can pay extra to paint it, to have him paint it. But I was like, I don't need that. I just need the base because, yeah. 
you know, over the past couple of days, and Brennan's been cold. It takes me an hour just to run up to to the hardware store and get the materials. That's exactly right. Let alone make it. Let alone make it. And so, so he, um, it's nothing. It's not mitered, okay. But so he does butt joints on everything, but he nails everything together. How's the factory base done? Um, the factory base. I'd be surprised if it wasn't just butt jointed. It's butt jointed with metal brackets around the corners. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so you do have to transfer your metal brackets over to his in order to make it look proper but from a structural standpoint it doesn't Dude, need it 25 dollars okay? yeah done yeah and so i'm gonna i'm gonna look this up while while i'm talking i'm gonna look this up and, and find and find the exact price but but nonetheless um i i got two from him because if I ever get another Tato game, I don't want to have to order another one. Mm-hmm. So I thought, why not just buy two, have him lump it into one shipment, and then I just hang on to one for whenever need I need to start, it. We need to start collaborating on this stuff because I got one for you if you need it. Okay, because I'm going to tell you I'm what, I'm not going to steal your spare. No, Brent, that's the kind of guy I am, though. You know, so I got it. He's like that on air. <laughs> He's evil. Yeah, exactly. So... um well, so that's got, awesome. Yeah, so well, I got the base. We've got to find the link and make sure it's in the show notes. Oh, we, you know? we will. We will. So the thing is, my, the base the base on the Zookeeper is just eight up. Dude, it wobbles and everything in the game. It has no leg levelers on it. The thing sits on the base, and that's the reason why most Tato games... So uh, were they factory like that? They yes, just set... Okay. They just sit there on like the base. Like a Nintendo. Yes, like they just Nintendo. sit on the base, and... Um, well, the problem is, is that uh, that base it will wick moisture up into the bottom of the cabinet, and that's where all the water damage on Tato's tend to come from. Okay, so fortunately, my zookeeper doesn't have that water damage, but the base is just ate up. Okay, it like I say, it ricks back and forth and everything like that. So before I can even really begin to work on it in earnest, I have to fix the base because the thing's not even really stable, just sitting just sitting upright. You know, we you know? talked a little bit about that with the Simatronics cabinet. Yeah. And uh, um, you had a, a recent order with Bob Roberts that I glommed onto, and part of that Dude, was uh, I think uh, still hurts. Part of that was leg levelers and some some of the plates that you put because I didn't. I've got some of the I got the T nuts and all that, but I wanted a set of the plates with the threaded hole in them uh, for leg levelers. Okay, those are for the. I'm going to put those under the ripoff. Because oh, the ripoff, yeah. yeah, the ripoff just sits on its bottom. It doesn't yeah. have a base. Yeah, and so you can't really, you know, you can't really expect to move the game around without some leg levers on it and not destroy and not destroy the bottom part of the game so so here's the thing so i thought okay man i'll get his base and i've already got um i've already got him in i got him in this past week no i'm sorry the well week prior and i've already gone ahead and got him primered and i've got one of them painted and it's very cold outside in, in kentucky right now so brent what i do is i bring the bases i keep the bases in overnight keep the paint in overnight Mm -hmm. make sure everything's room temperature and then I run outside real fast. And, and, I've never done that. And then I paint everything. Okay, I've and never then, done that exactly. And so this is this <laughs> he is says a, he says staring at his walk out door exactly, from his basement exactly, which I have walk out as well. And I'm fortunate that way because. I, you walk out of my basement and the deck is on the back of the house, but we've got a bi-level deck. And so, um, with the bottom part, it's covered. And, you know, I, and so when it rains, that part doesn't get wet at all. So dude, I can actually go outside and paint in the rain if I need to. It's, it's a, in it's the a, winter, in the in winter. winter. Yep. It's a great setup, dude. So I put my saw horses up, I put the bases up, I spray them and everything. And then even though I know it's cold outside, it does take a couple extra hours for everything to 
tack up and and to dry. And then as soon as it is, then I just bring it back inside and then let it cure overnight. So it takes me like several days to get a coat of paint on Mm -hmm. to the point where I've got a coat of paint on the bases, but I'm, I'm just about done with them. And and dude, I want to tell you what, they look really, really good. They look good. Awesome. So so I've got the zookeeper in my workroom. I've got it kicked back. Um, I've got the, the original base off the cabinet now, and I'm to the point where I'm about ready to mount the new base on, get the leg levelers on, and then get the thing stood back up proper to where it sits, you know, where it'll sit on its own, right or stand on its own rather. Right now, I've got it on my do- on my kickback dolly, just to the point where I could work on the bottom of the cabinet. Okay, so so, so real quick, does Space Baby make any bases other than? Yes, he does. He does Nintendo bases as okay well. i was gonna say man yeah. i know at one point in time someone was making nintendo bases and it, if i haven't seen that that person that service offered for a while yeah that would be the next thing i would say hey if you're out there listening do nintendo bases <laughs> yeah so he does them in batches and um it takes a little while to get them okay so when you submit your order to him you have to wait for him to do a run okay so he, he he'll put There's you on your the cost list. savings right there that's that bingo that's it and so he, he he does a full batch of them and so you may have to wait a couple of months to get your base but that's okay you just have to you just have to kind of plan for it i was fortunate i kind of caught him on on a cusp of one and uh, submitted my payment and he was able to get it done for me in about three weeks or so and that's okay brent because i had plenty of other stuff to do mm-hmm. it was just like I, i'm just gonna wait on the bases to come in and uh it was it was very uh, it was money money well spent so okay so got the machine kicked back got the base off of it got the boards out of it i'm going to split got the board split apart i'm going to start working on them you know from from a solder perspective and start you know start addressing those the other thing that i have to do on the zookeeper brent is um well the a multitude of, of things i have to do um needs a new cpo the cpo on it is is just uh dirty and crap right now the the joysticks have got to be or the joystick has got to be rebuilt because there's a lot of slop in it but Does it just have a wickle stick in it, it or something? It, it has it has one of the short Wico sticks in it, and I think it's three and a half stick in it, and um, it just needs to be rebuilt. That's just the long mm-hmm. and short of it. So, uh, you know, the buttons are are just extremely dirty. But the the interesting thing about the Zookeeper is the bezel and the marquee are actually in extremely extremely good shape. Okay, there's no flaking on the bottom of the monitor bezel, which is which is where the light bar. Yeah, is. that's the first thing I pointed out. It's like, man, you've got incandescent bulbs behind that. that that's exactly this, this, right. It's not bake the paint and off. And it's not bake the paint off. So, but I'm going to put LEDs back, okay, so so that that solves that problem. And and um, there's incandescent. There's an, Tato's having uh, Tito. I, I don't know. Maybe it's Tito. Maybe I always it's Tato. say Tato. Yeah, I've, I've always heard said both. Tato, okay? But there's no way to say that without getting 50% hate mail. So anyway, so I'm going to stick with the Tato. So... They have got an incandescent light bar, okay, with a bunch of like little incandescent lights. That's the marquee light like on those. Like forty sevens or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. so they're almost like you know coin door lights or pinball lights. Yeah. but there's a bunch of them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's like six or eight of them on that light bar. You know, I've not had the I've not had the marquee out of that Tato cap that I've got. Yeah. So, so if it's if it's like mine, that's I'm the sure way it's it is. A 44 or 47. But then, I know yeah. it's I know that's how they do it because that's what this zookeeper has in, in yeah. its original. Yeah. So. Um, 
so I'm going to replace those with LEDs, okay, mm-hmm. and get that and get that taken care of, and uh, and then at that point, Brent, really, it's more so just a cleanup job, and uh, you know, getting the ca- the outside of the cabinet cleaned. It requires no artwork because the art no artwork retouch because the artwork on it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It has I some agree. nixes and scratches, but that's just the patina just of the game. A little patina, a little patina, but it's not bad enough to the point to where you would destroy what is there, okay? Because it's it's all there, it's good, and it's original. Here's the problem that I've got with the Zookeeper, though is that the the tube I'm going to have to do a tube swap on it okay it's got a 4900 in it right now and um it's the original monitor because the the chassis and the tube okay the the chassis the frame and the tube all have the same serial number sticker on them okay mm-hmm. so I know it's original and it has extreme no I'm not going to say extreme it has moderate to heavy zookeeper burn on the tube okay to the point where when you look at it with it off you can totally make out the play field and and where it says zookeeper in attract mode okay is it bad enough where it it it, uh, when the game is playing like the zookeeper you can still see it even when it's even when those um phosphors are not lit up you can still see the etch on it okay my domino man's like that yeah you know when you play domino man you've got that the 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 wide the the expanse if you will of the there play field of the play field, the yeah. play field is is got a, a, a an underlying color like if you're playing like green. the golf <laughs> a lot of green yeah, yeah like if you're playing the golf course scene yeah. it's all a wash in green yeah with the few characters that move around and your dots for your dominoes yeah and then that's you can see it in contrast where it says domino man from from the attract mode yes and I need to revisit that. Maybe that'll be a later show where I had put that. When I put this game back together, I was I didn't have handy a monitor that was you know, that that board set is finicky. Those those uh, uh, MCR two yes. board sets are finicky. Yes, yes and yes. I was having problems getting. Uh, getting it to sync to another monitor that I happen to have available. At so the you time. just had to punt with what yeah, was there. Yeah, so I had to punt with what was there. Yeah, I think uh, it's a forty nine hundred that's in it. Is, okay, gotcha. So it seems like most of the MCR games I see, like Trons and all those. My Tron you know, has a forty nine hundred. Forty nine in, in it. Yeah, and um, I was going to say my uh, Super Pack has a forty nine hundred in it as well. Yes, it does. So, so anyway, yeah, I yeah. know what you... So it's bad enough where when you're playing the game, it stands it's distra- out. It's distracting, yeah. okay? But here's the thing. I don't, I'm not going to get rid of that tube because it's it's the original tube and it's got Zookeeper burn, dude. Actually, it's... To me, it's... it's um, it's it's charm. It's got a it's got a certain amount of charm to it because of that heavy burn. And I just don't really know that you'd see a lot of tubes with heavy zookeeper burn in it. You see tubes that have pack and miss pack and donkey you know donkey kong burn and stuff you know stuff like mm-hmm. that centipede burn and stuff like that. But um but to find zookeeper burn that's actually kind of. Uh, it's kind of unique to me, so I'm so I'm going to hang on to it, but I have got to swap the tube on that thing. I've got to swap the tube on it. So, so anyway, so that you know, I guess in and of itself, Brent is kind of where it's at. It's got the original power supply, the suitcase power supply. I did get a uh, switcher and an adapter kit from Arcade Shop. Uh, that was one of the things that Pete recommended me do: is either stick an ATX power supply in it from a, you know from an old computer or a switcher in it, and completely get rid of the suitcase supply that's in it. I'm going to leave it in there, but I'm just not going to use it because it's. I mean, it still works, and it's it's pretty amazing that it does. But I'm not going to go forward with it because See, that is know. also one of 
the uh, the power supplies. As I've done some research and talking to Pete, the power supplies are notorious. The Tato power supplies are notorious for being very unreliable. I said I have not they, worked on one, so I don't have any experience with one. From what from what I have been told, the power supplies will fail and then actually take out the boards. Yeah, I was going to ask if that was a you know uh, a kind of a side effect of them. Where did, do they t- tend to fail in such a manner that they spike the board? They spike or, the boards. You know, it'll, I, it'll spike the the PC the CPU board is what it'll do. That that's what I've been told. Interesting. I have, I have no not I have no experience with that, but I was counseled that it's like, hey, if you're running a good working board set on the original power supply, stop that because you don't want that power supply when it fails. It's not if it fails; it's when it fails to take out your four hundred dollar board set, mm-hmm. which is the going rate of a set of a, of a working Zookeeper PCB set. Okay, so um, that's what I've got to do, Brent. So I've got a lot of stuff that I have to do to the Zookeeper. So now you can kind of see why it, why it has to be broken before it can be fixed. You know, and that's will, that's kind of will, the side of it. We will Size rebuild you. Yes, we will yes. make you better, faster, stronger. So. We with this being the holiday, <laughs> is that a six million dollar man it, reference? It is, it is, and you know what? Maybe I'll have six million bucks in this thing before I'm done. I don't know, but I love it. I'm keeping it, and I'm just, I am so stoked to have that game, dude. I'm just, I'm just beside myself. I happy couldn't to have tell. That game. Oh yeah, I, dude. I'm sitting here <laughs> bouncing up and down in my seat. He, you know, he actually is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So, um, so that's one thing. It's going to take me a few months to work through the zookeeper, Brim, because it's the holidays. Family's over. Um, oh, oh, to heck with them. <laughs> they may not say that. To heck with they them. They may not want that. But, yeah, so, you know, dude, it's all good, though. It's, it's a, it's Merry, a, it's Merry a, Christmas. <laughs> Daddy's going down to <laughs> work, on the, work on the zookeeper. Exactly. Your stocking's over there, kid. <laughs> have at it. Um, but, uh, but that's that's the zookeeper. So, dude, the, um, the next thing while we talked about tube swaps is I am... Uh, I have been taking some time and going through and doing a tube inventory on all my games. I wanted to ask you that. Do you ha- do you know every single tube that's in your game? Uh, that's in like, all your games. Like what monitor? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, what what? Okay, naturally the chassis. It'll be a G O seven, whatever. Mm-hmm. But have you taken note of the actual tubes? No, I have in the not. Games? Okay, I have not. Okay, you so not like the part number of the tubes the, and all that. The number of the tubes. No, I have yes. not. So I've started building a spreadsheet on my games as far as the tube that's in them, and uh, and, now, and, now, and keep and in mind a lot, a lot of the tubes are basically pin compatible. So they are. You know, you'll have. Uh, your common monitors will have a, a an a, eight an eight pin a stack know. of tubes that would have come in it from the factory. Exactly. It, the, the reason that I'm doing this though is so that I can build essentially essentially like a cross reference. So. I don't have to get into the back of the game, you know, and I can tell what's in it in case mm-hmm. I, in case I get get the wild hair, so to speak, and say I'm gonna go ahead and swap that tube. I can begin the hunt for the tube without taking the game down. Okay, that that that's that's the whole goal right there, and then just so that I have complete information on the game. So, so I've been going through and starting to kind of build like a like a, a tube inventory of my games, and then what I've got just kind of sitting out on shelves. But uh, in going through and doing that, Brent, I have. Uh, Got some shelves. I've got all my tubes consolidated uh, in my storage building now. I've got everything labeled. I know what I have, chassis-wise and tube-wise and everything along those lines, so that as I'm out hunting for tubes, I know exactly what I have, okay? Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Um, I do not have this in the uh, in the show notes, but I will make sure that it, or I'm sorry, in our outline that we're working from, but I'll make sure that it is, is in the show notes. There is a... 
website called, uh, I think it's tubular.atomized.org, and it is um, a, a website built by a fellow clover, and I think the the way you pronounce his handle is Ayer, I believe it's I-E-U-R-E, and what you can do, Brent, is you can go out to the site, and you can punch in, type in the model number on your tube, okay, of your tube, and it will immediately spit out a listing of compatible cross-reference tubes, okay? So you can say, okay, I have got a, you know, 19VMN P22 or T22 or whatever common in a G07, okay? Mm -hmm. And it will then show you all of the tubes that are compatible or a cross-reference, cross-referenceable replacement for that tube. Okay. I wonder where he's pulling his data from. I That's kind of cool. I don't know. Have you pulled the website? No, out? I haven't. I okay. Haven't been able to find. It. You okay. Said, it's a dot org, right? I believe that it is. Okay. And, well, and, and dude, not, I'm, I'm doing that from memory, but I, I I believe that is yes, it is tubular t u b u l a r tubular dot org. Okay, a very simple looking site. Here, here you go, dude. I've brought it up. You can take a look at it. Oh, it's All just, you do, just like a search it, function. It's, it's it's essentially like a white search page, yeah. and it just says tube across the top you just type in your tube number and then it tells you as i've said it tells you all your compatible tubes so dude i've been using that on my hunt on craigslist and thrift stores to find compatible tubes for my games so dude i have really uh i've really taken this with the zookeeper kind of to charge and it's almost become like a, a its own like mini project or side project in and of itself to where i'm going through and i'm starting to hunt down tubes brent for all the tube swaps that i know that i've that i've got to do so what's really cool here is it's like i put in 19 vlu up 22 uh-huh which um, I think is like a just your standard. That's going to be on a G07 or a 4900. No, uh, I know what's, that. What's the what's the standard B and K? Is it CR23? CR23. This yes. is a 24. So I think a 19 VLUP20 UP22 is a 6100. Okay. Is oh is it? Yeah, because okay. it's a CR24. Okay. It's a CR24. Okay. Because CR23 and CR31s are your two most common raster. Uh, raster I'm a, adapters. I'm, I'm a more of a Syncor guy. So me, I, me too. I have a Syncor as well, but you have to speak in B and K terms because yeah, that's what the that's other ninety percent. That's what the world speaks, and, and then you transfer it over to Syncor terms. So as I started yeah. typing it in, it uh, would fill kind of like Google does. You know, uh-huh. if you if you want to. S- if you want to look up, it kind of does like predictive matching because as you type yeah, it, exactly. it will show, it will it starts show, showing it, things. It starts narrowing it, it, so, it starts narrowing, narrowing it down. down the further that you type. So, so dude, if you haven't seen that tool yeah, before, it's pretty cool. that's cool. And so it's showing me all, everything else. I, I guess he's pulling from the, from the, uh, from the B&K database because it seems yeah. to be predicated upon the neck and, and the, uh, the CR and, number. The, the neck and the CR number, and then it shows you like the heater voltage and everything yep. and like that. And then what's cool is he'll give you uh, kind of in your standard type, you know, your normal kind of everyday average uh, black print on a white background type, he'll give you everything that's in that, that rank, that night. So a 19 VLUPT 22 or a VLUP 22 is a 19 inch tube. So he'll give you everything that's a 19 inch tube with a uh, six, 6.3 volt heater, uh, 50 volt G1 and the CR24 socket and he'll also then grade out below I guess for just helpful reference everything else that meets those those characteristics but, but would in not an, work uh, well no no but in another size 
So oh, it's another size. Yeah, right okay. after, all, right below all the 19s, and it's the 13s, and oh, apparently there's some 17s and okay. a bunch of 25s. Cool. And oh, so yeah, it's, that's really awesome. It's it's a great site, and so the, the nice thing about it is, is you can load it up, uh, you put it, you can use it on your phone, and it seems like it does like all the JavaScript loading it does at the time that the site comes up, because it matches so fast when you're you know when you're online that or i'm sorry when, when it's on your phone that i don't even believe that it needs an active internet connection in order to work after it's client side loaded all that data well and the side effect of this is is that if you've got one of the kind of the red letter bnk test or rejuvenators and, mm-hmm. and i it was at a 467 and a four, a four uh, then a 470 then a 490 okay believe, are those yeah. the key is a 467 is that correct 467 a 470 and a 490 okay those, those are the three big bnk models okay so if you've got uses. one of those and you don't have the setup guide mm-hmm. here the, it is right here this would be this would be a good You're option in. for you yeah so, awesome so, so here's what i've been doing brent so because i need a tube i used to carry around my syncor book i'm not gonna do that anymore exactly you just keep got a, a cell phone keep a favorite on your little tablet there and then use that dude so did you just dis- disparage my tablet, my little tablet? <laughs> I'm sorry. Go all ahead. tablets are little, man. Um, <laughs> I compl- I just blew his mind. Yeah, all, all tablets are little. So, I know. <laughs> but um, got tablet envy. <laughs> tablet envy. <laughs> so what I'm so needing a tube for the zookeeper has pushed me down this alternate path. Okay, it's like so I've been hunting down some of these tools. I've been hitting some thrift stores around town. I've been uh, you know, kind of um, filtering through Craigslist. And with that, Brent, I have, um, I've over the past month, I've been able to score four tubes, okay? So what I've got is um, a couple Samsung tubes, and uh, two of them are good, um, are good 4,900 swaps, okay? Uh, one of them is a direct K7000 swap, and then the other one I haven't put the time in to know, okay, at this point in time, what it's going to work for. So, dude, so and, been, and you're basing that on, you looked at the tube number, you know the neck is compatible, and you, you've got to actually get into it and then check the yoke. That's exactly right. So, so it may, you have to start oming uh, out the yoke. So you may have a direct swap there if the yoke matches something that's a, a of a common monitor chassis worst case you've got a good tube you can you'd have to swap the yoke you'd, over you have to swap a, the swap the yoke that's exactly right but these tubes are are known to not have sync issues and and are from what i can tell by, by just doing you know searches on clove they they're they're good tubes to use okay so what what i've learned from this is definitely um definitely use this you know tubular.atomized.org site use the the tube reference sheet on junk on junk net okay i take those two in with me into thrift stores and a very strong led flashlight and i go to hunting yeah okay i was gonna say uh nine times out of ten if you have a really strong flashlight you can look right through the back vents of a tv and, and, and see can, the tube number and you can see the tube yeah. number yeah and so uh so that's what i've been doing and what i have found out brent and you and i were talking about this a little bit before we hit the record button uh is that for Geo7s, that's actually proven to be a little harder than I thought it would be, finding direct tubes. And I think it's uh, I think it's a combination of 
just what the G07 is, and I know it's a very common monitor, a very common chassis, and a very commonly used monitor. I have a lot of G07s in my games, but for whatever reason, I have been turning up a lot more Wells Gardner compatible uh, or direct swappable or or easily used tubes than I have uh, the, the Electro Home tubes at this point, or G07 tubes at this point. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. The hunt continues, but well, that's, that's here's, what here's a note to everybody. If you have a tube that's trashed or if it's mm-hmm. been necked, mm-hmm. I, I always keep the yoke and the always. rings. And, and, and the convergence rings. You need I, to yank that, pull those off and keep them. I keep the wedges. I keep any of the little adjustment strips. I've got a little baggie full of them. You keep and all that stuff. I even keep the little, if, if I can get it off without breaking it, uh-huh. I'll keep the little plastic um little pin separator that goes on the very end because i've had several monitors where i'll pull the uh the neck board off uh-huh. and that's broken uh-huh. and it just falls right off yeah. now, i've even had a monitor before where it had been broken and been lost and whoever had it before me just put it on there correctly and just slid it over the bare pins oh i see so yeah if i have a totally trashed unsavable broken completely gone tube I take everything off. Of yeah, it. absolutely. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a good th- it's a good thing to do, man, because the stuff is hard to come mm-hmm. by anymore, and you want to make sure that um th- that you build up a little bit of inventory. So. So so that's so that's really it, Brent. When it comes to the Zookeeper, it has taken me down a path of uh, tube swaps and just really starting to to jump into that. So I'm hoping over the next month I will have gotten the tube swap on the Zookeeper done. I'm going to go through, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do pictures on you know oming out or uh, uh, oming out the the yoke and you know and just kind of really go down that path for everybody to see because it's very interesting and I think it I think it's it shows kind of the the progress in the hobby because at some point you've got to be able to do this for yourself you know otherwise mm-hmm. it, otherwise you're just you're going to live with bad bad tubes or you know or you're going to pay somebody a lot of money to do it and it, it doesn't really require that so 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 that's that and um a couple of other things that I've been working on, dude. Uh, the pole position cockpit restore. I have uh, I've started to take the the pole position apart, and what I have come to realize, Brent, is I'm going to have to saw that baby into. Okay, oh. I'm going to have to cut it into in order to get it into my house. And I, I know there's a, if we had a if we had a boo, you know, sound effect, then that would be the place to well, use it. I'm thinking what but, you're just going to do is you're just going you're just going to sell it to me because <laughs> you know I've got like a huge door that you yeah. could actually drive a car in you know something i could get it in the house i think okay then why aren't you doing that well it's going to require probably three people to do it but here, but here's the thing dude the hallway that has to go down and to get it into my game room i can i think i can get it into my basement but i can't get it into my game room well we should okay? try it we can try okay we, we can try is there is there a is there a natural parting line somewhere where you can cut it there is there is. And um, what I would like to do, though, is when I cut it, I'm going to... Um, if you cut it. If I cut it. Okay. <laughs> I haven't cut it yet. Okay. I haven't cut it yet. But, dude, if you if you search on cloth, there are there. I are don't care several... what's on cloth. I'm, no, no, I'm going to no, search for a hammer no, here in a minute. It's going to hit you right in the forehead. <laughs> don't do that, dude. I'll never get it done. I'm going to take know? the lock bar. Wait, there's a keys in these pinballs behind me. I'm going to take the lock bar right off of it. But um, there is a natural spot to where that can be done. And then... <laughs> a it, naturally occurring spot. A naturally occurring spot. And then... To me, it looks like that is the perfect spot. Also, if it, when you when you 
when it comes time to rejoin them, you could put like some piano latches on it and something, and then and then just cinch it down. And all this would be internal where it couldn't be seen. Then you'd put the floorboard, you know, where where, where your feet rest, and mm-hmm. put the floorboard back on. Oh, does that and floorboard cover, come out? I've never, I've se- I've well, been in them, I've seen them, I've never had one apart. Though. Yeah, well, once you cut it in half, then it would be very easy to cut it to the point where the floorboard would lift out, mm-hmm. and then you could you could put it back down and then cover it with diamond plate or something mm-hmm. like that. So it so there's it's it's in a spot where it's very easy to make it look very acceptable when it's all said and done okay so um the pole position has been a little slow going just simply because of you know um the other things that i guess i've kind of had going on working on but that's it so i'm working on that uh listener mike martin uh he and i've kind of been going back and forth on that he's working on his he's a lot further along than me but you know it's it's uh it's something that's that, that is working that is working and going forward outside of that brent um the only other things i've had going on but spending the the crap ton out of money buying leds for pinball machines uh took part of some black friday uh black friday sales on that and some pop bumpers uh led pop bumpers for some of my games been going on that and dude i almost scored a pac-man this this month um i had almost almost yeah i had a family uh family member uh email me a pack i do almost scored another one Oh, okay. okay all right gotcha um and I've been I've been looking for one for a family friend, okay? That has uh, this kind of been asking me for the past year or so off and on. Hey, can I find? Can you find me a pack? Can you find me a pack? So I had uh, a family member, uh, a cousin by marriage, um, uh, on, on, of course, coming over from my wife's side. He got in touch with me and he said, "Hey, he goes uh, somebody that uh, a, a mutual friend or somebody that he knows, a friend of his, uh, had a, had a pack to get rid of, and said, are you interested in?'" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'd love to to know more about it because this would serve for getting me the pack for the family friend that's been mm-hmm. on me for about a year to to, to get him one." And so I went to look, went to go look at it, and uh, you know, Brent, I've showed you pictures of it. It it was fairly it was fairly rough it was loved it, it was it was very well used very well loved <laughs> and um and i you know Brenna, i'll tell you um the asking it, it did work um the harness had been hacked on it pretty good uh it was running you know it was running the fast roms and everything so it had it had had some board work done had a lot of um you saw it had a lot of solder globs on some of the fingers yeah so there's a lot there's a lot of bypass work yeah there's a lot of bypass work done mm-hmm. on this board and on the harness so it made me a little, uh, I mean, not that you couldn't tackle it, but I looked at it and it's like, is that really what I want to tackle now? Or do I really want to put that in the queue and then have that kind of hanging over my shoulders, especially for something I'm just going to pass on down the line? Yeah, and, and when it comes, especially with a family friend mm-hmm. or family, mm-hmm. then you end up supporting it. You end up supporting yeah. it. And it's not that it's, not that it, it's too tough to support. It's just, is that the one that I want to support? And I don't really think that it was. So th- they, they had an asking price on it and um you know it was they they wanted around they wanted essentially about 300 bucks for it and i just i couldn't do it brent and so too much work to put in it it was too much work for the condition even, even just not just the not just 
cosmetically if you want to do that just on the mechanic side of it yeah. just too yeah. much because you you're going to guarantee yourself you're going to have to build the monitor you yeah. have to rebuild the monitor yeah. now you know plus all the corrections it, it had a geo7 in it and it did not have a tremendous amount of burn huh. which was which was the interesting That's part about it. it was odd dude the the burn that was on it was on the top and on the bottom where the scores were and the in the in you know the level markers yeah. were but it had like virtually no maze burn That's on it odd. at all and it was weird so um especially for when you look at it and when you looked at it on the other side how much work had been done on the board and everything mm-hmm. so uh, anyway it was it was kind of an obtuse example of a pack and not really the not really one that i was very comfortable with so i made them an offer on it and um it was they they thought that it was too low i thought that it was actually pretty fair um you know i actually for the condition of it brent i thought i was being fairly generous if you want to know the truth <laughs> of it what were they gained they were they weren't collectors though no 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 yeah. no this this guy was was um trying to sell it for his aunt and everything and mm-hmm. so I, 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 I run into I, that I, all I com- the time i completely sure everybody under, does completely understand it but i could not make the economics of it work out so uh so it, it was it was passed over but uh but that that was it. So I tried to get the pack. Uh, just couldn't couldn't make it happen. Uh, just could not meet in the middle. And the thing about it is, I'd already take I'd already taken the time to go look at it once. So even if I got it at the money that I wanted, you know, I'd already had some time in you know a little bit of time invested in it. And um, I just really didn't feel like hauling it in the rain and wrapping it and everything. You know, which taking the time. You're right in that. You're right in that. Uh, uh, in a, right in the middle of a phrase I like to use all the time, and it's I don't overbuild for the neighborhood and if you if anyone here lives in a neighborhood and an older neighborhood especially and there's there's always a person or two in the neighborhood that just does so much to the property and they've they've surpassed the point where they could get their money out of it because of the surrounding neighborhood they've expanded the house they've added seven garages they've done you know stuff like that and yeah i try not to do that with games i i try not to fall in love with it i don't fall in love with anything anymore you know and at least I think I like to think that I don't. And uh, we all know this is a labor of love. We all know it's really not a money making, you know, venture. There's a, a joke I've heard applied to a million things, including, you know, video games. It's like, how do you make two million or how you make a million dollars with video games? You start out with two million. And then when you get to a million, you quit. You stop. That's exactly yeah. right. And but I always keep in my mind, in the back of my mind, how much labor, how much work, how much hard parts someone have to put into a game pretty much discount my labor to nothing or close to it Uh because it's the love of it and i want to not have much more in it than it's worth i don't want to overbuild it yeah because even if it is a keeper someday it may not be you you, it may fall out of favor game you think you like you don't you don't you don't and and over time it's one of those scenarios where it it changes from something that you like to something you want to get rid of. And then you have to ask yourself, is this even in the condition that I can move? Yeah. And this one was not okay. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not easily and not, not appreciably. So, uh, I, I didn't get it. And, um, you know, a lot of people may ask, you know, well, what did you offer on it? You know, I, I have no problem. I have no problem. I offered $150 for it because it worked and it had a tube with like minimal, minimal burn. And if nothing else, um, you know, I could have, I could have 
I hate to say this, but due to the condition of the cabinet, it could have been gutted mm-hmm. and moved on down the line. Okay, and, and, and trust trust me, I saw the pictures mm-hmm. in this particular example. There was several hours worth of work in just the harness. There was several. Yes, you know, now, you know. So you know, it is what it is. But uh, you know, like I say, I um, I, I tried. You know, and and, and hopefully, um, you know, ho- hopefully they can get more money out of it than what I offered. <laughs> I, you know, that, that's what I have to hope. Here's you know, I, I've used this before. I've I've related it to you know, if you're out there looking to buy, be honest with people. Be mm-hmm. nice. Be polite. Oh, and they and they were. And, they, and they they were every bit of many that. Many times, if I sit down and I've talked to people that just have a game that's been in the family, yeah, and they they look at some eBay value and they don't take a lot of stuff into account. Yeah. I, I can, re- you something that everybody knows an automobile, yeah. a car. Yeah. It runs. Would you drive it to Florida? Yeah. Yeah. It sits there and plays. It's got this problem and this problem. And is, this problem. is it the one that you're going to keep? And if, if, if I take this, I'm going to have problems with it. I need to address it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that, and that's pretty much what this was, but I, you know, I was willing, I say, I, I, I say, would you drive to Florida? It. Everyone needs to realize we're in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, exactly. It's a long way. You know, man. if you're, if you're in Tampa, you might drive it to Florida because yeah. that's in Florida. Okay. But for our, for our international listeners, yeah, that's where we're at. It's, <laughs> we're, it's a good long piece. We're what? 10 hours to the border of Florida, 14 hours <laughs> to the middle of the peninsula or so. Yeah, yeah, and around that to Disney World from here. So yeah, yeah. it's it's a, it's every bit of that. So, um, so that's it. And then the only other thing I've got going on, Brent, is a website redesign that uh, if everything works out, will be live sometime in early 2015. Sweet. So we want to modern modernize the website, modernize the show. We're working we're, on some things for the show, the yeah. audio portion of the show. Yeah, yeah we're working on some different and some different music. We're not refresh well, the music a little bit. We're gonna try to. We're not gonna open the curtains on that until we've got some we've got yeah, our ducks exactly. in a row and our, exactly. our ducks in a row we got our okays given and all yeah. that stuff but yep. there's there's stuff a churning there, there's stuff a churning and uh 2015 promises to be very bright for the podcast so looking forward to that so that brent is my long my diatribe for, for what i've been done, doing for having done little and nothing this week we have or this month we have talked a lot <laughs> yes, yes we have yes we have so brent why don't we uh why don't we take this opportunity before we get into the crafty mech interview which uh brent i will say this uh aaron was a he was a great interview a great guy to talk with and uh dude you're gonna love this interview and i know everybody listening is gonna love this interview it was just great stuff but before we do that Brent, why don't we get into uh, a little bit of uh, technical discussion and uh, reproduction parts, and then uh, that'll that'll be a good way to roll us into uh, Aaron's interview. All right, cool, Whitney. All right, let's, let's do, do it. it. All right, Whitney, so let's kick off our technical and restoration segment with uh, a discussion that I think is going to help a lot of folks out there. And this is corrosion repair, battery corrosion repair for PCBs. Okay. All right. So I know we've talked a lot about, hey, let's let's really shift over this segment or the show rather to uh, a lot of arcade stuff because we've talked a lot of pinball lately with Expo and the like. We have. So, um, uh, well, okay, yeah, but no not as much pinball more video but unfortunately i this whole thing sucks (laughs) (laughs) i'm tripping all over my words you're the consummate professional brent (laughs) that was just terrible (laughs) this is going to be another show in the end of it's just going to be me just slamming stuff (laughs) at the end of it Mm -hmm. 
<sighs> I need a whiskey. <laughs> Come on out the house. I can shake care uh, of. I even forgot what I said earlier. You might as well just start it all. I over. know. I forgot yeah. how I started. Yeah. Okay, Whitney. Let's start out the uh, the technical and restoration segment with a, a, a discussion. I think is going to help a lot of folks out. I know we talked a little bit about shifting into more arcade stuff this this show yep. because of so much pinball expo and the like. The last couple of shows we have, you know, Brent. A little bit of the feedback that we've gotten though is uh, people people kind of noticed that and they said. Oh man, it's been good to get the pinball content. Oh, but, awesome. but they but they but they've been looking forward to getting back to okay. some some arcade con- well, content. Well, we'll get back so. to the arcade content yeah. by talking about uh, uh, repairing a pinball board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brent, so, you're so smooth. I know. Yeah. But seriously, I I think this this will uh, help a lot of people, and it does apply to both sides of the house. Yes. Uh, and just about every pinball I can think of. You know, solid state machine. You've got battery issues. The batteries oh, yeah. are right on the board. You're I mean, gonna have arcade boards are gonna be the same. Way. Yeah, Williams and Tato boards, especially. You've got be Tato boards. You've got uh, uh, definitely the Williams boards. You've yeah. got Atari with your pole positions. They are one of the the largest offenders. Yeah, Cubert. Yeah, Cubert. You know, if yes. you the, it, there's actually two runs of Cubert, and if you get a an early early run, mm-hmm. the uh, the the main board has the battery on the low left so if it leaks it mainly gets the ground rail oh the 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 more common run has the board turned and the battery is on the upper left oh, so that's it, that's even it more run, fantastic it runs right down over everything, everything. yeah so it, well you know what brent there's nothing like doing it worser the second time around <laughs> <laughs> this this worked out great. Let's That's just make great. it worse. Let's just make it worse. So if that was even a word. And, and notice I said I say corrosion, yeah, not acid. Okay. Yes. And and um but let me even back up a second here. So I actually released these pictures out uh, on our Facebook page I'd say about a month ago. It looks like uh yeah, from this recording I, I posted this on november 6th that so was about a month ago yeah and i had the occasion for an emergency if there's such a thing an emergency pinball repair for a good friend of <laughs> there's mine. emergencies in this hobby oh my gosh <laughs> Jeez. okay i had gone over to just basically uh put a remote battery holder on for him it's okay. a, it was a wp sierra game and uh what, what game I, was it it was a, a hurricane nice yeah it was a hurricane it was a yeah. home it was a home did, use only hurricane nice did you play it after you fixed it oh gosh yes i would have absolutely yeah i wore that baby out so he uh he had I, I knew that the batteries were starting to leak on them and on it and when i did pop the batteries out the day i was there to do this i i should have done it prior and then i would have taken the board with me to begin with i realized how bad they were yeah and when you look at the pictures you'll actually see that the first thing i did was put the battery holder in it my it was working when I took the battery holder off at his house, and I, I thought, well, I'll address it after the first year. Yeah. If it's working now, hopefully it'll continue to work. So I put the remote battery holder on it, and the game was working. Of course, the batteries, it wasn't holding any settings. Well, it didn't, and, and just disturbing it enough to take the battery holder off, uh, it went ahead, and it, it was done. Ah. So um, I, I started getting a, a switch error, and it was over with. So anyway, I ended up bringing it home, and I had to do this emergency repair. Now, the thing about this is, like I said, I, it, 
I, and I catch myself doing this a lot. I'll say acid. And I guess this goes back to the old days of lead Dude, acid we, batteries. We all do. I mean, yeah. everything's acid damage, yeah. I mean, you know, with quotes around it, it regardless it, of what it cor- is. Yeah. yeah. And, and I still say it. It's yeah. not truly an acid. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not a chemist. And I'm, I have looked, read about this a little bit and researched it. Uh, no, no reason to get into it super deep here. If you want to know about it, the the world is your oyster and yeah. Google is your friend. Yeah. But the you've all heard the phrase alkaline battery, which uh-huh. is typically what you've got in your double A's, triple uh, triple A's, your nine C's, volts, nine volts. Yep. They're they're alkaline batteries. Mm-hmm. Well, the chemical compound in them is an alkaline, mm-hmm. which is the opposite end of your pH scale from acid. It's a base. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you hear a lot of people talk about taking. Uh, from a chemical perspective to clean up some corrosion repair they'll take vinegar which is an acid well it's neutralizing the base if we think back to our old high school you know chemistry high lessons. chemistry yeah exactly yep. so if i say acid i really mean corrosion in this conversation it's by a base acid. right by a base <laughs> yes by a base it's corroded <laughs> and it's a base it's a it's a pa from a ph perspective the chemical is a base yeah absolutely and so what's kind of key here is that all the steps I'm going to outline, and these these all these steps are in the descriptions of the pictures on our Facebook page. Yeah. You know, broke, uh, Facebook.com slash uh, Broken Token. That's it. Go out there and take a look in the albums. Uh, the album is titled, let me hit escape here. I got the first picture up. For, uh, album's title is Brent-PCB-Battery-Corrosion-Repair. And I've got a little bit of the story in there. Yeah. Um, what I noticed when I first wanted to do this some time ago, everyone on the Internet had a little varying bit of varying opinion as to how they did it. And some of the key steps, some of the details were missing, which is important. And we'll get into that when I get to that. Uh, when I get to that step. So if you just ran out and quote unquote followed, you know, someone's advice, you could end up actually making yourself a a bigger mess than you had to begin with. Okay. 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 So there's 11 pictures that make up the entire series and some of them are just close-ups of, of some of the work. So basically it's the same picture with just a close-up and we'll run through them, kind of give everybody a description of, of, what I do to clean up battery corrosion damage. So the, the first picture is just the board as it sets, and you can get an idea of where where the problem is. I've already pulled the battery holder off, and what you're, what you're kind of looking for, like in this first picture, it, or when you've got your board, you know what all the traces look like. You know, typically that solder mask is green, and then your traces are a little bit lighter where that copper's running under the solder mask. You'll see where that that corrosion has crept along the copper because it'll be dark. All right, <clears throat> pardon me. So it'll be very obvious. Now here's a, here's a little tip. That corrosion not only will it follow that copper. If you see it on the leg of a component, that component's done. It it will it is just, just consider it done. You know, even in the case where this board was working and when it still had the original battery holder on it until I disturbed it. Mm-hmm. I, I figured I probably flexed it enough that I ended up snapping one of these fine, fine traces that that's in this board that, that kind of route the bits and pieces of the switch matrix around. If you if you see it on the on the leg of a component, just don't don't clean it off. I mean, if it's a resistor, if it's a 
chip of some type, just mark it as done. Mm-hmm. Corrosion, this corrosion will actually travel through these components. Okay. And here's a good example. Uh, my Adams family, We've everyone's heard me yammer on about my Adams family. Same CPU board. I actually replay, uh, tested the CPU board in my Adams. It had uh, sat a lot longer and let the batteries leak a, for a lo- longer period of time. I had one of the wires for, uh, you know, one of the rows or columns of switches. I can't remember which it was. I had to actually go all the way down into the body of the game, cutting the wire back until I found a place where it was clean metal. It was clean conductor. The corrosion had gone down through the connector. So it traveled feet. Yeah, it traveled feet. Yes. It had traveled down, you know, a third of the board dripping over bits and pieces it had gotten into the connector and had followed the wire inside the the sheath uh the insulation feet down into the body of the game so i had to go down to the body of the game find a a clean spot and then splice a new wire all the way up to the connector it will travel don't just replace your connectors if you go if you cut your connectors off for example on a pinball especially because you don't tend to see this on video games because most of your video games it's all edge connector and it's and everything's so close everything's so close yeah Yeah. if you're doing a pinball and you you've got a connector that's got the the corrosion on it and you don't just clip it and then when you go to strip the insulation off look at it and if it's not nice and bright and shiny cut it back yeah, I talked. There's that's, pictures that's on. That's crazy. Talk, oh yeah, it's Brent. insane. That's crazy talk. If you look, and this is another pinball thing. If you uh, uh, if you look back through our Facebook albums, and about this time last year, I may have been talking about a roller a roller disco that I did a Gottlieb System one game. Yeah, it had the same problem. There was a Y nump replacement board in it, replacement CPU board in it. It had corrosion, and what had happened was, whoever had repinned it. They didn't cut the wire back to clean wire, and actually on one of the fingers or two of the fingers of one of the connectors on the Y-Numpf, the corrosion had come back out of the wire, had gotten on the finger of the brand new replacement board, and had started to crawl into some components. Mm. It had come back into the new board. Golly. I had to replace on, on one of the connectors. And frustrating. Oh, unbelievably. Yes. On one of the connectors that was kind of low, so battery, you know, the, the alkaline would have dripped right on the connector, I had to... Uh, I had to replace some of the wires back 12 inches, and a couple of them I had to go all the way down the body into the coin door. Mm. It had followed that far. So, you know, don't, if you see corrosion on something, investigate it. Look to replace it. Then uh, this kind of what is the story of this picture is take an inventory. You know, you're going to have to take everything apart and really and truly figure out what it's touched where it's gotten expect like on this i had to replace uh uh, i was really lucky this hadn't leaked a lot i think i replaced nine or 12 resistors there was one ic that had to do with i think it was memory serves uh kind of a mux controlled the switch matrix and it hadn't gotten any farther than that the last time i did a board like this i had to pretty much strip out a section that was an inch to an inch and a half wide 
a third the height of the board where it had gone all the way down and then like on like i had mentioned this was that adams board so you're talking desoldering all those yeah, components oh yeah. off and at that point i'm sockets resistors everything everything, caps, everything. the entire th- i see it all comes out right so yeah, yeah that's your first step kind of you're, you're assessing which yeah. which you've got which which you've got going on you don't want to get in here you don't want to mess with it you don't again you don't want phantom problems so like i said if it even looks like it may have gotten just a little bit of corrosion on it better safe than sorry you're already in there replace the component whatever it is okay so we're uh the second picture in the series is a kind of a close-up of the affected area and you can really see the dark portions of the traces you can really see especially in comparison to the other resistors that are on the board absolutely so if you if you go back and take a look at these pictures right in the center kind of lower portion of the picture is a stack of resistors headed with r31 and you can see all the legs on the right of that stack of four resistors they're they're just dark and dingy yeah on the left there's they're clean and bright yeah yeah very much so and actually look right in um right where battery b2 is and this is all this is all in the description so yeah. you know go back and take a look at it you can see where some of that some of the the trace that was basically a ground plane under there where that's dark as well okay now yeah i'm eliminating the batteries i still cleaned that up because i didn't want that walking i didn't want it going other places and continuing to move about so uh it, it, this stuff is weird man it, it almost takes it on a life of its own and like i said the, the that the gottlieb that roller disco with that y-nump and how it had crept back out of the wiring harness back onto that new board and started to damage it man that was really eye-opening i want it all gone when yeah, i do it yeah that's that's something else so I move into the next picture. I think this is the third picture, and it's just a stack of components where I have gone and I have just started desoldering and pulled everything off the board that looked like it could have any damage. Yeah. And you can even see, like after I pulled out uh, U19, which is uh, LM339, uh, you can even see under that chip where... I don't know whether it was a little heat from the chip or whatever. It seemed to have exacerbated the issue. It looked even worse under looks, there. It looks pretty toasty, man. Yeah, it looks pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. So here, when you do this, take pictures as you go because in a, in a later step, you run a good chance of blowing away these traces. <laughs> yeah. You know, when yeah. you're talking a game like a, like a pole position, little older technology on the board traces are a little bigger Mm -hmm. so they'll probably stand up to a little bit more abuse when it comes time to clean them up like really clean them up when you're dealing with uh, a little newer little newer technology with smaller traces there's a fair amount of damage chances are you're gonna blow those suckers right off the board yeah so take some good pictures that way as we get later on into the repair yeah you you have a a map to follow in order to to jump to to re-jump exactly yep so next picture in the series is just a little different angle of the same thing and uh uh, again I, I, i stress you know take a look over to the the descriptions which are off to the right of the pictures because i'm telling you what you're looking at what you're seeing what i was experiencing as i was going and you know i'm pointing out the key things uh, to notice in this picture and again here just a little different angle uh, you know take a look at the dark spots give you an idea of uh, just assess what you're what you're going to have to deal with and what's damaged yeah. all right on to our next picture so the next picture i have it wrapped in a bag and i have it uh 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 
kind of taped up with with painter's tape. So this is how I get into physically cleaning the board. All right. Now, everything that I'm doing this far and, and we'll be doing after the step, if you're into the hobby and you're doing some of your own repair, chances are you've got the tools. You've got some you know, um, some flush cutters. You've you've got some method that you like to do some kind of Dex, desoldering. Dex lights are the best. They're, yeah, oh, from yeah, the I love, flush yeah. cutter perspective, they are the best. Get those at Bob Roberts for like seven bucks a pair. They're very, they're, they're the bomb. Yeah, very handy. Yes, um, you've got you know a soldering iron that you like. You've probably soldered a little. You've got some technique. Now, when it comes to cleaning the 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 corrosion off there's a couple methods well actually there's three methods that i hear the most of uh vinegar that's more of a chemical a chemical i look at that it's chemical it's a mm-hmm. chemical approach do you straight vinegar when you do this i do straight vinegar you do yeah straight a lot of vinegar. people do 50 50 i do straight I, I i do 50 50 and it tends to work okay i do 50 50 with a toothbrush and I, it tends to work all right now i do fit i do straight then i do 50 50 and then i do water okay all with a toothbrush yeah yeah like as a rinse mm-hmm. but so the, the three main methods people talk about is is vinegar yeah. well vinegar isn't going to get under the solder mask if you've got just a, a a little dollop if you will of corrosion that's gotten on some open space and hasn't gotten under the solder mask where it can start to travel okay that's fine you can take a little vinegar and you can clean it off you can neutralize it and, and away you go it's not going to get under that 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 solder mask yeah. so you're going to leave it there and then like i said with as I've experienced, it will continue to walk. Yeah. All right. So then you kind of get into a mechanical method. And I've seen two main mechanical methods discussed. One is a, a small, fine wire wheel on a Dremel. And uh, folks will put a little wire wheel on a Dremel, set a, a relatively low speed, uh, and they'll basically just go at anywhere and everywhere and try to grind out I, the corrosion I, I, you know brent I, i'm going to stop it right here for just a second because there's two things i want i want you to cover real fast mm-hmm. rewind for a second and tell everybody what a solder mask is okay. okay because you've used a term that a lot of people may not may not who don't do their own solder work might not understand what it is number two i've tried the dremel method and it's too hard to control in, oh yeah in my yeah. mind because what happens is if that dremel bounces off your thumbnail okay mm-hmm. which it will do mm-hmm. all right not only will it eat into your thumbnail, but it can destroy other parts of the board while you try to get the Dremel back under control and getting it'll just it'll skate and bounce. It and skates and bounces everywhere. at different speeds. It may it may eat a trace right by you, and then it may nick two traces while you tried to catch it. You know, I yep. I know it works, and I know people swear by it. Me from from Whitney's perspective, I can't stand it. Not I don't like that tool for that job. Okay, that's just me. Well, but, you know. Anyway, before the solder mask thing, I'll tell you, you know, I've yeah. talked here about the, the fingerboard repair before. And when you when you have your blank, so you've soldered on an edge connector. So basically, you've turned the male fingerboard into a female and you have to put a straight through blank into it to reconvert yeah. it back to a male. Yeah, you, those come so many pins long and you've got to cut them down to fit your your use case and i'm the same way i'll use a dremel and i don't i don't know whether it's just some some uh weird fear that i have but i just imagine while i'm sitting there with that with the cutoff wheel on the dremel it's gonna i'm gonna hold it i'm gonna twist it just wrong and it's gonna bounce out of there and i'm gonna have 
I'm going to have it in my eye. And you know, the pro- the part of the problem is it's the size of the Dremel tool because of the way you have to hold it. And I know that they make remotes for those or like, or like extension. Um, you can put it like on a cable, like on a wire. Yeah, yeah, just like an extension cable. It's like a for, dentist drill type thing. Exactly. I know that they make those. Oh, excuse me. That was podcast fail as well. I'm sorry. <laughs> but... um. I, for whatever reason, I just cannot get over the mental block yeah. of of that thing skating around the board. I've had that. I, yeah. it's, it's the con- it's the control factor, not the tool factor. I I love Dremel. It's just, to me, it's just not the right tool for the job. So here, here you asked about solder masks. Yeah, so you're yeah. looking at a board, and ninety eight percent of the arcade PCBs of of kind of that classic genre, they're going to be they're they've got this green color. Okay, and anywhere that there's a component. Um, there you can see the uh, uh, the silver color of the contact where you're soldering the component. Yep. Okay. Yep. The solder mask is what is actually that green layer, and uh-huh. you'd have to, we'd have to ask you someone that's a, a electrical engineer or PCB designer actually what that's made of. Yeah. But it's a coating, if you will. So if that wasn't there, basically you would see the raw copper of all of the traces that skate around under that solder okay. mask. So, so under the solder mask, they look darker green yes. or darker whatever color the mask is. I've seen blue mask. I've seen purple mask. Yeah. Generally Generally, it's green in the majority of your boards. So what I equate this to is when you, if you pick up a PCB and you look at it, the solder mask is that tin foily type of, of coating that goes over those traces and, and really kind of protects it. For exactly. Lack of a better yeah, term. it protects it. And, and so it, it always has a, a kind of like a crinkled kind of dimpled look to it, even though it's flat. So it, it has that kind of foil look to it. So well, and a lot so of that, times you'll, 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 you'll get that foil look like. If it's a wide trace, mm-hmm. like for the ground plane, yeah, and uh, that's where all the grounds run to. Exactly, so that's the common rail. That's your on common the board rail for your grounds, free ground across the entire board. Yeah. I've seen older boards where the, especially the ground rail, kind of get that, where maybe some of the trace has lifted just a little bit. Yeah, get that crinkly gets look. that crinkly kind of bubble look to it. But but yeah, so I, I guess in layman's terms, that's kind of what you're looking at right. with the solder mask. Yeah, so, so okay, you know, fair the, enough. the corrosion will get on one of those those exposed pads that you solder to. And it just runs everywhere. And it gets right underneath that mask and starts traveling the trace, just like a highway, well, right see, under the mask. To me, you won't even see that because the mask covers that up and then that corrosion just, it just follows the board. Just It just right. runs it. Well, you can like, see it. It'll be dark. Oh, oh, it'll be yeah, dark. So Okay, it'll yeah. be darker. Okay. Yeah, so if you're like, look, if you look back in an earlier picture where I'd picked up. Oh, the, oh okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A perfect okay, yeah. example my bad, my bad. Yeah, is if you, if you look in the pictures, there's several where I show where the battery holder was. If you look right at the B2 battery holder, or excuse me, the B2 battery position, and it's silk screened on the board. And yeah. silk screen, think of silk screen. Silk screen is just like when you silk screen a t shirt. You lay, you've, you've got a. a uh, it's a method to lay a pattern down like an ink down mm-hmm. and they they actually use silk and they they open a space in the silk or they they in today's day and age they may use some some engineered equivalent of silk uh, i'm not sure we'd have to ask a printer in that case but uh, um it, it's a it's a template if you will or a stencil there mm-hmm. we go that's where yeah, i'm for that's stencil the best, that's the best so word. that's what a silk screen is if you ever hear anyone talk about well i've got uh, a resistor value or re- resistor number silk screened on the board it's literally printed on the board so with you know what the, the layout the, is with the stencil yeah so anyway you look back at the pictures look at where the where b2 is and that's the middle battery and you can see the silk screen has got the outline of a battery mm-hmm. with a plus and minus yep. the lower right hand corner 
Yeah, it is. It's it's ate up. It's bad. ate up. You can see yeah. that whole area. You can and it, the there's a I, I believe that's I believe that's actually a ground plane there. Yeah, and it it pretty much runs through that entire B two area. You know, it just happens to be there. And then the B2, the, the, that was the space is what I'm trying to say, that they had set aside to set the battery. And then they did things with traces and they're like under it. Yeah. Okay. So you can you can definitely see this dark blob um, that's in the lower right-hand corner. And that's where the corrosion has gotten under the trace, excuse me, under the solder mask. And it's followed that copper and it's just sitting there waiting to do more damage. Yeah. So. Yep. All right, let me scoot back over here too. Yeah, so you've got so you've got the board wrapped at this point. I've got the board wrapped. Now, yeah. what I'm going to do this is the third method I hear a lot about, and this is a method I like, and uh, it was actually kind of taught to me by Edward Lutz here in town. And the reason I actually went to Edward was because of some of the questions I had, which hopefully I'm going to help people with here today. I've got all of the board wrapped in plastic, mm-hmm. and I've got it taped. Um, with uh, painter's tape uh-huh. right up to the edges of where everything is damaged, and I'm going to media blast it in a blast cabinet. Yeah. Now, and Brent, I had I had posted the question of what do you what are you what type of media are you using? You're not you're not using like glass bead. No, I'm using glass bead. You are using yes, glass. I am bead. not using sand. I'm not using. I'm for whatever reason I thought you responded. You were using like a soda blaster. I may, maybe I just miss. Maybe I'm thinking of something different. Have to, I'd so. have to exit back out of the pictures yeah. and go back and look at the comments. But this and this this is the one stage of things. At the time that that I was shown this technique, I had a couple. First of all, I didn't have a, a, a cabinet, and you know, don't let that stand in your way. You would be surprised if you asked around how many friends that you have, people that maybe have an automotive hobby, other arcade folks that have a cabinet, uh, or the, the you, I bet everyone out there has a friend that has a media cabinet yeah. you don't need a large cabinet you can use a desktop type or a, a bench top type cabinet for this yeah. you don't need a lot of air pressure so you don't need a, an over-the-top air compressor if you wanted to go out and buy a cabinet you know we've talked about harbor freight a million times on the show mm-hmm. you could go into harbor freight get an inexpensive cabinet a small air compressor and probably you, even a pancake one. Oh yeah, yeah one of the compressor absolutely for one, doing like finish nailing and stuff like that. Yep, yeah, you, that's more than enough. Now, if you want to go through the exercise of doing it, uh, actually, now that you say that, Whitney, when I did this, I don't even think I brought out my medium sized compressor. I've got like a little thirty gallon to roll around. Mm-hmm. I think I just pulled out the little pancake couple gallon compressor I have for an air nailer. Yeah, because you're running such low pressure. Yeah. You know, yeah, you mentioned using glass glass bead media from uh, Harbor Freight, and you mm-hmm. said you think it's equivalent of eighty grit. So yeah, okay, that, that's cool because I think I'd ask the question on you know where'd you get the media from and what what you were using. I just I'd forgot what you'd responded with. So yeah, my apologies there. Now the reason everything is bagged up, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure I'm going to get well. You're, that's not very ESD safe. And da, 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 da. honestly, um, yeah, um, it is a plastic bag. Yeah. I, I could there's a myriad of ways to do it and i hate to fall back on the i've never had a problem to excuse it but i've never had a problem but i've never had a problem i've yeah. never had a problem fair enough um and i don't honest, think there's anything on this board that would have held a charge anyway dude and Not all, looking at it and in all honesty you know you're going to get a little excess static zipping around in there anyway um I mean, it's not going to be a lot, but it, it's going to be enough to do any kind of damage that a plastic bag is going to do to it. Um, 
First so world, anyway, first that's world yeah, that's what I run with. I just yeah. I just put like a Walmart or put it in a Walmart like a Kroger bag, yeah. and and tape everything up, and then just basically leave just the space that I want a media blast. And the idea here is just to protect everything in case uh, you know I get a little crazy or uh, uh, something happens, and I get the 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 core the the airline for the the media blast gun caught on something and it shoots up across the edge of the board or something out of the area that I want to touch I don't I don't you know I minimize my my risk of damaging other areas I don't have to worry about yeah, you it you got a contact patch and that's it yeah, yeah. And, and it also draws you know when if you've ever media blasted it gets to be a little bit of a mess in the cabinet. It's hard to see. I put a light in mine. It's better, but it's still difficult. Um, you got, you know, the the inside on the media cabinet, the inside of the the viewing screen. They usually have protectors over them because as that as that media rolls around in there, it bounces around. Even yeah. after it's bounced off something, it still tends to scratch the viewing area. So yeah. I mean, what I'm saying here is is that errant bits of that media. Uh, ping pong and around in the cabinet can get into other things so yeah. you know i just protect the area and it also helps draw focus to the area that i want to work on you know i don't have to i can go right to it i know exactly what i need to do it's there's a hole in the in the covering i put on the board so i've got in, in this picture the picture i'm looking at i've got the board wrapped it's uh wrapped in painter's tape and uh, uh, I've got just the area exposed. Now, one of the things I will mention is there's on this board where the processor goes in. It's not a through hole type thing. It's I think it's a I think it's the chip type is a PLC. It, it's in a later board. Folks that they're they're messing with pinballs or maybe even used to some later like JAMA games, where you've got. Um, and I'm I'm way behind on what this technology is, but basically you've got a chip that just fits by friction in a socket and. Usually they're square chips. They're not like through-hole chips, like a like a, a an old Z80 processor or something. And the pins, if you will, on the chip kind of wrap up the sides, mm-hmm. and you literally just push it down, and it makes contact on four sides. I think like a PLC. Uh, again, I'm out of my game here, but uh, I did specifically tape over that because I didn't want any errant media to get down inside of that Mm -hmm. so even after i pull this bag off there's still media that like powder that has made its way over the rest of the board i'm just really trying to minimize that so when i'm done i'll even take this this board out take the rest of the air in the tank and i'll blow the board off with a you know with a with an air gun yeah so got it next picture this is after i have blasted the board so now the question is, is, and this is one of my big questions, what, what pressure did you run to blast the board? You know, it's, it's real easy to say, oh, yeah, just jump in there and just just have at it. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of your air tools run at 90 PSI. Yeah, 80 to 100 easy. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. What I've done use the same cabinet, the same media, and I've done stainless steel like for pinball ramps, and I'll run it 80 to 90. And I'll, that's how I'll polish a ramp out. I'll clean a ramp up. In this case... You want to go low. Start at around 30, 30 PSI. Test a little. See what you've done. Uh, you can run low and just take a little bit more time, or you can run a little higher and get it done a little quicker once you get a better technique. I'd start at 30. I'm not going any more than 40. 
And even here, I said, I'm running the compressor at 35 to 40 PSI is what I said here in the Facebook post. You know, that was one of the questions I had, like I said, going into this. Yeah, I can media blast, but what's a good pressure? I didn't want to start really super conservative and not be anywhere and wonder if I'm doing this right. And I also didn't want to start too high, like 50 or 60, and just end up just chewing right through everything and nothing was salvageable. Yeah. Yep. So if you're taking a look, the picture that we're ta- I'm taking a look at now, I have already blasted the board. I've already pulled off all the protective uh, bag and tape and all that kind of fun stuff. And I've cleaned it up. I've sprayed it down with, uh, um, with some, the, the remaining air that was in the tank. And uh, let's see, I'm trying to just trying to be consistent here. I'm not sure if at this point I've actually even done a chemical clean on it. I may, maybe I've done that at a later stage. Regardless, no, you you say at the next picture uh, post post blast. Yeah, you do the you do the board to clean the board okay, with white good. vinegar. Yeah. So at this point, you can see what has basically happened is everywhere there's corrosion, that solder mask is weakened. And the solder mask has been taken off by the media blasting. Okay, so a good place to go again. We've talked about this is that B2 area where the the second middle battery was. You can still see all the solder mask that's right there on that grid that is that I believe, like I said, I believe it's a ground plane that's used to connect a lot of grounds together. That pretty much encompasses that whole space where the battery would sit. This is under the battery. And the only bit of that solder mask that's gone is is the area that was affected by the battery corrosion. And you can tell it's gone because the that, that dark color is gone and you're looking at the copper and it's copper colored because yeah. you've actually just taken... Yeah, you're, see, you're seeing you, the trace. You're seeing the actual bare trace. Yeah. Yeah. All right? So if you also notice in, in the picture... Uh, in the B1 area the, for the battery one that's to the right of this B2, we've had some really, really thin traces that are literally just curled up and dangling where they weren't strong enough to, to remain on the board. They've all, they were damaged enough, eaten through enough with the corrosion that by the time you basically kind of just beat them up with this media blasting, they broke free and they just started to curl up. They were, they're done. All right. And this is this is kind of actually where the bulk of the work is, which is just rebuilding those little traces. You jump them end to end with with some some fine gauge wires, which you're doing. All right. So let's move on to the next picture. And uh, okay, now this looks more familiar. Whitney said, reminded me this is after this is this picture is after I've gone in. My next step is to do the vinegar. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and clean it chemically. Uh, with a vinegar bath and I do 100% vinegar I just take a toothbrush dip it in 100% white vinegar scrub it down real good then I'll mix it and I'll 50-50 I'll scrub it down and then I'm straight water and I scrub it down kind of like as a rinse at this point I've also any trace that's curled up I've taken a pair of those Exolite cutters and I've gone ahead and cut back the excess. So if I if I had it hanging off the board and dangling, I cut all that extra stuff loose so that it's no longer on the board. All right. And it and there's several traces that you can see in this picture that just flat out end. And they end an inch or three quarters of an inch away from where they originally ended at a pad. And you can see a little bit of a ghost in the in the substrate that is the the base of the PCB where the trace actually used to run that's actually handy later when it comes time to try to do the repair so 
I end this point. I just, I mentioned I went straight water and a toothbrush. I generally put it under a vegetable sprayer, spray it straight down. I'm going to go back to the, a lot of people will say you, you want to use um, purified water or filtered water or I'm going to fall back on the old. I've never had a problem. I don't sit there and just like, you know, absolutely just dunk it for like four days. I spray it down real thoroughly, straight tap water, and I, I set it somewhere to dry. You know, I'll tap it dry with a with a paper towel or something, and then I tend to set it on edge so that, it you know, anything that might be trapped under a chip or something will have an opportunity to run out instead of just laying it flat. A lot of times I'll come by a couple hours and flip it, you know, so if it's on one side, I'll turn it on the other. I won't power a board up that I've done this to for a good day, two days. I make sure it's good and dry. Yeah, dude, this is the same thing I do when I clean monitor chassis. I do it right with a hose. I I do it, spray them off, you know, with some Wesley's bleach white, hit them with a hose, and then essentially, you know, turn them on their long edge and allow the water to drain on Mm -hmm. the short, on the short edge, stick them in front of a fan, and then I don't work on them for at least 24 hours. Absolutely. just let them sit there under air, and I've never had a problem with that. You know, everything's always worked very good. So at this point, you've got, you've identified your, uh, your, your damaged areas. You've removed all the components. You've protected the board uh, so that you can take it into a media cabinet. You've media blasted it with fine glass beads at a low pressure. Take your time. Get, you, get an old PCB or alarm clock or something like that. VC, VCR a, board. Exactly. Yeah. And stick it in the cabinet and, you know, cut you know cut a bunch of resistors off of it so you can actually get to some traces. Ah, dude, TV chassis from tube swaps. Yeah, there you Th- go. That Perfect. Just, you know, the, the chassis you pull out of old TVs. Perfect. Yeah. That'll give you some experience as to how, how long you can let the gun linger, how fast you need to move it. You know, and I keep... The whole time I'm doing it, I keep the gun moving. I don't hold it in a spot. And if I need to uh, pay some more attention to a spot, I just work back and forth over that spot like I'm kind of feathering in paint, like if I was spray painting. I don't just pick an area and just, like, hold it there and let it go. Yeah. Uh, it will just absolutely chew it up. It's like you running. Know? It's just like running a rattle can, man, Exactly. To that. Exactly. Yeah. You don't want runs. You don't want runs. That's right. All right, so in my next picture, I'm starting to rebuild the traces. And this is by far the most labor-intensive part of all of it. I know uh, everything prior sounds a little bit involved. And again, I'll stress, you can do everything that I've discussed with the tools that you probably already have up until the blast cabinet part. If you want a blast cabinet, they're very inexpensive at Harbor Freight. Find a buddy that's got one and, and, and just and do it to it. Chances are you know somebody that does. So when you get back to rebuilding the traces, the pictures that you t- had taken earlier that I mentioned, they're your friends as reference to where A and B go. Another helpful thing to keep in mind is is that you can take that board and hold it up to a, a stout light, a very strong light, and you know the light behind the board, look at the board, and it will help if you will, the ghost image of the trace that's now been potentially blown away, it will help that stand out. And you can say, oh, okay, this this follows this path. And all I'm doing is I'm finding uh, an upstream and a downstream component or, or solder location 
of the missing trace, the trace that was lost during the cleanup process. And I'm taking some 30 gauge solid wire that came right from Radio Shack and I'm jumping point A and point B. Now, if you're doing something that's a little bit more stout, say you're having to you're you're having to correct a power rail or something, it's a heavy heavy trace. You want to use a little heavier wire. In this case, if you take a look at these pictures, all these traces are very fine. They're real small, and I felt uh, more than comfortable with using, like I said, this really really thin 30 gauge wire. So as you're looking at this picture, it's pretty obvious that I'm going into uh, a component on one end, but on the other end, it's just a hole. And that hole is what's called a via. In this particular situation, uh, the traces that tend to be affected on these WPC boards, the um, underneath the battery, there is a, a series of traces that run up, and then they hit a via, which passes them through the board to the backside. So is so is that the pad, essentially the little circular pad with the hole in it? Is that's that what you're exactly referring what to? that is. Yeah. Okay. So that that's I, I never I never knew it had that proper yeah, name. Yeah, so. it's called a via. Okay. okay cool. Like you get this is how you get one side from one side of oh, the board oh, to the other via via the hole via yeah. the hole. Okay, gotcha. And, and if you look at it, it looks just like but a little smaller. It looks just like a, a place, a hole where you would solder a component. Mm-hmm. So what happens is during the solder process, those holes are filled with solder and that uh, will help the, the contact, if you will. If there's actually uh, a trace that, that rings that hole to make your, 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 to conduct from top to bottom of the board, if you will, from side to side. But those will be filled in with solder during the solder process. I just cleaned that solder out of that hole. I inserted my uh, into my jumper in it, refilled the hole with solder, and then on the other end, I, I went ahead and just attached to whatever component was there. So yeah, those are called vias. And like I said, if you see those somewhere on a board, uh, a trace just follows along, and there's a little round hole, and then you flip the board over, and there's a mating hole, and then the trace keeps going. That's called a via. And really kind of what you're doing there, if you look at them a lot of times, if when they're laying a board out, if they have a trace that, well, I need to get from point A to point B, but I have another trace that's in the way, they'll use a via and they'll flip, they can flip to the other side of the board, keep that path to get to their point B. And then uh, some, uh, I've even seen boards where they'll go uh, along one side, a via to the other side, they'll make their jump across whatever was in the way and then they'll go a via to the other side back to the original side and then they'll carry on so that that's what that's called and that's what it does hmm. so the, the rest of the pictures follow Dude, out we learned something new every oh my day. gosh there's exciting it, it things great? It, it's awesome so the rest of the pictures uh work through the process of me jumping the rest of these traces so here's something to here's something to keep in mind earlier i'd mentioned that if it looked i mean just even had a hair a thought of having corrosion on it replace it that same methodology works here if the trace looks in any way shape or form like it might be suspect even if you can see all the copper and it's very bright and very pretty if there's a little nick in it and it just looks odd jump it because chances are it's going to be weak and if you flex that board a little bit putting it in it might go ahead and open up and and when i did this on my atoms i had that i had that on my atoms i had several traces that i toned out with a with a multimeter 
They all had continuity. Everything was peachy keen. Everything was hunky-dory. I put the board back in the game, and I started getting instantly started getting switch errors. And, you know, this is this is indicative of this board, the board that I these pictures are taken from the same thing, the MPU board and the Adams, that lower portion of those WPC CPU boards. That's basically where the switch matrix comes into the board and then uh, it's read and handled and then eventually works its way into the CPU. So right off the bat, I had switch problems. I went back and I had I, I had a broken trace. It was a trace that I didn't jump, but it was a trace that was in this affected area. So assembling it had jostled it enough that a little nick or whatever had turned itself into a complete split and the trace was dead. So I had to add another jumper. And the very last picture has basically me showing what the board is like dressed out. Once I had put it in the game and tested it and I, I felt good that all my jumpers were good, played several games with it, beat it up for a little while, I took some hot glue and then any of my traces uh, that I had jumpered all my jumpers I bundled up and I hot glued back down to the board just to kind of keep them protected you know in case somebody was in the head or somebody was doing some work on the CPU somewhere down the road wouldn't pull one the wire exactly they yeah. weren't just flying and somebody could 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 you know get a hold of it and then and then damage the board again yeah and you know all in all it this sounds very involved it took me you know I think Whitney we've been talking about it here about 40 minutes it's it seems daunting. It's not that daunting of a task. It just takes a little time and it takes a little patience. But, you know, if, if you go back and you consider what some of these boards cost to replace, whether it's a trying to find a working pole position board or if you've got a kicks board or a zookeeper board. There's, with a, there's 100,000 pole position boards and there's 17 of them that work. Exactly. Yes. We're all fighting for those same 17 <laughs> Are, boards. Aren't we though? Yes. It, you know, if you go back and you look at this board, the, the, the series of pictures was taken uh, uh, on, on, from which this series of pictures was taken. It was, I caught it very early. It was very minimal damage. Yeah. Like I said, I think it was four, eight, 12 resistors, one I see that was like 90 cents. So there's probably, there's $2 in parts here. Well, I mean, it looks But like- it, in a little time versus replacing an, this MPU with a, an original board that works from a scrapped game or an aftermarket MPU, like mm-hmm. a rotten dog or something. Right. It, to me, in this case, it's well worth the repair. Well, you know, Brent, they, they say, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And the good thing is, is that, you know, walking through this, I think, you know, I've learned something. I think everybody learned something by walking through this with you. But having the pictures is the perfect sidecar for this because you can you can go you can refer back to this and kind of see what you were talking about or you know, use one to help, you know, increase the understanding of the other. The thing that that relates it the most to me, though, is for doing arcade PCB repair where there may not be reproduction PCBs. Oh, yeah, good point, yeah. So, so let's take like a Donkey Kong 3 board that has the battery holder on it. Let's take a Williams Defender board that has the battery holder on it or a Joust or a Sinistar, any of those boards... Dude, there is no rotten dog reproduction there for is a not. Sinistar PCB. So either you fix it or you trash it. And trashing it is expensive 
and not altogether the best option, okay, for a number of reasons, because you trash a board that cannot, that has not been reproduced, and you're buying... Omega Race. Omega Race. That's a great one, dude, where there's very few of the... Well, dude, that was the only Bally Vector ever made, Mm -hmm. if memory serves me correctly, and how many of those boards are actually out there? There's probably quite a few working ones. There's probably not a lot, and when I say quite a few... <laughs> that probably still means not a lot. <laughs> you know, you're talking about things that are reproduced. Here's an example. This just popped in mind of something that is replaceable, but not always. You know, I'm having a hard time with with, with words here. To for this entire show, I am I've completely lost my mind yet again. I think this happens every show. Uh, here's here's an example. It does. It really yeah, oh does. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I'm gonna so rage quit this well, thing. We're gonna get you a bottle of pills or something. I'm gonna dude. so rage quit this show. <laughs> <laughs> Here's an example of something that you've got a, an option for replacement, but not a good replacement in all situations, and that's the power supply board for an MCR2 game, like a Spy Hunter or a Tron or yeah. my Domino Man or a Tapper or a Timber. A lot of people uh, complain that when they do like a switcher replacement, they have audio problems, and then there's usually like startup shutdown problems. Yeah, Williams are the same way. Well, dude. Williams are the same way. Yeah, some people on the on the Bally side, on the MCR two side, uh, the Mid- Bally Midway side, uh, they have that works just fine. But some people it doesn't. It seems like it's about a fifty fifty split. This exact same process is exactly how I would tackle the battery corrosion problem on one of those linear power supply boards. Yeah. Yeah, because there's no reproduction. There there's not. So it's either you fix it or you buy someone else's that hopefully doesn't have the same problem. Right. And you know, you you've asked me this before, Whitney. My opinion is is that unless it's something that is absolutely catastrophic, it could cause you catastrophic issues like you mentioned with your zookeeper. Yeah. I'll I will repair the linear supplies. There's yeah. nothing in my basement now that has a linear supply factory that has been converted. Yeah. yeah. You know, my, my Williams game, I've only got one down here right now. Defender, it's got the factory supply. All my MCR2 games down here, factory supply. Yeah. And, you know, um, all of my games have the factory supplies in them, except for, well, I guess the first one will be this this Zookeeper that, that has a switcher in it instead of the factory power supply. Yeah, you're, you're not trading... You're not trading... Uh, bad for worse you know in terms of like if you had a tron and you put a uh, a switcher in it and you ended up with one of the ones that had a constant hum and maybe startup problems yeah you know your your bad there is is it could take the board out and there's no worse side of it it will run it will boot it will work just fine with no, a switcher just kills it you know so, so yeah Dude, I tell you what, we haven't had a deep dive segment in in several months. It was kind of good to get back to one, wasn't it? That's awesome. It uh, is. Hopefully, it, hopefully, I didn't like completely just like verbally fumble my way through that. No, no, I no. Thought no. I was, and when you're trying to describe something so visual, especially yeah. with the pictures in front of you, yeah. that you may not have as a listener, it's difficult. That yeah. that adds a little level. It, of, it, it does. It, admittedly, it does. But hopefully, that will drive. Uh, drive some listeners to go to the Facebook page and then kind of walk along with that. Because I think, Brent, Brent, what you just did was the best example of podcast picture pages I've ever seen, you know? (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, my my favorite part was I tried to describe whatever in the world this chip is right in the middle. And in the last picture of the series, and in the first two, right in the center of the board is the processor. It's the square chip. It's about an inch by an inch. 
And um, for the EEs out there, where I completely destroyed with this this series of this this technology it's like, is called it's like a ZIF socket or something. I apologize. Along. Yeah, yeah. It's not my forte, you know. But uh, um, yeah, I, anybody out there, you can do this repair. I would encourage you to do, you know, to you, if if you're uncomfortable, like Whitney said, take an old monitor, take an old tube cha- or a, a TV chassis, an alarm clock, you know, PCB, yeah, and and just practice with it a little bit until you. It, it, there is a little technique to it, but you're running such low pressure that you really would have to try to screw something up. And when you see this, if you come out to our Facebook page and take a look at these pictures, you'll understand how fine the traces are on this board versus say uh a, a board out of a bally pin or your pole position or the your mcr2 power supply traces those are some pretty beefy traces so you got you got a little bit more leeway there obviously there's the function of how damaged they are yeah. so um again just take your time take some pictures use the light trick hold it up to a light i think there's even some pictures on bob roberts page where he where he has a couple light fixtures and he holds a board up to it you can see the outline of the original trace take your time you know it's it's like that you know when they talk about uh using a using a saw measure twice cut once (laughs) look twice you know soldered in there one time <laughs> jumper, and just once. Move, jumper once yeah no it, it's all good stuff man and you know i i learned something and you know and kind of going through the exercise and i'm you know i'm sure it'll be something that other people can refer back to so, it, so I, it's it's good i just saw something here that i'll I'll, uh, I'll mention one last thing and then we'll move on whitney's got a bunch of cool stuff to tell us about dude if, it is restoration heaven yes. this month if you're yeah. doing if you're doing a remote battery holder on anything on your pole position on your mcr2 power supply for your high scores on your on your pinball boards whenever i do a remote battery holder i like to put a break point in it so like if you look at the one that's in this picture it's actually got like a nine volt style battery header on top of the uh, battery holder i bought that style battery holder and then i got uh, uh some nine volt battery leads so that i could mate to that to my battery holder that's got my three double a's in it and then i just extended that lead actually <laughs> that's you can awesome see, so it's like double a's and nine volts together yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so w- the idea is is that you know if you want to change the batteries in your game and you want to keep your high scores you turn the game on uh-huh I, I will uh, uh, Velcro this battery holder to the inside of the head or in the side of the cabinet. That's a really good idea. Yeah. yeah. I, I open the game up. I take the battery holder yeah, I totally out. get that now. I can disconnect it. Just, yeah. Just pop it, whether I use, you know, some cases I've used like a, an eighth-inch male-female connector, like from headphones. Uh-huh. And I'll just unplug it, stand there. I'm not kind of bent over in a weird position, change, and, change my battery. It's running, and it, it has that info. Yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah. I, whenever I change any of my batteries in my in my pins or any of my games, I turn them on. Yeah, and I I pull the battery holder out. I walk over to wherever, pop the batteries out, pop the batteries in, plug it back in, stick it back on the Velcro. Done. Done. I'm yeah. not leaning over the game. I'm not fumbling around inside the game with it running. Yeah. Um, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty sweet. That, that works out. Saves well, me man. a lot of time, a lot of trouble. Well, see, I've learned two things now. So yeah, it's awesome. So. Yeah, Brent. So we'll definitely label that a deep dive. I think that started as a technical discussion and, oh, yeah. and, and went and went into a deep dive. But like I say, that's good. Uh, we haven't had one in several months, and it's it's kind of good to uh, 
kind of good to walk through all that. So yeah, that's awesome, dude. I know I will refer back to that because I've got a couple boards that I will uh, I, I will definitely need to to do that with. So Whitney, looking down at the show notes, it looks like we have uh, man, we got some awesome stuff in the reproduction. Gosh, dude, in the I, reproduction arena. Well, you know, here's the thing. I mean, you know, we just talked about what you can't reproduce, fixing what either can't be reproduced or or you, you just don't see just don't see fit in spending the money on from a replacement when you can fix it. But, you know, Brent, on the on the reproduction side, I mean, the hobby has been running strong this month. Um, just going to revisit uh, one thing that we've kind of been doing a running status on in, in some of the other episodes, or prior episodes, rather, is the reproduction Nintendo coin doors. Uh, Take Man on Clove has done those, and uh, so the time for the pre-order is is past. But if you want to get some of those those doors, you probably want to contact him on Clove because he always runs a few extras. But Brent, when it's when these are gone, uh, it may take a lot longer to get a third run done because the last time that he did the run was probably two or so years ago maybe even close to three and um you know it took a lot longer to get the interest thread built to critical mass on the second mm-hmm. run of the doors a lot of folks uh, had probably already jumped uh, in on the they, first they, run they, and they jumped were ready in to on go. the third run uh, on the first run they got the doors that they wanted like i say it took longer on the second time the third time around it, it could take literally half a year to get the interest you know to the level of, of uh where he could justify doing the doors but hey we do have uh we you know for everybody who hopped in on that they're getting their doors here pretty soon dude on re on new reproduction artwork i mean i have uh i've just been like a kid in a in a candy store this past month you know and just you know trying to ferret this stuff out and, and making note of it um one item that i have had some personal uh some personal interaction or i guess some some personal um I guess responsibility for that I'm that I'm pretty proud of is I've been working with uh, with Darren uh, at uh, Phoenix Arcade and he has we've now gotten enough interest to start the pre the uh, the pre order thread for the Rally X uh, reproduction bezels and these are going to be silk screened on glass Brent and that's going that uh, the pre order runs until February first twenty fifteen okay we have to get fifteen people committed um, by that date if not Darren refunds everybody's money now, and, he, I and he shuts it down i haven't jumped on board with this one but yeah uh, i plan to kind of like i did with the burger time that i mentioned earlier it, it, with the intention of i'm just going to sit on the bezel and one day here, i'll have a rally x and I, here's the thing i personally appreciate that uh and i know everybody else uh, who was in that thread appreciates you know anybody kind of hopping in and doing this because brent here's the thing i went back and looked at when we opened the the pre the, the interest thread between the time that we opened the interest thread and the time that we actually got the pre-order started was over a year, Brent. So it took it took over a year to get it to the point to where he to where Darren actually started accepting money. Okay, and um, I doubt that these will ever be redone again because it took so long to get it to the point to where Darren said yes, let's do it. 
Now, um, we're doing bezels first, or I'm sorry, there's, there's the only we is in France. I apologize. <laughs> so, uh, it's French. It, he is doing the bezels first. Okay. And, uh, he, he said that if there's enough in, if the bezels go smoothly and, and we hit the, we hit the numbers that, uh, hopefully the marquees will happen second. All right. But the bezels are first. That's the, that's the test run on this. Um, Darren has my bezel out of my rally X and he has used that to do all the spot checking on the, on the artwork and everything like that. So uh, I would suspect that after February 1st, we should probably have the bezels in hand probably within a couple months after that, four to six weeks. So now on the on the full upright Rally X, yeah. what's the common fail with those? Is it I, I've, flaking? I was going to say flaking. It, they, I've seen the... The paint, or I'm sorry, the paint. The, the, the screen print is just so so thin and, and it gets so it's gotten so brittle that... that, that it just it just flakes off. Oddly you know? enough, I, I've seen more examples of the Cabaret Rally uh-huh. X, and it was flaking. It, I was just wondering so. if the upright was the same. Well, way. It, the upright is the same way, and it's actually worse because there's a lot more of each color, yep. and and there's a lot more surface area, and it flakes just as bad. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. When Darren saw my when I when I sent him my bezel, he looked at it and he emailed me back, and he goes. Good gosh, no wonder you wanted to get these done. He said this, you know, it's horrible looking and it it was. And I probably have one of the better Rally X bezels I've ever seen and hmm. it still looks horrible, you know. So so that's that. So yes, please everyone, if you if you think you could ever own a Rally X and are interested in it, please uh, you know, please please help do the community push and let, let's get these things reproduced. The other item Brent that I just uh, I it, I'm so I'm so happy it's I'm so happy it's mappy dude uh darren went ahead and surprised everybody in just um a few well we're, we're recording this in the middle of december so it would have been earlier this week that he just uh kind of you know posted up on clove and said hey everybody guess what i did mappies anyway so the mappy marquees are are now available at phoenix arcade site and it was um you know a couple people posted in the threads and called it a christmas miracle <laughs> and i would even i would even go so far as to as to second that because the last time these were run brent was uh in excess of 10 years ago now are these on, are these series. glass or are these on like a plex or polycarbonate this uh, you know something um i need to go back and look i'm just wondering i i the know, original was what was the original do the you know the original was plex okay, okay. Well, i'm yeah. sure it probably and, is. and i'm sure i'm sure this is the which same which is fine i was just which, wondering. which is fine yeah um actually you know something i need to go back and look at that but i'm going to i'm going to say that it is plex but here's the thing um you know the the nice thing about it is that uh he did a batch of them and so for some time i think the demand on this is fairly low and um I think there'll be a. I think this batch will be available for for a bit. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: once they're gone, it may be another ten or twelve years before they're ever reproduced again, if they're ever reproduced again. So I mean that that's really the. You know, I, I guess that's really the the big thing there. You know, is is that it's like wow these these were done and it's pretty um you know it's pretty amazing that they were actually done so um yeah I, Brent, while we're while we're moving through this i'm gonna i'm gonna verify that so that so that they are um so that we know whether it's it's plexi or glass but dude i, I think it is plex so so uh, if you're looking you want me to go ahead and hit the next thing that's on our list yeah yeah if you don't mind it looks like um arcade shop um has uh, we, we, this came in from listener Mike Martin 
and he's been in touch with Arcade Shop, and it looks like there's a brand new repro cabinet for Qbert available uh, for uh, $325 with a wooden control panel. Now, I haven't looked at this. This is actually kind of news to me, and I'm assuming that's probably not painted. But, uh, I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier when it came and we were discussing. It's, it, that's yellow melamine, actually. Okay, all yeah, right. So yeah. it, you're kind of pretty much ready to go to art to, to take care of the art and, yeah. and, and reassemble the cabinet. So you know, we touched a little bit about on Qbert earlier in the show when we were talking about the Cinematronics games and how Qbert is one of those cabinets that it just is just prone to absolute failure in short order. <laughs> I mean, they start to kind of... Uh, uh, pockmark and pimple out and the bottoms will start to open up and they will soak up water like a sponge so 325 seems like you know to me if i had a cabinet and i was faced with um okay i'm going to replace the bottom six or eight inches of this cabinet and then do a lot of work and 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 fill work and repaint work versus a new cabinet ready to go and just change over you know move my metal work over and reassemble it i think i'm going to kind of lean toward that new cabinet Dude, arena I, i'm telling you uh all things being equal most cuberts that you find are crap okay yeah from, from a cabinet perspective, mine's pretty nice but it, it's still y- yeah it, well i'll tell you my cubert is pretty nice and it's meh you yeah know? and that's with a capital m meh mm-hmm. and so you know the, the thing about it is is I, is I hate to think that i would just punt and buy a cabinet but dude at 325 I would actually consider it. You know, something tells me that Arcade Shop is not very far away from a complete Qbert. I mean, at this point, <laughs> they, they seem to be... They're getting very close. They seem to be the one-stop shop for all your Qbert needs. Yes. I mean, everything from joystick rebuild kits to uh, uh, the uh, cabinet now and all the artwork. Because yeah. w- w- when when I talked to him at Southern Fried Game Room Expo, I actually picked up all the con- the control panel and the lower control the, the lower panel artwork and, and all that fun stuff from him for my Qbert. Yeah. Hey, dude, not to use not not to bump you, but I, I will say this. I just looked it up. It is uh, on Plexi. Okay. okay. The, the Mappy yeah. Marquee yeah. is it on was, Plexi. It, that's at, great. Yeah. As original. And it is 11 color screen. Jeez. So, dude, we, we know just on like our t-shirts that we don't have for sale yet, but on our t-shirts just for the number of screens that, you know, that we have for our color, for our logo, the Broken Token logo. I mean, dude, he did 11 color screens and I just looked this up on a thread on cloth and he actually screened each color twice. Mm, I'm just looking at it right now, and I'm like, where's their 11 colors? But I'm, if he says there's 11, I'm sure there's 11. Yeah, yeah, 11-color screen print on uh, on .118 Plexi, measuring 18 inches by 21 and 3 quarters Jeez. inches. The thing is massive, dude, massive. So the simple fact that he even did this is is an arcade godsend, if you want, if you want to just know the truth of it, so... Yeah. Anyway, so we okay. So we we put that top. We put the the mappy topic. Uh, we got that covered. So yeah, I just want to make sure it was plexi and not glass. All right. So it looks like there's some news on the food fight front. Which oh, I know, dude, I know dude. it's close to your heart. Oh, dude, I, my love for food fight knows no end. And so I am so happy about this. There is um, club member Dwayne Hawley. Uh, has uh, and everybody can can look him up. It's H A W L E Y. It's D U A N E. Dwayne Hawley, all one word, has posted a couple threads where um, he is reproducing uh, Food Fight joystick parts, and he has started with the uh, the ba- the bearing assembly in the base, and he has also posted a couple of pictures of the uh, of the stick itself. And even though Brent, at the time that I took these notes, I wasn't sure about the ball top, but I did get. 
in touch with uh, Dwayne, and he did confirm that he is reproducing the stick with the ball top as well. So this is the base, the bearing assembly, and the stick, and the ball top. Uh, no word on the actual gimbals themselves, and that seems to be a very high fail item uh, on on the stick. They they wear a lot and they crack. Mm-hmm. But um, we, and I've seen an earlier incarnation of this thread, and mm-hmm. I haven't caught up with it, so I'm kind of thumbing through it right now, actually. Oh yeah, dude, it's it's awesome, man. So no ETA on it, but you know something, just the simple fact that he has posted pictures of what he's done and it even exists is is just that's good, that's good news. So hopefully 2015 will you know, will will net us some good stuff for Food Fight and uh, you know getting a good you know a good working um, and, and and I would I would say. Um, a good feeling, you know, joystick for Food Fight is is definitely uh, well underway. I haven't played a lot of Food Fight, but man, it's one that you definitely have to. Got, it it makes use have of the stick. stick. You've yeah. got to have the proper stick in order to in order to get to get the full experience on that game, dude. A, a couple of other little, uh, you know, kind of like uh, housekeeping items here. Um, if you have a Bally Midway cocktail game, and uh, in, you know, for the glass cover, you're probably losing the the clips for the glass cover. And uh, it looks like a clove, mem- clove member humdinger has uh, reproduced those. That's a that's a, <laughs> that's a humdinger. That's a humdinger. I had to beat you to it. <laughs> the uh, but uh, those clips have been reproduced. Uh, Twenty five bucks for a set of uh, eight clips with sixteen screws, and we'll have the uh, we'll have links to all this in, in the show notes and the blog post for the episode. Um, dude, Lunar Lander. Uh, now that's a game that I love that I don't get to play very often, but they, uh, it looks like a 3d arcade games, uh, on Clove has reproduced the thruster cover. It's a uh, plastic and it's in the same, uh, original hair cell texture. You know, I've never played one. Yeah. I've never seen one in yeah. person. I didn't realize that cover. I know what you're talking about Yeah, from pictures. I didn't realize it was plastic. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure enough. So that's 30 bucks. Uh, for getting that cover, and man, I'll tell you, that's uh, it's it's a it's a nice looking, nice looking reproduction. It's definitely something that I think, uh, you know, th- that I think should be supported because that's just not a uh, it's just not a high production number game, even though it is very it is very collectible. And dude, um, th- just a couple things here before we roll into the Crafty Mech interview. Um, there is a, a gentleman on Clov. He goes by Des Baz, and he's down in Australia. Australia yep. And this guy is, he is a vector uh, savant, is the easiest way to say it. Brent, you and I have bought a couple parts from him, but he is, he's gone all out, and he is, he is he's, literally. He's hand-winding his own yokes now at this point. He's hand-winding his own yokes, and dude, he has literally reproduced most everything on a 6100, and he's getting fairly close to doing the same for an Amplifone monitor. And I can't stress it enough. We'll have a link to the show notes in the show notes, but um, but dude, he is he's got uh, he's got all these sixty one hundred parts ready to roll. He's got a lot of them on for sale for Clove, and then on his website as well. And um, if you have a sixty one hundred or an Amplifone and need reproduction parts, this is the guy to get them from. Okay, so instead of dealing with a bunch of burn up, you know, high voltage boards and or crack neck boards or anything like that. You can grab reproductions from him. He's he's even reproduced, and I'm looking at the link. Uh, and this is another thread. I am so behind on my clove and online uh, online life, if you will. 
Uh, on one hand, it's a good thing, and on another hand, it's a bad thing. But well, it, the only bad thing about it is, is he runs this stuff in batches, and if you don't get it, then yep. it may be three years before you can get it again. But he's I'm uh, I'm looking at his thread that you, that you'll link to in the show notes, and he's even rerunning the uh, uh, the holders for uh, the Molex connectors that, that attach to the side of the frame on a 6100. Yeah, I, I mean, know. he's And he's got magic can replacements, too, man. You know, I mean, he's, he's got yep. it all. Or, I'm sorry, the mystery can, rather. Yes, the mystery yeah, can. The mystery yes. can replacement. He's Which is the little all. transformer that's on the that's in the high-voltage uh, high cage of the 6100. Yeah, and so, I mean, it's amazing that he has done what he has done. Please, uh, please definitely consider supporting him if you've got you know vector monitors that uh, that may need parts rebuilt. And and real quick here, Brent, to close it out, I've had a couple people contact me on Facebook and ask me where I buy my Atari Now Gel lubricant, and it's uh, it's kind of tough to come by these days. But uh, go to Lighthound.com and you can buy it in uh, in tubes all day long. Now the the Now Gel for people that aren't familiar with that, that is the lubricant that Atari recommended for things like. Uh, um, the 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 joysticks in Battle Zone for mm-hmm. the ball for the for, for the ball yeah and for like a lot of the plastic gears and, yes. and things like that so they they recommend it for for yeah for lubricating the plastic parts you know like the the bushings in the tempest the tempest yeah there you go things yep. like that uh, I recently because I had to go find mine when I did the Battle Zones you know because I had to lubricate that pivot point which is the ball at the top of the joystick you know the gotcha. joystick and the housing and yeah um, uh, it's it's very it's very common when it comes to your Atari games. Yeah, so. it is. It is. And and it can be very expensive to purchase, especially, uh, I mean, you'll find it on eBay and it can be kind of pricey there. But yeah, lighthound.com is where is where we get that at. And uh, you can buy it in several different size tubes. And, you know, it's not something you're going to use every day, but it's something that if you want to be restoration proper and do what atari did if you don't have it on hand it can kind of hold up your restoration and so you, know, you want to have some you're not wanting to use you know f- for for these pivot points the idea of it is, is it's long lasting mm-hmm. and uh it's the the viscosity that they're that, that atari finds is was or found was correct yeah and also ideally i'm assuming that this is what they were thinking of at the time and you know sometimes sometimes uh the best laid plans aren't necessarily the best laid plans when 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 time has an opportunity to take its toll. But ideally, this material will not adversely affect the plastic. Yeah, like soften it or weaken it exactly. Because a lot of the um, a lot of the lubricants that we have today, or even the cleaners, over time they could they could eat away at the at the teeth on the plastic gears or something along those lines, uh, soften the bushings or what have you. And the NioGel will not do that. It's chemically form- formulated. Uh, to not do that so it's a very safe lubricant to use when it comes to doing your restorations so yeah it's good stuff good stuff so so with that brent that's all the new stuff this month that you can go spend your money on okay and i love spending your money so this is why this is the favorite <laughs> and part it's of happening the show. it's happening oh yeah yeah exactly I can see, Expo. you get get the money machine out and start cranking the handle man so so dude i'm gonna uh, have to get my cup and get on the side get on the street corner <laughs> start start I banging ring. the light post yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude. Uh, speaking of uh, speaking of restorations and just just all around good parts to have, you know, we've touched on this uh, in in a couple past episodes, and it's the Crafty Mac te- monitor test pattern generator. Just an almost indispensable tool to have, you know, when you're doing monitor repairs and things like that. So, um, so Brent, so I reached out to uh, to Aaron Reed, who is who is the inventor and the uh, designer guess, programmer, designer programmer, manufacturer, assembler 
Mueller uh, mailroom guy on uh, on the tech support, every bit of it. Yeah, firmware developer. He's he's all of it uh, on the on the Crafty Mac TPG. Uh, Aaron was kind enough to sit down with me several weeks back. Uh, we hopped on the uh, the magic podcasting machine known as Skype, and uh, we sat down and had a very good in, a very good you know discussion on how he got the idea for this, how he you know started development on it, testing it, and uh, and really just you know what it takes to produce a product like that. Uh, today, you know, for you know, for for the arcade collectors, because man, once you use this product, you would not want to be without yeah. it. Yeah. So, and I'll, I'll echo that. I think I've talked about this on the show before. How uh, historically, I have looked on eBay trying to find an old school uh, test pattern generator. Yeah. And there was always question of you know, does it does it output you know discrete uh, RGB with a separate sink? Does it do this? Does yeah. It, does it have to have a t- does it expect for a TV and have a tuner and want to be on channel three or four or yeah, whatever? It's, and it's a mess. Does it, then does it work? Can yeah. I get a manual for it? Do you have a manual? And I've never pulled the trigger. I always just pull out a relatively expensive board and a jammer rig and have all this set up and use use it one coded into like uh, a Konami board like yeah. a Simpsons or a Turtles or something at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I I have used this product. Uh, I've, I used it on the on the monitors I mentioned the burger for the Burger Time build mm-hmm. earlier. Um, I have used. I, I really like the product. It is it's, well worth it. It's well worth the money. And and what's great is we get Aaron to sit down here and talk with us from start to finish about the test pattern generator. So, uh, Brent, why don't we go ahead and run that? And everybody, we really hope you enjoy this. You know, listening to this interview as much as we did. You know, talking to Aaron and getting the full scoop behind this product. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to uh, to an interview that I've really been looking forward to doing. We have got Aaron uh, from Clove. He goes by uh, the handle of Crafty Mech. And as everybody who's been listening to our show is probably familiar with, Brent and I have a uh, have an, an esteemed love for uh, Aaron's test pattern generators, monitor test pattern generator. It's a tool that we've uh, gotten a lot of use out of and have just really, uh, you know, just really found indispensable, you know, over the past couple of months, uh, you know, since having the tool. So I reached out to Aaron and asked him if he uh, would be interested in hopping on the show and, and talking about the the test pattern generator and all the other projects that he has and he was kind enough to join us tonight so aaron want to uh, welcome you to the show oh thanks <laughs> thank you I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys have really gotten some good use out of it oh man um, it's been great yeah i mean i've uh that's what I, that's what i really like to hear when i get feedback from people that uh maybe they had a, like a really older version of like a wells gardner pattern generator or they've just been dragging like a street fighter 2 board around <laughs> yes. everywhere they go yeah. so it's it's great to hear from people who are really excited about it because you know it seemed like a simple enough idea at first when i put it out there and the response was huge so i knew hey this this is something that i think people could really you know could really dig so yeah, it's it, it's such a perfect tool. You know, when you look at the size and the shape, and you know just the utility of it, you can keep it, you know, in a tackle box. You, you know, you can keep it in your toolbox, in your backpack, or whatever. And you know, no no matter where you run into a monitor or or a use case for it, it's it's just very portable, and so it's so much easier. Uh, to lug around and to live with, and I, I think some of the other uh, options that you mentioned there up front, yeah, the yeah. Street Fighter board. It's the Street Fighter board's hard to uh, get in a jacket pocket. 
man, it, it surely is. It surely is. Yeah, it, and it doesn't fit in a in a plastic toolbox or anything like that. You know, at right. least not easily. Not with everything else that you have to have. So, but uh, but Aaron, one one thing I wanted to do real quick before we, I guess, kind of hop into talking about you know the test pattern generator and everything like that is uh, I, I'm just, I'm kind of interested and in, I always like to you know start each one of our interviews off with with some context and kind of give give our listeners you know a feel for you know who who the person is you know behind the project behind the tool you know behind the solution and, and so with that you know I, I I've looked up your VAPS profile and and you know and, and looked up your profile on Clove as well just to try to get an idea for you know how long you've been in the community and and everything like that um, and it looks like you joined Clove you know uh, fairly recently so can you give everybody uh, I guess a little bit of background on you know what got you into the hobby and you know kind of what you're focused on is it the golden era stuff is it the '90s stuff you know you know what's Aaron after when he's you know when he's going after games fletching out your collection sure. Um... Yeah, I, I did just, I really kind of, uh, well, I got started in the actual physical hardware and, and actual cabinets about two years ago. Okay. Um, you know, in the 90s, um, late 90s, when, when MAME kind of uh, became became a thing that a lot of people got interested in, I, I played around with that quite a bit. And then, but it wasn't until about two years ago that um, uh, I just started kind of getting an interest again in the original hardware. And it was actually for a project that I'd started. Um, I was looking to make a, um, a standard res to VGA converter, which is still floating out there in prototype form somewhere in, in my workshop. I think it's in a box right now. But that, that was kind of a project I had planned. So I needed some hardware that put out a standard res arcade signal. Okay. And I got on eBay, and that's you know I kind of, and then I was like, oh wait, a minute, I remember that game. I remember that game. So that kind of, one thing led to another, and I ended up kind of with a closet full of uh, a closet full of PCBs. Yeah. Which which I which I has grown, and now I have a bigger closet full of PCBs. Um, and in the back of my mind over the last two years is like, I need cabs, you know, to put these in, I need some projects to work on. And so, um, I got lost in a couple projects like the test pattern generator that have really took off and ended up taking a lot more time of my time than I thought. But now I'm getting at a phase where I'm reaching out to friends and really looking for, um, some project cabs that I have in mind. Okay. And, and I have it, I have kind of the more of the classics. Um, you know, I was in arcades in the nineties, but really I, I started out in the early eighties with like Pac-Man and Galaga at the pizza place. I grew up in the mountains outside Denver, so we didn't really have an arcade. We, we actually had one movie theater and the screen wasn't tall enough for Darth Vader's head to fit on it. So I never saw the top of his head when I saw Star Wars. I do. But, you've got to go back and watch it because that you missed the most important part. Uh, you know, I, I mean, he's 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 not really true. menacing so, I mean, when he's populated like to that. Hang out in really, and so we'd go to Denver occasionally, and I would hang out in them. So my I cherished my exposure to games. So like the first time I played Scramble, I think I only got to play it like three or four quarters as a child, but it was like you know Christmas to me when I found this game and I loved it. Never saw it again. <laughs> until I was an adult. So is Scramble is Scramble one of your one of your favorite games? I, I would take it that's, in, or one of the ones that you well, would seek yeah, out. It, I have a lot of nostalgia for it, and I've played it a lot yeah. as an adult too. And it, it uh, and I you know I, that's definitely a game I want. And then uh, the cab, I mean those old Stern cabs. Um, I don't know. There's something you know amazing about the artwork. I mean that artwork on the bezel is a little bit infamous for certain things that may or may not be happening. Yes. With. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's just that that artwork <laughs> to me is so cool because it has kind of that pinball feel to it, but well, and being stern, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, and the control panel and yeah. So 
that that's a game. Obviously, the old Nintendo stuff, uh, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., that's kind of one of my... I have lots of parts from bezels to control panels to marquees, so boards. So I'm looking for a project cab right now to set up maybe a double or even a triple oh, Kong, okay. if that can be done. Okay. Um, in one cab with DK, DK Jr., and DK3. I have a Namco Classics board with uh, Pac-Man and Galaga, so I'd love to... Um, I don't want to pay the premium for the uh, 25th anniversary uh, cab, but I'd love to, you know, to find like a Pac-Man or a Galaga and retrofit that to to run the Jamma board with uh, with that Namco put out the 25th anniversary one. So yeah, okay, cool. Well, so kind of yeah, I grab I grab bag of swords, but definitely I came in through the hardware side uh, a couple of years ago, and um, my interest has now grown into you know I you know I'd love to start building a real collection of of uh, original machines. Um, you know, do some restoration work because I also do a lot of woodwork and I, you know, I'm just kind of, nice. I don't want to say I'm a crafty guy. I guess that's in my name crafty, but <laughs> I like making <laughs> things. I like building things. I like fixing things up. I like restoring things. So yeah. <laughs> no, I understand that you'd mentioned having, uh, having a lot of PCBs. So, I mean, are are you running kind of like a, a PCB collection at this point in time, or did those PCBs serve a purpose for just for just doing monitor signal generation or, or what have you, or, or are you going to parlay those PCBs, you know, further on down the line into, into your own collection? Yeah, I think it started out as, as really kind of test boards. Um, I was, I was, I wanted some classic stuff that maybe had some signals that, um, you know, some monitor signals or refresh rates that, that were non-JAMA, just okay. because that tended to vary a little bit. And then I wanted some JAMA stuff. And then as that converter project kind of went a bit to the wayside, uh, I started buying games that I liked or wanted to, you know, say it would be great to, you know, to, to build something around this. And then, you know, I, I have a lot of JAMA boards, too, with the idea if I can find, you know, a nice two-player um, Dynamo or something like that that could easily be made into kind of a generic JAMA cab. I, I'd have plenty of boards to throw into it. Yeah. But yeah, now now I'm to the point where I'm like, yeah, I want to thin down a lot of these this hardware um, and just kind of go with some dedicated games. But then again, I'm also, I mean, I'm a hardware kind of that's kind of my thing. My my background in school, I did. I started out in electrical engineering. I did two years of that program. Then I switched schools and did computer science. But okay. then I still had like, well, I guess the equivalent of like a minor in digital electronics. So, and I'm a software developer by trade, so oh, okay. you know, I'm kind of in the, in the tech stuff. Um, but I've always really liked the classic hardware and the old classic computers like the Commodore, the Apple, because they were so simple, you know, and, and on the hardware level, it's all like TTL logic chips, you know, um, there's nothing really that fancy, you know, the old uh, personal computers, you had no memory management, you just, you know, wrote, wrote data to memory, write it back out, and I guess they used to call it bit twiddling or uh, I like, you know, I like that really ground floor uh, stuff. No, I mean, that, that's interesting because I, I think that you know, when, when you talk about your background, as far as, you know, having an engineering background and then kind of rolling that forward into software development and, and then I guess kind of fast forward to the projects that you put out, the scanline generator, and then uh, later on into the test pattern generator, you know, it sounds like your background is, is perfectly suited for doing those types of projects. So, 
I think it would be an understatement to say that, uh, that that I wish that that I had all of those components in my background as well. Because you know, when I when I see these types of projects come to fruition, it's like, oh man, that would be so cool to have been able to do something like that. You know, so it's a, it, it's neat that it's neat that these projects can can I guess kind of fill fill a void like they do. Yeah, I mean, I, it's I guess I really enjoy. Um you know, solving problems. And that's what a lot of software development is. That's what you do is, you know, this is the task that you have and you have to solve the problems to make the, make it work and, and meet the requirements, uh, that, that, that you need to do for that application. And so that was kind of the same thing with the pattern generator. I, I was actually developing it for a different, uh, I needed to just put up some test screens for that, uh, con- that VGA converter project I was working with where I could control the screens where it's like, well, I just want a checkerboard or a grid or things like that. And then I posted on cloud and I said, well, this, this seems like the solution to a problem, which is I can generate these, these test screens. Is that something that would be, is there a problem out there? Is that the answer to something? And the response was, yeah, we'd love to have a tool that did exactly that. So it, it, I didn't even, I kind of back, backed, backstepped into the project and just offhand kind of started that thread in club right before Christmas last year. And by the time I got back from Christmas vacation, it was pretty clear to me that that's I should be working on that. And, of course, my estimate originally was, oh, this will take about 30 days. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it ended up being I April. I think I shipped them in April for the first time. But <laughs> <sighs> that's how it works. Well, that, that is, yeah, that, that is how things go. And and I, I think anybody who, you know, received one of these test pattern generators uh, can attest to, you know, the quality is there. So it, w- it was certainly worth the wait. I mean, it's, it's, the ty- it's the type of tool that, you know, once you have in your hands and you've used it, then you say, yeah, why, why didn't this show up 25 you know 20 or 25 years ago why why have we always had to resort to i don't know like you know an atari tetris board or you know or or some type of you know some jamma solution you know to put out um you know to put out a you know a a test pattern or something like that this seems like an idea that was way overdue i I guess you could say i'm sorry a product that was way overdue yeah, and I guess I mean there were there were a few pattern generators that were made, but after kind of the bust in the early '80s, um, at least from the dates, uh, some people in Cloud were talking about how old their generator was that they were previously using. It sounds like like after about '85, maybe mid '80s, um, they weren't really being made anymore. So the only generators that have been out there since have been a VGA, I guess for I guess for commercial testing of VGA monitors, right. So yeah, there has been this this long term gap, and we we talk about the Street Fighter board, but they were really cheap a few years ago. And when I first started this project, <laughs> I got some feedback, which was like, "Why don't you just why don't we just use a Street Fighter board? I mean, come on, they're like thirty bucks." Yeah. And I was like, "Well, they were thirty bucks, but yeah. now all those ninety nineties kids who grew up on Street Fighter in the arcades, they're starting to get into uh, maybe having a dedicated cabinet at home or getting into arcade collecting, and that's their that's their jam, so to speak. That's their Pac-Man that's their jam. That's Fighter. exactly right. So now those boards are like a hundred bucks. <laughs> so <laughs> there's no such thing as a cheap Street Fighter board anymore. So you know that. So the need was definitely there, and um, Claw, you know, actually Claw really helped out a lot." Because originally, I wasn't even sure if there was going to be a case. Um, I thought, well, I kind of want to crank this out so I can just produce the board. And then, you know, I started talking to people and they're like, well, you know, you're going to put that board on a chassis, a live chassis. That's probably not, that's not a good thing. You know, you want it to be insulated or protected. And then um, that's when I started looking at a case. And, and, you know, I, I got some feedback like that that convinced me, yeah, let's see what I can do for a case. So 
the Clav community really helped to shape not only the patterns that are on the pattern generator, but the form factor and what it actually ended up being. It was kind of a hand in you know hand in hand effort, I guess, between like December and March of of this year just through feedback in the forums, and I posted different test screens, and then people said, well, we, how about solid colors, like a red and a blue and a green screen? So I added right, those, and right. so, yeah, so it's 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 built by CLOV. I, you know, I put it together and, and wrote all the code, but definitely built by CLOV um, for what it is now. Yeah, see, that's, that, that's a really cool catchphrase, I guess, you know, kind of built by CLOV, because you know that that says a lot that that means that, that the community rallied behind it the community had input and then the community responded by you know by supporting you on the project and and purchasing the product so yeah that, i mean that that's cool i i don't know that there's a lot of other projects that i can that i can think of right off the top of my head that that really received i, I guess so much um so so much support so quickly and so you know there's a lot of yeah. parts reproductions and things like that you know a lot of guys on clove you know take man and, and others that, that do a lot of like the metal reproductions and, and things like that i mean they, they get in of course the artwork reproductions that, that all gets you know very good support but this was something new you know th this was something i guess kind of kind of off to the side of of what you would need to restore a cabinet this was more so uh, this is more so along, you know, the, a tool for the toolbox, so to speak. So I thought it was right. cool that, that it got the re that it got the reception that it did. Yeah, and I and I wasn't sure the thing when I st first started out with the project and the thread, I, I hadn't really hung out in the monitor subforum. You know, I spent I spent time in in college with analog, and that my two years of engineering, we did a lot of analog and we did a lot of circuit analysis, which I always hated. You know, all the all the word uh, complex. Uh, find the, find the missing variables uh, type of problems with resistance and voltage and things like that. But I always I always felt more comfortable in digital electronics because that you know being having a computer background and playing around with computers as a kid, I really got used to zeros and ones. And so digital electronics was kind of my safe spot, and analog was always a little bit of my weakness in school. So when um, when I started that thread and club in the monitor subform, I was a little bit hesitant because I'm thinking, well, this is this is monitor, this is like monitors. These are analog uh, chassis. You know, this is you know high voltage stuff with, you know, um, it's stuff that you know I did, I don't have a lot of experience with on that side of it. So I was a little bit hesitant uh, to dive into that. You know, dive in there and and start posting about this product, but. You know, once I started talking to everybody and getting the feedback, you know, I knew that if it's something I, you know, that I wouldn't have a problem with because really I'm just interface, I'm just presenting a signal to the monitor chassis. And if I could get some guys like Buffett and, and some of the other guys to help me out, Ken Layton also did some testing for me. These oh, guys know can. those yep. chassis. They know the analog side of the repair and the diagnosis really well. So if I can get them to test the product for me, um, then I think that, you know, again, kind of that built by club idea, then hand in hand, I can get the signal where it needs to be to generate the test screens for standard medium res. They can verify it for me on a lot of different hardware setups. And if I run into trouble, they can also help me figure out, you know, why, uh, why this chassis doesn't like the signal versus another. So I forget where, how I started that, 
yeah, no, answer, no, it, but that's no, kind of where it ended up. No, no, that, that's all good. That's all good because what it does is, is it leads into the next couple of questions I want to ask. You had, and I'm, I'm going to loop back to a statement that, that you had made prior, uh, prior here just a, a few minutes ago. Here, Aaron, is you said that you know you had code, you'd done the, the code development for the, for the patterns and everything like that. I mean, can you give us can you give us an idea? You know, if you sit down, you know, at your kitchen table or something and say, okay, I, I know that I want to build this test pattern generator. What are the tools that you start out with to, to build this product? I mean, what did you, what did you code in? You know, what's your, what's your development environment look like? And, you know, how did you, how did you create the screens that, you know, the patterns and, and things like that? Okay. Well, I, um, I, I'd done, I'd worked with uh, microcontrollers and generating VGA signals before um, just kind of for fun or something, just, you know, to see what I could do with it. Okay. And so I knew I could generate um, a video signal um, with some pretty cheap microcontrollers. And I felt pretty good about even being able to, to get them cheaper because standard res and medium res is a slower, you know, standard is 15K, yeah. medium is 24, if I remember right, and VGA is 31K, That's so right. yep, in terms of the, the hertz, kilohertz. So um, I knew I could use a pretty cheap microcontroller, so I've done a lot of work with the AT Mega line of uh, Atmel, I think. They're made by Atmel, but they're 8-bit uh, microcontrollers, so you basically got kind of a little mini computing environment on a chip. You've got some input-output pins, you've got some EEPROM storage for your code. You've also got a small amount of RAM. I think the one I've worked with was 1K. So you've got about 1,000 bytes of RAM okay. and um, about 16K of program space, so 16,000 bytes or so of program space. But there, it's like a little mini computer on a chip. So input, output, you've got um, timers, uh, interrupts, the type of stuff you would have on you know, a, a standard um, well, more of the older 80s style PCs or, or computers where they were eight, the 8-bit ones where, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have the modern facilities that you do now with multi-core CPUs and whatnot. But um, so that's the environment. And actually, a lot of people probably know it by Arduino, which okay. is yeah. really a development platform, not yes. a microcontroller. They, they use the AT Mega line for Arduino. But um being kind of the 8-bit kind of bit guy that I was, I've always kind of said, I don't want to mess with Arduino. It sounds like too much software to install. Uh-huh. So I just write stuff directly. I used to write it in C, but and then compile it and load it up on the microcontrollers. But for this project, it needed to be written in assembly. I see. Um, okay. Because the clock timing is very critical to get the video signal to be uh, consistent and, and, and to, sh- to not jerk or roll or things like that. So it's all assembly. Um, I just used a just a text editor, basically. That was my ID, my <laughs> development environment was a text editor. But text it's written editor. in it's yeah. uh, the micro the AT Mega platform is RISC, so it's a very simple instruction set where every instruction takes about one clock cycle or two clock cycles, and um, that way you can time exactly. I have twenty instructions that took twenty five clock cycles. You add that up, and eventually you get to what each horizontal line of the display has to be, and you write your code very carefully and optimize it very carefully so you have a consistent 
video signal that refreshes 60 times per second. It sounds fairly simple, but I know that it's not. And so I, I've, got, <laughs> yeah. I've, got great, I've got great respect for, for your capabilities and your skill set because, you know, like I say, you pop a 9-volt battery in this baby and then you hit a button. And, you know, after you hook the cables up, you hit a button and then you're, you're right there. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't certainly don't take anything away from it. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a feat. Well, the, the tolerant the tolerance on that is uh, well. It depends on you know old, those older analog monitors are pretty forgiving, but it's still maybe one or two clock cycles, which is uh, like less than a microsecond in terms of the timing. So I mean, it has wow. to, or else the screen will roll, tear, or the monitor will just freak out. That's, so yeah, um, that's it's really it has to be really tight. So I spent a lot of time uh, with the V on the VGA side, actually, with a very tolerant thirty-year-old VGA monitor that would display just about any signal I gave it. <laughs> Got the VGA side to work, and then I just took the VGA timings and divided them by two, and then I tweaked them slightly to these some old specs that I found for Wells Gardner. I see, and uh, and then yeah. And then started and started uh, generating the actual signals. Seeing them on the arcade monitor, I had like a vision. I had one digital chassis, which is a Vision Pro, uh, 19 inch. And then I ended up getting a uh, what did I get? A 4900. Yeah, uh, I think it was a 4900. And and got it working on there. And then you know, next step was I wanted to be able to support Nintendo. So I I ended up buying a Sanyo, having it shipped to me. Thank you. And, yeah, thank and, you. Uh, Trust me, all, all my Sanyos have been uh, graced by your test pattern generator, oh, and, they, cool, and, they thank cool. you, and they thank you for that. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. That, that was one I really wanted to include. And I knew, as far as the signal, I knew it's the same standard res, but it was the inverted colors right. that I wasn't sure about. So um, I didn't announce support for that until pretty late in the game because I wanted to test it out first and make sure it would work. But but yeah, so that you know, that was how the coding went, and from there, I mean, I do all my work pretty much on those little. Uh, you buy them at Radio Shack; they're little breadboards. They're white, you know. They've got rows and rows of, uh, you know, little sockets, and yep. I just use jump, jumper wire. Little holes. Yeah. I have a trays of components that I throw on there, and you know, a microcontroller is a pretty simple environment. You have a clock signal from a crystal. You have a couple couple filter caps. And I just had to build a digital to analog converter, which is a network of six resistors um, that takes the digital output from the microcontroller, turns it into an analog signal, and that's what gets fed out to the monitor. So the, the circuit is pretty, you know, the schematic's pretty simple for it. Really, the code was probably the harder part, um, getting that right, and then... Um, testing just making sure it would work yeah. on a lot of different chassis well let me let me ask you this i mean in in the world of in the world of monitor support you know making sure that that your you know that your product works you know across a wide you know a wide range of monitors i mean which one you know which monitor was the hardest for you to support i i know you mentioned the sanyo and you know the inverted color scenario for it but you know, all in all, which you know, which monitors gave you the most trouble during development, and thought, oh, man, I, I don't, I don't know if this one's even worth it." But you know, fortunately, you pushed through. Well, you know, surprisingly, um, I was expecting it to be kind of um, a little all over the place because um, you know, your your modern digital chassis have a lot more uh, leeway in terms of how they, what signal they accept, and it can be a little bit out of spec. So I was expecting a lot more trouble with the older stuff, but. I actually found that I didn't I didn't have um, any one any one chassis that really gave me a hard time. 
everything pretty much has worked. Now, you know, there, there's a few that, you know, well, they didn't like my, um, you know, where I was positioning the signal in terms of the screen inside, you know, each refresh. So it would be a little bit far down on the screen. You have to adjust the vertical position. The little things like that was kind of all that cropped up that maybe the H position or the vertical position would be, would be kind of off to one side and you'd have to adjust it back. But yeah, I haven't ran into a, a chassis yet that just hated, hated what I'm giving it. Um, that was pretty surprising for me, and I was I was pretty happy with it. Yeah, I, I will say I will say the same. I mean, it's nice to know that that the support on the product, or I guess that the chassis that are supported is is so wide and, and so varied. So it's not you know it's it's not really just a single use you know or a single chassis or single monitor use tool like uh you know like maybe some some of the older um, some of the older pattern generators were so it's good that it's supported by by so many because man it just makes it so nice to be able to you know to to grab it out of the toolbox to hook it up and to say yeah you know I'm 99.5% sure that, that this thing is going to give me exactly what I'm expecting it to give me right and i th- think that that was that was definitely what i was shooting for the 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 wild card is really um the the signal voltage on the uh, RGB side that a monitor expects. Um, and it, it really, you get into a game where it's like, well, in a perfect world, this is exactly what it needs to generate a nice bright screen when all the pots are centered. But, you know, things, you know, things kind of change. It gets 20, 30 years old. So one monitor can be pretty dim, another can be pretty bright. So there's just, there's a general amount of variance there. So that's probably about the only thing I've kind of had to, to work through with a, with a couple different situations where, well, you know, the contrast was just not very strong on this monitor. And I was like, well, you know, it could be a lot of different things. You know, how, how high up is your, um, you know, how, how, how hard do you have to crank the contrast in that monitor to get a nice picture? That could be it, or it could be that the voltage I'm putting out is not quite what it likes. So what I ended up doing on the the, uh, the board is I put a pot on there to adjust mm-hmm. the outbound uh, RGB voltage. It's not a huge swing, but you can turn it down a little bit, and you can turn it up a little bit by about, it's about a 30% swing. So that's kind of why I threw it on there, because there's really no... There's no way to baseline for sure exactly what all this different equipment is going to expect. And like I say, the modern chassis are pretty good. You can throw it like a two-volt peak-to-peak signal for RGB. You could throw it like a half-volt, and it won't affect the brightness at all. But on some of the older stuff, uh, you'll see a swing in the brightness because they were kind of made for a particular you know, center line, which seems to vary anywhere from like 1 to 1.5, somewhere in there. Um, so that, that's why I threw the pot on was to solve that issue. Okay. Well, let, let me ask you this here. And I mean, I've, you know, I've got mine, I've got mine with me and, you know, have, um, it popped the cover off of it. And I'm also looking at the, at the cloth thread as well. And, you know, I know that that pot that you're talking about is right. You know, it, it looks to be, you know, right by the on and off switch and everything. I mean, what did you plan to include on the test pattern generator that you had to cut out? I mean, having that pot on there is, is great because, it seems to me like that that may be something that's used from time to time, probably not by you know a rule of thumb per se, but you you know as you were going through and setting you know setting the circuit up and looking at you know the feature set uh, when you say you know kind of quote unquote unquote designed by Clove and everything that's on there today, are there things that you had to leave out that you wish you could have left in? Um, I think 
really the most of um, the things that I that I added kind of late in the process went into the dip switch bank. Um, and so I kind of I, there's only eight positions there, and so the one thing that I I really wanted to include to avoid either putting a much larger like a ten or twelve position uh, was an on-screen menu, and that's probably one thing I ended up having to leave out because I know some people had asked for um, the ability to turn off certain patterns. Right. And I said, well, that that's not something I can really do through dip switch without adding a lot of dip switches. <laughs> that's, um, that's a lot of so, uh, flipping of switches. Yeah, it's a lot of switches. Yeah. And there were patterns that people had requested, and I was like, well, you know, I'm not really getting a lot of requests for these, and I've already got, I think it's nine or ten. So, you know, you kind of have to page through that. And some people had requested uh, two buttons so you could go forward or backward in the yep. patterns. And yep. just yep. on the form factor, I kind of had to leave that second button out because there wasn't really space. And for me, I um, the usability side of it, that like that cutout window where the headers are and the uh -huh. button is and the tip switches, I didn't want to crowd that. I wanted that to be fairly easy to use. And, and, and I know what, like Buffett told me, he's like, well, I got big hands. I can't, you can't put that stuff tight together. I won't be able to get in there. And I've got, you know, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a Buffett in terms of, <laughs> I think he's like six, four or six, three big guy. And I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm nowhere near that. I'm like five, six. So, you know, my hands are a lot smaller. So I tried to take that into account. And oh, cool. so I did have to cut a few things that had been requested. But I think the form factor is better because of it. Oh, it, it, it certainly is. I mean, I, I'm I'm stuck somewhere in between. I mean, you know, my my ham hands uh, work with it pretty well, so it, it's it's not a it's not a big deal, you know, as far as that goes. But it is neat to hear that there was some there was some thought behind the the ergonomics of it. You know, not just you know let's get this into a case and just get everything to the point where you can plug it in. I mean, it's it, it's kind of cool that 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 level of thought went into it too. Yeah, I, I really I wanted it to be a tool that um, wasn't frustrating to use, especially getting those headers on and off. And I, I spent time kind of going back and forth on how much space I would need and the dimensions. And, you know, I, I, I hand routed all the uh, traces on the board so that I could, you know, I could clear up enough space uh, in the area where the headers are so that, you know, it would be easy to get them on and off and you're not accidentally hitting other switches at the same time. So I'm happy with how the ergonomics definitely came out uh, with it. And the one thing I did, you know, that the answer to kind of getting some of those features on there, like turning patterns on and off or being able to have like 15 or 16 patterns on it where maybe half of them aren't turned on by default, mm -hmm. uh, was that on-screen menu. So that's something I'm working on now is getting an on-screen menu which would be controlled by um, one of the dip switches. So you activate it and then using the button, you can, you know, just like you would uh, on your TV, you can go through the menu settings I and see, I see. turn this on, turn this off, that kind of thing. Okay. Oh, well, awesome. Well, that, that sounds good. I mean, is that something that, you know, the current um, TPG owners will be able to upgrade to via? Yeah, know? definitely. Because okay. um, it would use the exact same hardware. It would just be a firmware upgrade. So, I include a little programming cable with every TPG. Yes. And um, I've tested it. Well, I, I use a GQ4X ROM burner for all my, when I when I burn the EEPROMs here at home. So um, anyone who has a GQ4X, GQ4X can, would be able to download the firmware upgrade and do it. Um, I'm working on, I need to see, find out about a couple other burners to see if they're compatible. But if it's not compatible, then my plan is um, I'll just offer the, a new firmware chip 
through the mail for like the cost of the parts basically oh, okay. sent in the mail. So it's like five bucks. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. And the GQ four X, I mean, that's a I've got one of those that that's one of the Willem uh programmers and, right, and, right. and it, it's very affordable for what it is, you know, for the for the range of chips that it will write. Uh it's it seems like a very good uh, it seems like a very good piece of Oh equipment. yeah, I, I love it. Um you know there's there's a lot of stuff, especially older stuff it won't do. It does a lot of a lot of chips and in, in the case of the microcontroller I was able to set it up so that there's a header on the board, so you have to take the top of the case off. Um, but you plug a header into the board, and then you plug the other end of the cable that I included. It's a socket and a pen cable, so you plug the pins into the GQ4X's ZIF socket uh, in kind of the right places. And I include in the manual, there's a little color-coded map for that. Um, and then you turn the TPG on, and you can program it in system, so you don't have to remove the firmware chip you know, and then put it into an adapter or put it into the GQ4X. You can do it directly, reprogram it directly in the TPG um, by using the programming header. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, that's pretty novel because when I first started looking into this and uh, my co-host Brent and I first started talking about that, I mean, he, he actually, you know, caught me on that. He's like, oh no, Whitney, you use the cable and you reprogram it with your programmer. And I, I wasn't aware of that at first. And, right. uh, and I was like, oh man, that is, that's something else. I don't think I've ever seen, you know, another product that does that. But then once you get, uh, you know, once you kind of understand how, you know, how the process works, it's like, man, that's, that's pretty nice because it's just, it makes it a very simple process. You know, you just plug everything in, close the zip socket and go. Yeah, no, and that's when I program. I'm working on a batch this weekend, and when I when I have them set up and ready to go, I, I mean, it takes me about 30 seconds to program each chip, and I do them in system because um, instead of just like pulling a bunch of chips and just doing them, uh, just the chip itself, I do them in system because I want to test that functionality on the unit before it ships. Um, so I, you know, I, I build a unit and I put the chip in it and then I, I program it as you would, at, you know, if you were downloading a firmware update, Yeah, no, that, uh, the only, cool. the only step that would be better. And it's something I've thought about maybe down the road is a USB connection, mm -hmm. uh, for people who don't have ROM burners, they, you can download free software that's compatible with the AT mega microcontrollers and you would be able to just use a USB cable to your computer uh, your PC and program it that way through Windows or through a Mac, et cetera. So right. that's the ultimate, but that takes a little, a few more parts on my end that I have to put on the board. I'm I'm sure it does, and that's more time, that's more expense, and and that's that's really kind of changing up the the, the flow that you've got right now for for the product. I, I'm sure it'd be a welcome change, but at the end, yeah. But but at the end of the day, that's nice to have in my mind, not a not a need to have. Yeah, I totally agree. Because what I found is that the set of patterns that are on there right now are um, pretty good. I mean, people seem to mm -hmm. like those. I've got some requests and some ideas to kind of to grow and add more patterns, but I guess I, I had anticipated having to do a lot more tweaking to the code over time to re, uh, address like compatibility problems. But the compatibility has been so good that the version that's shipping right now, which is firmware version uh, two, um, has been that's like the last eighty units have shipped with that. So I haven't actually had to make a firmware change to address um, any kind of critical issues or compatibility um, pretty much since uh, like May. I think May was wow. when uh, firmware version 2 started shipping. So 
So I guess the need to update is, is has, didn't turn out to be as pressing as maybe I thought it would be over time. I can appreciate that, though. I mean, it's something that you have to you have to be able to you know accommodate and allow for, you know, field field serviceability. But at the same point, you know, if the notes from the field are saying, you know, hey, this thing is good, then you know it's it's all that much better. You can move on to, you know, uh, fulfilling orders and you know and enhancing the product rather than having to to backstep and you know <laughs> dig a bunch of people out of you know out of holes so to speak oh yeah and and at first i thought you know the unit could have been a little bit smaller um if i'd gone with a surface mount version of that microcontroller mm-hmm. but i wanted to use a dip because if the chip died i can just send out a new one right for a reason and you know i couldn't do that with surface mount it would have to be sent back to me and i'd have to you know pull out the heat gun and remove the chip and yeah so yeah, I wanted Big to go mess. with a dip just so I had uh, several different ways that I could deliver firmware. To, I could mail you a chip. You could download an upgrade. You know, you know, I had a couple different ways for for everybody to get square if there was an issue or if I had a new version that I wanted people to have. So, but yeah, I, when you talked about spending time building them. Um, that's what I spend a lot of time doing. So <laughs> that's why I mean, people. It's like the list. The list moved slowly, and I'm I'm an optimist. Yeah, and, and that's probably my downfall when um when I add people to the list, I'll tell them it's well, it's going to be you know at first I was telling people it's going to be probably about four weeks, and then I was like, well, it's probably going to be about six weeks, but it's going to be about six to eight weeks, and and you know I'm the eternal optimist that next week I'm in somehow I'm going to build seventy five of these right not yeah. in a week, but um you know, I, I build probably about a dozen a week, okay. and I've been trying to step that up a little, but uh, it takes a little bit of time. I have a little touch of OCD, which you know you can be sure every when you unbox your unit, all the switches will be straight. Yeah, you know it, the boards are clean. I run them through an ultrasonic bath to to clean the solder oh, nice. off of them. Okay, you know I spend I spend the next a little bit of extra time on the testing, making sure they work. So when I package them up, you know I know they're going out the door, and I've had, you know uh, solid, and I've had offers to help assemble them, and I'm like, mm, you know I have my I have my process and kind of my my little things that I like my checkpoints that I like to know. Uh, you're, you're before very, a unit goes out the door and it would be hard for me to have somebody else do that even if they were great it'd be you know it'd be tough i understand you're very much like or whitney is very much like you when it when it comes to those types of things and yeah you know brent brent and i my co-host we talk about that quite a bit i mean we both we both are very particular we're both uh you know have mild touches of, of ocd when it comes to you know cleaning things you know and, and making things the way that we want them to be so yeah, I, 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 I totally, I totally get that all collectors kind of have that a little bit oh yes um because that's part that's part of it you know it's like well that marquee yeah it has that spot and i hate that spot so that's that's why you buy that's why you end up getting a different marquee because exactly right that one's pristine yes you know so i think we all have that a bit and that's what makes that's what makes the the final products the final project that feeling of completion and then when somebody comes over and they're like this is this thing is amazing um, like I have a friend of mine uh, over on Claw Bio, his name is Sam. Um, he scratch built a couple Nintendo cabs. Scratch, scratch built them like down to um, you know every little part in there. And mm. I mean, he does auto auto body work, so he he's familiar with painting and sanding, and he does great work. And these things were amazing. I mean, they looked they in person they looked amazing. So that's the kind I think you know. We kind of share that when you see something that's really done well, you appreciate you have it. an appreciation for it. That, yes, that that's exactly right. And 
what it, what I appreciate is the fact that it, it's sturdy, and when you hold it in your hand, you don't feel like it's going to break on you. You don't feel like it's 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 going to malfunction after fifty uses or something like that. You know, the buttons feel good. Uh, you know, the headers. You know, the headers have you know very positive positive lock on them and contact for the cables, and everything feels high quality. And I appreciate that because. Um, I, it's impossible for me to speak for everybody, but you know, I, I just know for myself, I'm willing to pay, I'm willing to pay extra for that quality because that means it will last. And and it's nice to see a product like this that that meets those standards. Sure, no, I, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. That's 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 what I'm shooting for. And um, you know, there's a couple parts that every time I every time I buy lots of them, I'm like, wow, okay. That's, you know, because, you know, I balance, I should balance the books more often, but I try to balance the books like, a couple times a month. And I, you know, I do bulk buys on a lot of stuff and like those dip switches. Um, I, you know, people have suggested you really want to use rockers. And uh, at first I was like, yeah, but, you know, the, the little, uh, you know, the ones that are just kind of the little uh, slides are, um, they're harder to use, but they're a lot cheaper. But started using it when I was testing my unit, and I realized, yeah, now rockers are so much nicer, um, especially as um, as uh, Buffett told me, you know, it's like, you know, my hands are not small. I cannot manipulate those little slides on like an eight position dip switch. There's yeah, no way. Yeah. So the rockers, um, that's like a dollar forty fifty part, dollar fifty cents for a part. Mm-hmm. And the slides are like thirty five cents. So that's a painful one, but it's totally worth it. Yeah, no, I I, I, t- I totally get it. I, I totally get it. So, you mentioned Buffett and um and then a couple of other uh, people that that you've worked with, I guess, on on the test pattern generator over the course of you know over the course of the product's lifetime. I mean, what did um what did the testing consist of? Because uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm well, ver- you know, I'm well versed in the thread because I, you know, I, I hopped in on this pretty early. Uh, right. I just, oh, yeah. I just checked it. I mean, you've got like almost <laughs> 900 replies in that thread right now. And I'm sure over the, you know, by the end of the year, it'll be close to a thousand, you know, just based upon, you know, the, the burn rate inside the thread. But I, I'm just kind of curious, you know, I, I, I hopped in as, as early as I could, but, you know, the, the order list is, fortunately, you know, and, and it's good to see this, the order list has been long, but before you could even get the first order at the door, you, you know, I'm sure you look at this thing in a vacuum and, and you're, you're sitting here, you know, and you, and you get a little myopia on it because you, you spend so much time looking at the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my background is in computer sciences as well. I've done a lot of coding and a lot of times it seems like, um, you can't see the forest for the trees after you've stared at something for so long. So, sure. I mean, can you, can you talk a little bit about the testing process and, you know, who worked with you on it? And, and, uh, I'll use this phrase again. You say designed by Clavio. who who had the most input for you? And, and I guess out in the user community, who, who affected the most change in the product that we see today? Uh, it's probably hard to say um, without going back through the thread and looking at individual names because I know I'll leave somebody out in terms of who like really affected the most change. Um, I got, you know, there was a lot of help and feedback, but I would definitely say in the early going, um, you know, I worked closely with um, worked closely with Buffett uh, on the testing mm-hmm. um, just because, uh, you know, early on, just from getting his feedback, I knew he had a lot of 
a lot of different uh, chassis there on hand. Three of those a lot of time. testing, yeah. So he gets a ton of them that come through, um, and he could he could put it to use. And he's the only person who's managed to burn uh, it, to burn one of his up. Uh, uh, I think twice now. Oh my I'm not gosh. quite sure how, but I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> Because he runs it like I think he runs it like twenty four hours a day. Oh, you know, he'll let it run overnight, and and uh, you know, so so that's good. That I knew that he would use that, just use the heck out of it, yeah. and really punish it. And that, and you know, and he volunteered. He's he's always on the forums. He volunteers, you know, his advice and his, his knowledge. Oh, he, he's so he's, freely, he's a great and he resource. Did the same with me. I mean, I had yeah. I think some two hour conversations with him on the phone. And I know he's a night owl, so it's like you know, it's like twelve thirty at night, and we're still talking about stuff. And that was great. I mean, so he he was really helpful to me. And I guess from that perspective, early on, getting stuff tested. He was critical in that because I had the, you know, I had prototypes done in February. Well, actually, I had breadboards working in January. I had, you know, a circuit board, printed circuit boards ready in February, but I didn't start shipping them to April. Uh, there was about a six-week period, which was just testing, um, which he helped me with. And um, I also sent out a few beta units before the official release to about five or six people um, who were at the very top of the list. So like the first six or seven units were beta units that I sent out and those guys helped me too. But, um, so yeah, uh, but early on, definitely Buffett helped me a lot just and volunteer a lot of this time. Um, yeah. and you know, so that was, that was really instrumental. No, that, that, that's good. I mean, it's, we all benefit from that and, you know, Buffett's definitely, uh, he's got a lot of knowledge. He has a lot of experience and, you know, he brings a lot to the community. There's, there's no, no argument about that at all. I, I, I know that we all benefit from the fact that he was involved in it and was, you know, was able to, you know, put it through its paces and everything like that. So that that's really cool. Yeah, and 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 the one thing about and his his unit that is uh, that he's his beta unit actually modded for him to have a wall wart um, because he ran it so much, and that, I think that that's kind of the source of the issue for why it, it's kind of burned up on him a couple times uh, because the unit's designed for a very uh, you know for a battery um, because the battery is very stable it you know the voltage degrades in kind of a linear way. And a transformer, mm-hmm. at least the wall work kind, they're unregulated. You know, it, it may say nine volt on the transformer, but it could be eleven <laughs> at yeah. times. It could yeah. be six. I mean, it depends on the load. And this, the TPG right now, the circuitry um, isn't isn't designed to really handle that. Uh-huh. It, not that it's unsafe. You could probably run it, but there's no guarantee that um, you know the the microcontroller uh, won't get fried. Yeah off a transformer so when i've had people ask me uh definitely pm me saying hey can i modify this just to use the wall wart and i've said and i told them i you know i wouldn't recommend that i'd I'd like to release a version that has a a jack in the side for a dc adapter um but i wouldn't recommend doing that with the current hardware because i just don't have the the extra protection circuitry in there to deal with an unregulated supply yeah well in in i think that's i think that's very you know very very timely advice because I just know even, you know, even in getting ready to do the interview, just some of the, you know, some of the, the things that you run into with, um, you know, with, with power quality, uh, you know, Aaron, before we got started, I was running into, you know, some background noise and, and I, I think it was, uh, part of, 
you know, the room I was in and then the, the circuit that I was on and I moved and it, sure. it was a lot better. So yeah, when you're looking at um, power like that and you can't guarantee the cleanliness of the source, it, it makes it very hard to, uh, to guarantee the output. Yeah. And, and with a nine volt, um, it's a battery. So eventually you have to replace it, but they're usually very nice and stable and they behave pretty much all the same. You know, the voltage goes down gradually over time. Um, I think you can run it down to about 6 volts uh, with no load. So if you just put your little multimeter on the ends and the battery says 6 volts, that's about where uh, the TPG will start to kind of reset reset itself constantly because okay. the brownout circuitry isn't detects that the chip isn't getting enough voltage, so it reboots it to avoid uh, damaging the EEPROM. I see. Okay, well, that's a good thing to watch out for then. So, yeah, if your TPG starts kind of glitching out where you're, you're, it just keeps on going back to the checkerboard screen, uh, it's probably your battery's getting pretty low and it's time to replace it. Oh, okay, good deal, good deal. Yeah, I've not, not run into that yet, but it, it seems like it, it can go through a lot of use before it, you know, before it, it starts to... I guess get in get into that situation because I've ran mine for hours and hours in on on the same battery with no problem as of yet yeah, anyway. It's about twenty. I, I mean, my initial testing it was around twenty hours. Okay. Uh, on a nine volt on a fresh nine volt, about twenty hours of constant operation. Okay. Well, and then, that's why I threw um, a sleep mode on there. That was one of the last changes I did. Was after about if the sleep dip is on, I think it's dip number five. Uh, then after 30 minutes of no use, so it's been on the same pattern for 30 minutes, it'll go into a low power mode uh, where it can basically sit for days and not really affect the battery, and it wakes up when you when you push the uh, the button. Yeah, no, very very good. That, that, yeah, that's that's very nice because there's a lot of times that I sit, you know set something up on my bench and then walk away from it, and I may I may get pulled in four or five different directions, you know, commitments or whatever, and I don't get back to it for a day or, or two, and it's like, oh yeah, I left that thing on, you know, and so yeah, that's that's a very handy thing to have. Yeah, and, and I, that's another piece of feedback that um, I do want to incorporate in maybe a future hardware version that people have said, well, the sleep the sleep is great, but it really would be awesome if there was a little LED there where you could just, you could see that before you walk away. Because, yeah, it's true. Right now, there is no power LED. So if you turn your monitor off or you unplug it, unplug the cab or whatever you're working on, there's no way for you really to have any visual feedback that the TPG is actually still running. Yeah, that's a good point. Although it pulls a lot less from the battery when the chassis isn't actively, you know, that signal isn't really going anywhere. Okay. But the chip is the chip is still running. I mean, the microcontroller is still running. It's still generating the signal. But, you know, the signal really isn't being used. So it's not as much of a drain, but it will drain the battery down if you just left it on for a couple of days. Okay. Oh, understandable. Well, l- let me ask you this, Aaron. So there's no issues with, you know, hooking the TPG up to the chassis with the TPG on. I mean, is there is there any advisable order of operations or is it is it safe to, you know, to unplug, replug and, and you know, just kind of move down a line without worry for the TPG being on or off or what? I mean, what? What, what advice would you give us? Yeah, I guess I guess the, the standard way to hook it up that I that I recommend is um, to power up the monitor first and then power up the TPG. But really, the order doesn't necessarily matter. I know a couple. There's a couple times that I've noticed that 
if the TPG is powered on, uh, the mon well, let me see, if the monitor is powered on and um, the TPG is, is already on, uh, when the monitor is powered on, sometimes it'll trip it back to the start screen, you know, to the checkerboard pattern. Okay. But I don't really think, yeah, I, I haven't really noticed um, a difference in the order. But I just, I guess I, I tend to recommend that, though, just to power on the TPG last. So well, have the monitor going, then uh, you can hook it up. It can be hooked up and everything, but just power it on after the monitor. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I think a lot of that is probably what I'd frame in, into common sense to, to some degree. But at the same point, I, I just wanted to ask the question because, oh, sure. because admittedly, sometimes I'll, I'll forget to do a step or I, or I will forget to turn. I will forget to turn it off. I'll just go ahead and power down, you know, power down the monitor and then start to, un, you know, start to unhook everything. And then, on the next monitor, I plug everything together and power on the monitor. And it's like, whoa, that thing was on, you know? And it's yeah. like, it's and like, that, oh, I, I didn't really realize that. That really shouldn't uh, be a problem. I mean, there, there's current limiting resistors on the sync lines. There's, um, there's Zener diodes on the sync lines as well. So if for some reason there was like feedback, um, it won't damage the microcontroller. Okay. All right. Now, if you, if you, it's, I think the protection goes up to about 24 volts, maybe. So, you know, if you accidentally touch one of the, you know, your uh, H sync to, you know, 100 volts or something, then, then magic smoke will probably come out of the TPG. <laughs> yeah. And then you would be buying a second <laughs> TPG. But, yeah, yeah, so, but that's okay. And, you know, and magic smoke. Yeah. Magic smoke from all the components because the microcontroller, um, it has internal diodes, but they're only good. They're very small. They're very tiny. They're only good up to a, maybe, I think, a volt over five. So they're good up to like six volts. And so, yeah, I mean, it might even light on fire. Yeah, well, sure, it, well, and I guess that's <laughs> it's always good to have an extingu- you know, a fire extinguisher handy. But but, but anything would do still, that, you know. Yeah, it, you're right. It's it's not it's not just the the TPG. It's it's really more a matter of what what yeah. you didn't do correctly at that point. So. Um, yeah, I've only electrocuted myself once, and that was when I was a kid. So <laughs> I thought it was cool that smoke came out of the outlet when I crossed wires on the variable uh, power supply that I built in Tech Arts. Oh man, well, yeah, it, vi- it vibrates you. It's really kind. Of, it's an odd sensation. It, it, it is, and I've, uh, I've I've done that once to my to myself as well, and it's weird. It doesn't hurt like you think it would hurt, but it right. but it definitely leaves uh, it definitely leaves an impression that you just really can't substitute with anything else. It kind of feels like you're one of those rumble packs inside mm-hmm. like an Xbox controller. Yeah. 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 And, and you wonder, it's like, how long can I stand this? Well, I really don't want to find <laughs> out. So, you know, you try, you try to let go as quickly as you can. So let, let me ask you this, Aaron. I mean, uh, you, you kind you know, you've made a kind of, uh, or you've made a few comments on this, you know, as, as to what you would like to see in the TPG, but, you know, later on down the line, but what, what does the future hold for the product? I mean, is there, you know, is there a rev two, you know, of the product in the works that, that in, uh, I guess that incorporates some of the things that you've talked about, or is it right now, is it just, you know, kind of cranking through the wait list at this point, or is it, or is it a little bit of both? Well, I think in 2015, I definitely would like to revise the hardware, um, not seriously revise it, but to add like a power LED, um, possibly add a, a DC jack for uh, optional wall wart, you know, wall transformer. Those are probably the top two uh, feature requests. And okay. um, so, yeah, I think in 2015, there'll be a small revision to the hardware, but 
Um, I have been pretty focused on getting through the list to a point where, well, from my perspective, where when I get the list done, um, then I can then they can start putting it out there in other channels other than Clove, like eBay or through my website. But as long as there is a backlog, I don't. I have not done that because the units that I build, I want those units to be shipping to everybody on the list in order. Um, so I, I can't offer it for sale anywhere else. So um, once I get through the list, hopefully by the end of the, well, I, yeah, hopefully by the end of this year, for Understood. sure. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> then at that point, I'd, I'd look at uh, a slight hardware revision um, and and then open up some other channels for sales. So probably yeah. um, I, I want to, you know, yeah, first quarter, maybe by the end of first quarter of 2015, um, I'd hope to add that little power LED, little surface mount LED um, that would be bright enough to kind of catch your attention. And then a, that DC jack so that a transformer could be used with it awesome. instead of a nine volt battery. Awesome. Well, yeah, those, those sound like two very, two very good, you know, additions to the, to the lineup for the, for the device. And, and would certainly, I guess if you're looking at expanding into, you know, more commercial, uh, you know, more commercial avenues, th- those two things would definitely, definitely uh, be well received there. Yeah. That's just, those, those are great, great pieces of feedback. And, and, and I've really, I've wanted to get to them before this, but um, people keep on ordering them. <laughs> well, so, that's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I was a hundred deep. I was a hundred behind probably in, I guess, June when I first really started April, June, when I first started shipping them. And I got down to about 50 behind and I think now I'm at like 75, but yeah. So, um, the list kind of has kept on growing. Um, but if I can, I know I'm getting a hold, I'm getting a handle on it. So hopefully by the end of, uh, December, I will have everybody that's wanted one taken care of so that, um, I'll be caught up. Oh, that's yeah. That's awesome. Well, like I say, I mean that, that is a good problem to have. I mean you you've definitely you've definitely um, fulfilled an unmet need, and I, and I would say the the number of orders uh, back that statement up. Yeah, no, it's um, I mean it's it's been exciting. It's been great to have. I think I've shipped uh, I've shipped almost one hundred and thirty right that's, now, and I'll ship probably two hundred by the end of the year total. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, uh, which is great because, um, you know, the other product that I have, the scanline generator, is a lot faster to make, and I've shipped over 700 of those. Oh, my goodness. Um, and th- that's great. I mean, you know, that's another – it's awesome when I know people are really using the stuff that I make, and they're, re- they're really enjoying it, and I get great feedback, or I get good comments on email. You know, hey, this is awesome. I just hooked it up, and it's great. Um, I love that, you know, and so – I, I, you know, so I, the TPG, I can't crank those out like my scanline generators because of the components involved and, uh, you know, the, the build time's a little bit longer. But um, if I can get to 200 by the end of the year, I feel like well, that'll be pretty awesome because that's 200 units out there in the wild that people are using. And like like you were saying, you guys have been using yours and you're loving it. I talked to um, Hattrick, who up at Grinkers, he's kind of the main tech up at Grinkers. and. Mm-hmm. Okay. He retired as Old Wells Gardener, he said, and he's using the TPG now exclusively, uh, you know, in Grinkers to to work on those machines. So oh, that's the, oh, that's awesome. So that makes me feel good. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was gonna you know, say. I've it's got to make you feel to good. Make stuff for uh, you know, when I, to make stuff and then share it with people. That's kind of the, you know, I love that. So you know, when I started the project, I was like, well, maybe I'll sell like thirty of these, and it wasn't really about 
you know, making money. If, if you're looking to make a lot of money off these side projects, you're probably in the wrong business <laughs> for, for this kind of stuff because, you know, it's, uh, it's a small market um, for sure. Um, so I was, you know, when, when it grew, um, I wasn't looking at it like, oh, this is a great money-making opportunity. Um, you know, it was, it was definitely, well, this is a great opportunity to have a lot of people use this product and that's exciting. So, yeah. Well, now you mentioned the, the SLG and I, I want to get to that here in just a second, but one, one question, <laughs> one, one more question I've got on, on the TPG, uh, before we hop off that topic though, is you had mentioned, uh, a little bit earlier in the interview, Aaron, you'd mentioned, um, the, the pattern generation and I wanted to revisit that. Uh, you know, when I look at the patterns that you've, you know, that you've made available, Available inside the product right now, and uh, you know, I'm I'm looking at at a picture um, in the thread on Clove, and you know, and I'm counting 12 distinct, you know, patterns right now that uh, that's inside that picture. Uh, do you have plans on adding any patterns to you know a future firmware? You know, or what what's been the most requested pattern that just hasn't made it into the product yet? Uh, I think I do have plans to add some more. Um... I think right now uh, the requests that I've had have kind of been uh, one-offs from from here or there. I haven't really had one particular pattern that, that a lot of people have kind of come forward with. So I'll probably put out some feelers in the thread again when I'm ready to add a couple more. Because the process is it's a little bit uh, intensive to add a pattern because there's no video memory in, in the chip. So there's, okay. you know, normally, you know, you have a video memory in, in, a, in a system where you write you write your graphic data to video memory, and then you have a totally separate process that reads video memory and writes it out as the signal, the output signal. But in this case, there's no video memory, so everything's generated in real time. So the patterns are generated in real time in step with the outbound signal. Okay. So the timing is very can get very um, can get very tricky to get everything timed correctly. When I comes to adding a new pattern, you know, it, it does take me a little bit of time to figure it out. So, like the checkerboards and the color bars, that's all pretty straightforward. But the, like um, the falling Tetris blocks and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, getting more sophisticated takes a lot more work because now you have to, you have to, again, you have to write the the code the right way so all the cycles add up, and you have I have a limited number of cycles uh, to use. So that means there's a limited number of instructions. So without really refactoring the code, I can't get too complicated, but I've had, I think I've had a couple people have talked about, um, a pattern that could test blooming. If, um, you know, that was not something I was familiar with, but where there's kind of an afterglow from mm -hmm. quick flashes, you know, like if you have a block or an area of the screen that gets really bright for a minute and then goes away, does, does a glow or kind of a slight bloom remain? Um, and I'm not familiar with that, that kind of a defect, but that was one request I remember. Hmm. Um, and then various different combinations of uh, color bars. Okay. Um, the color bars I use are just the RGB standard. Some people have asked me about the TV standard, the NTSC bars. But NTSC, um, those bars are designed for a signal with a, with a luminance channel. Luminance channel. Okay. And there is no luminance channel in RGB. It's just straight voltage on each channel. So... The pattern I used uh, is off Wikipedia as the 
I guess it's the RGB equivalent of the NTSC color bars. Oh, I see. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because when I when I look at the patterns that are available, I'm I'm left to ask myself, man, how did you generate some of these patterns in in assembler? Because if you're doing what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, you're having to code the pattern by hand. It's not like you can, or it doesn't sound to me like it's something you can draw out ahead of time in any tool and then and then run through a conversion process to get the binary equivalent of that pattern. It sounds to me like you you have to generate it on the fly and the code the code builds the pattern as as it goes and you know loops right. or loops you're basically, or something you build along the pattern those lines. one raster line at a time. Yeah. So there's some tricks in there with some lookup tables um, with kind of a simple grids of like 12 by 12 or 16 by 16 um, which allows me to do some some basic blocking out of um, like the color bars and stuff like that. But, but essentially, yeah, you're building it one raster line at a time. So like the crosshatch is probably the most complicated pattern code wise, because you've got horizontal and vertical lines intersecting. And so the code has to switch back and forth between horizontal and vertical oh, wow. and, you know, and the timing to generate the vertical space correctly. So they're all spaced correctly. And so, yeah, it's a, uh, it's you know it's fun from the from the programming side of it and the computer science side of it that I love that stuff too so it's it was fun fun problems to solve. <laughs> well, it's it's cool to it's cool to hear you talk about it that way because I'm sitting here looking at at the you know a picture of all the patterns and everything and you look at the crosshatch pattern like or the checkerboard patterns like that and you say oh that's I guess the the uninitiated would say oh that's that should be pretty easy to do you could just you could just create that in a bitmap editor and then load that into the code and then just display the bitmap and it's like no 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 this is <laughs> this is this is 14 rungs down the ladder from that so yeah, yeah. To, to to see the output you know to the untrained eye it may it may appear to be fairly trivial but to hear you talk about it it lends a whole different aspect to just what it took to get even just a crosshatch pattern on the screen yeah. It's, it's instead of like um, producing a bitmap, it's more kind of like, you know, like a, like thinking like how a plotter works, like a, with a pen. So, you know, you're, when the pen is down, uh, you're outputting, you know, a white line. And basically, so as long as you maintain that voltage uh, across the RGB channels, then you're drawing a white line, I guess. So, you know, the top of the crosshatch is a horizontal line. So the pen is down for that first line of the display. Well, the next line, you're doing the vertical. So, okay, so the pen's down for roughly what we can call a pixel, which is three clock cycles in the code. And now it's up for 25 clock cycles. Okay, now it's down for three more. Okay, now it's up. Okay, now it's down. And that's what, you know, and that's how yeah. you're drawing those vertical lines, uh, one raster line at a time. And each line has to line up with the exact same amount of clock cycles or else you get a lot of wavy kind of weird you know, because because your lines of the display don't line up. So it's actually, you know, and the the inspiration for it, not inspiration, but the reason I knew it was possible is because I remember I'd read in the 80s about how the Atari 2600 was programmed. And it was similar in that there wasn't a lot of video memory. I think they had something ridiculous, like 80 bytes of video memory. So they did a lot of real-time generation of those play fields on those 2600 games where they were being generated in between the raster lines where they were being generated in between like refreshes or in real time. And they did all these crazy tricks like on pitfall to get the rope to work where, 
the rope was one byte of video memory, but they kept on shifting it to the next line. So when the next line was drawn, it would draw the next segment of the rope. Yeah, that's, So I remember that's reading crazy. crazy stuff like that and say, you know, it sounds kind of fun and I know it's possible to do it. So when I started coding up these routines, you know, it was kind of the challenge. Like, well, can I recreate that same kind of idea, do this all real time? Because you certainly could have, I could have grabbed a bigger microcontroller with a lot more memory that maybe would have cost me, you know, seven or eight bucks a piece. And I could have built a test pattern generator around that, and I wouldn't have had to go through that kind of, you know, pain, right? so to speak. <laughs> the exercise. In C, but um, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make, my original goal was to make the product inexpensive, um, something that would, you know, be priced like between 50 and 60 bucks. And so to do that, I wanted to use the smallest microcontroller for the job. So the one I use is an 8K, has 8K of memory, it has... 1k of ram and it runs at 20 megahertz and uh and it costs you know the my part cost on it is about a buck <laughs> about a buck isn't that amazing so that that's that's why i went that route which was more pain for me but you know less money for everybody else yeah well and, and it works out i mean the the speed the speed of the product it definitely represents that so i mean it's it feels real time and um, it there's no lag. There's no anything to it. I mean, it's just, you know, you hit the button and it's just instantaneous. It's just there. So, I, oh, whether, yeah, that, that's that's the benefit of real of, of doing stuff real time is, um, you know, I, I tried to give myself a seat. Well, I accidentally gave myself attempt to give myself a seizure one night because I, you know, my timing variables in the code were off. And so it was switching patterns, like, I don't know, like 30 or 40 times a second, oh, wow. like scrolling through all the patterns. And because it's, oh, it's instantaneous, there's, yeah. no, there's no loading or anything like that. So, yeah, yeah and that, that was kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I need to fix that. When I first set up the button, uh, I had to actually, I, I added a delay between button presses where it ignores, it ignores the button for a certain amount of time after you've pressed it. Because without that, you could hold the button down and those patterns would flash well, 60 times a second. Yeah. Which would drive, you know, that kind of drive you crazy. That would be that would be hard to look at. You'd almost have to turn away and just and just press the button and say, "Okay, I it's almost like spinning the, you know, the the roulette wheel or something like that. It's like, what am I going to wind, you know, what am I going to hit up next?" So, right. no, it, it it's it's neat to use it and to see the I guess to to experience kind of the mannerisms of it and to see how it works and then to hear this background on it because it it gives you it gives you uh, you know, a finer appreciation for <laughs> for for using it most certainly. Yeah, it was it was a lot of it's a lot of fun and I, I like those kind of projects and I look forward to expanding the firmware adding the on-screen menu and yeah who knows in 2015 i may come up with some interesting stuff so that's cool and i based on the demand um people have asked me like are you gonna are you still gonna make these how many more of these gonna make and it's like well i'll keep making them as long as people are interested in them well, and and that's that's good to hear because that was going to be uh, that was going to be one of the questions that that i was that i was going to ask towards uh, i guess kind of towards the end of the interview is you know what does the future hold for the you know for the manufacturing of this product is it you know is, is it something that um yeah, you know, when when Aaron is is done, there there are no more, or you know, is it over in 2015 or what? But yeah, that's yeah, you've answered that, and that's I'm sure a lot of people will be relieved to hear that. Well, cool. As long as I don't get a brain tumor or something from all the solder fumes, I'm going to keep cranking them out. I, I am looking to install a vent, which is probably a good thing. I do wear a mask, and that helps, you know. But um, I need to install a vent and vent to the outside 
I just need to like vent it out my window. Yeah, yeah, dude. I mean, when I'm sitting at, at my at my solder station, I, I run a fan because yeah. you know for the longest of the time I would do kind of the huff and puff scenario where right. you know, <laughs> yeah you take a you take a breath and then you then you you blow it out as you're you know as, as you're yeah. as you're making the, the the connection and dropping the solder there, but. Yeah, I run with a fan that uh, blows across my 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 field of of work there, and that that helps. I don't know that it really solves the problem, but it At makes it me feel better it anyway. It moves it away from you a little bit, so you're not just breathing. It yes, up. yes, exactly, and that's and and that's huge yeah. right there. But although that that rosin core, you know, sometimes that rosin core solder, you get that that nice little whiff of like the pine tar. Yes. It's kind of nice. It, but, uh. it, it is. I mean, it's very distinctive. And, yes. And it doesn't, it's not that it smells bad, but it smells, um, I guess, a little metallic and a little sweet. And then you go, yeah. you go, this smells like what I think lead would taste like. So that's probably a bad thing, <laughs> you know? So it's like, I need a fan. <laughs> well, the good news is that the melting point of lead is way underneath the Radio Shack solder that I like to use. I use 6040 rosin core. Uh-huh. I love that stuff. I, Radio Shack one day is just going to, they're going to go away. I'm pretty sure if they haven't, you know, there's no way they can stay in business. So I no, need to start stockpiling Unfortunately it, but, not. But their solder is good. I love their 6040 rosin core. It flows really nice. It is kind of messy, but like I say, I have kind of a process to clean up the boards and they come out nice. Yeah. I love it. It does smell. It has that smell though, that, you know, that rosin smell. And so... Yeah, yeah I, need to, I need to get a nice ventilation set up going because yeah. I think between the SLG and the TPG, my next product's going to have a four-letter acronym just to get me away <laughs> from the threes. <laughs> well, <laughs> between those two, I think I've soldered probably like around forty thousand connections. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's that, that's that's cra- that's crazy, and in, in, in probably in, in a relatively short amount of time too. Yeah, in two years, about two years, I think I've soldered about yeah forty thousand joints. Golly, yeah, that's that, that's that's on a roll. Well, and, and Aaron, so you mentioned uh, the SLG, and that's something that I wanted to talk about here as well. This is the product, the scan, the mini scanline generator, the mini SLG, uh, is the product that um, you've got listed on your website on on craftymech.com. and right. so and so uh, just kind of taking a look at uh, you know kind of taking a look at, at that product as well. Can you give us a background on you know on, on what the history is for that and you know where you found a market for that because um, you know I, I'm sure it does as the name implies. What's the the most popular use for it? I mean, is it is it the main cabinet builders? Have you found them to be your yeah, widest audience I, I, or what? I, that, that's definitely. I think that's probably three fourths of, of of my users are are main builders. Um, that's kind of. I started off kind of uh, when I got back into arcade stuff. I started off on uh, BYOAC, so build your own arcade controls for them. And oh, it's yes. a heavy MAME crowd. A very, very heavy and, MAME crowd. Um, yes. You know, the idea was a lot. Of, a lot of people were using LCDs, and, and no one should hate me for this. But originally, I was like, I wonder <laughs> if I could use an LCD. And, you know, I don't. You know, I've I've come back to the. Oh, we've to, all thought it, the, man. No worries. The right, you know. I'm back on on CRTs now. I mean, I love I love the CRT look, the standardized CRT look as a kid. That's that was the arcade for me because you know at home you had a composite television or you know um, you know RF modulator hooked up to your Atari twenty six hundred. So which is even worse. So I mean, you know, things were fuzzy. Things were fuzzy. The graphics on your on your games didn't look like they did in the arcade. They didn't have that look that uh, I guess the Shadow Mask or 
the aperture grill of yes. a standard Res Arcade monitor has. Yeah. And that's the look that I associate with classic gaming. And I know for some people it's Agreed. the controls, for some people it's the gameplay, but for me it was always it's 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 a little bit of everything. But that look, that look of a raster standard res arcade monitor. That's right. So I started thinking when people were talking about LCDs, and there was a product out there that did add scan lines um, from Germany, but it was like a hundred bucks, and you had to buy it from Germany and. And I thought there's got to be an easier way to do this because I looked at this product and there's like five capacitors on it. There's like three different chips. There's some diodes, you know, and I thought there's got to be an easier way to do this. It'd be a lot smaller um, because at the time I was kind of interested in bar top builds and I, you know, I was, those seemed kind of cool and there's not a lot of space in there. So I just started breadboarding up some ideas and, you know, basically all a scan line generator does is it takes every other line of the display for a single frame and uh, lowers the intensity of that line. It can go all the way to zero, so it's a black line, or in the case of the uh, my mini SLG, it lowers it by about uh, two-thirds. Okay. So it's still there, but it's much lower. So the effect when you look at it is it looks like you have scan lines like an old standard res monitor would have. Right. Uh, simulate. It's not the same thing. And the, it doesn't look as anywhere near as good. But, but it gives you kind of a halfway. Yes. Yeah, it's far better than not having it at all. I, I will say yeah, that. Yes. It really does knock the edge off the pixels, especially on an LCD, because, you know, they're way sharp. You look, they're, if they're you look at low-res text on your old games, it's amazing. You're looking at, like, you know, the score on Pac-Man, the high score text, and that's like a 12 by 12 font. You look at a 12 by 12 font on an LCD and, you know, it looks terrible uh-huh. if it's not aliased or, you know, if it's not cleaned up because it's really jaggy. But on those old monitors, that jaggy stuff just turned into this wonderful, soft kind of bloom. And that's that's a little bit of what the SLG does. It tries to knock the edges off uh, the sharp pixels on an LCD. Okay. Well, yeah. And, and that's, that's good because I think there's, I think there's a place for, for LCDs. There's, there's certainly, you know, there's certainly an appetite for them. Uh, you know, especially when you look at like the 60 and ones or the multicades and things like that, or the main cabinets and just having this as an option is, is huge. And sure. I, I don't have one of these and I, I think I'm going to order one. So I, not that I have a, an immediate use for it, but at some point, you know, I I may I may want to you know may want to build a project that that would require this. So yeah, it's it's uh, it looks like a very very neat product. Sure, yeah, it's it. I got it down to um, basically it's three. It's well, it's four components. There's there's a chip, there's a transistor, and there's two resistors. So that that's what kind of enables it to be really small. It's a surface mount chip, which is um, kind of what was it? Trying to think what that chip is now. Um, I'm actually forgetting the, the actual number on it, but basically all it's doing is it's taking the H sync that comes in off the VGA signal, and you know every other time there's an H sync pulse, it's triggering you know that line of output to be uh, basically driven to ground. Not completely. That's the purpose of the resistor, but uh, by about two thirds, so that okay. it, it dims that line. And so it's very simple. It's a very simple schematic. Very simple operation, but the payoff, at least for I know for a lot of the MAME users that love it, um, has been great. So that's why I guess I've been able to crank out seven hundreds or yeah, around <laughs> seven hundred twenty-five of them. Which yeah, I mean that that's just <sighs> that, that's that's insane. I mean that's I made, insane. I made six of them today. Oh my uh, gosh! You know, it takes me about I made six in about forty-five minutes and got them cleaned up and they're drying right now. They went through the bath, so now they dry and then I'll 
package them up, they'll go out the door tomorrow. But yeah. they're faster to make than the TPG, but they're also cheaper. Yeah, no, <laughs> understand. Yeah, in in accor- accordingly. So, the, it, but that's okay. You know, each each product has got its niche. There, there's no there's no yeah. doubt about that. But yeah, I'm just I'm on your website, just taking a look at some of the screenshots of of you know what the what the SLG uh, brings to the table and I I will I will agree with a lot of the comments that are on there it's like yes th- this is this is a need to have not a nice to have if you're building that type of rig yeah if you're going if you're going to have an LCD display and um that you know for whatever reason that's what you're going to do um you definitely want you definitely want a scanline generator of you know of of uh, some type um there's an- another option that's kind of popular uh, if you have sufficient hardware for it in MAME, is there's actually options now where you can do CRT-like effects in real time through MAME. It takes a pretty good video card, and that's I think why I still do pretty good business with the MAME crowd is because um, you know they they don't have the hard they're using old PCs or laptops, you know, right, whatever you have right. laying around. It's, it's so you need a pretty good rig to be able to do it. Uh, but you can do a lot of funky stuff like you can add curvature and you can there's like some afterglow type settings to, you know, so it even takes it farther than just simple scan lines to really try to capture that old look and feel. But, I've, you know, of course, I've come to the conclusion that the best way to do that is just to get an old arcade monitor. <laughs> At the end of the day, you can <laughs> you can build so many things to get, you know, so many bridges just to get back to where you're standing, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's and it, that's not for everybody because, um, you know, you can't. You know, it's it, they're a pain. Um, you know, they can they die. You know, they're they're heavy. Yeah. They're dangerous in some ways. They are. Yeah. Um, you know, but <laughs> they they test your patience. But you know, that's that's the look, and that's so. I, I love the SLG. I love it as a product, and I'm glad people are really excited with it. And and uh, you know, it definitely it it goes a long way if you have an LCD. But you know, for me, it's still now that I have real. You know, I have old arcade monitors. I'm like, yeah, this is. That's a sweet spot. Yeah. yeah. Well, let, let me ask, let me ask you this: has there has there been any request from the community to do something uh, for the vector crowd? Have you ever have you looked into what it would take to you know to to drive or to pattern you know to pattern up you know something for for the vector monitors? The oh, black yeah, and white and definitely. The colors? Um, I've had several people, and um, you know that's usually um, that's usually the second. Uh, you know, if someone has a pretty good sized collection, um, that's usually after they say, hey, this thing is great. The second comment is, when's the vector version going to come out? So yeah. I, it's something I'm thinking about. The, the issue, of course, you know, if you're familiar with vector of a raster is it's a totally different process yeah. in that there is no, it's not a signal with vector as much as it is you're directly driving the beams, the electron beam. So you know you you're driving voltage into the monitor into the chassis and that's directly driving that beam. So it's a very it's a different process um, that's way more analog. And as we kind of talked about touched on early in the conversation, analog is not necessarily my strong suit. So that's something I'd have to look at and kind of do some research into you know what it would take to make that happen. Okay, but but it's not off the table though. No, no, yeah, definitely awesome. not off the table. It'd be a great learning experience for me. I mean, I'd love to know more about how the act, you know, the inner workings of a chassis and how um, you know what's going on to drive you know the. Uh, 
uh, you know, to, to deflect, you know, what goes on in deflection and how, you know, how the voltage swings back and forth to get that beam just in the raster system to scan left to right, up to down. And so it'd be great to learn how that works in a vector uh, setup, because as I understand it, it's pretty much the same way an oscilloscope is driven. You know, it's an XY system uh, where, you know, if you drive X and Y to the same spot, you get a really bright dot, you know, the dot that will kind of burn into your into your into your monitor if you left it there if you left it uh, there yeah so same same principle with an oscilloscope where if you have a really bright dot because you dropped your signal or something you know it's not you want to turn it turn it down or turn it off um so it, i'd be yeah it's something i'd love to learn more about um but it's going to be a bit of a learning curve for me because i've, I've you know i have not worked too much in the analog strictly analog domain well, the, other than signal, pro, you know, signal signal processing, I've done a lot of signal processing with analog signals, but when it actually comes to analog circuitry and understanding how to swing that voltage and drive it and control it to do a vector pattern generator, that that'd be a little bit more involved for me on the research end. Well, the the main thing is, and the the good thing is, is that um, number one, you're considering it, and number two, it's uh, you didn't say no. So, yeah. so I, I would say for you know from all of us as potential customers, and you know from the collector community out there, you know we would definitely we definitely rally behind that type of a project. And and you know what's you know what's funny about that, Aaron, is that. Um, you know, I never, I never really started out to, to add a lot of vectors into my collection. You know, I, I played Tempest a lot, uh, back in the day oh, at, the, sure. at yeah. the arcade that, that I, that I went to, I guess that I consider like my home arcade, but I never, I never saw, um, you know, Gravatar or Major Havoc or Space Duel or, you know, or any of the other, uh, you know, Black Widow or, or, or anything like that. Of course, you know, I, I did see Asteroids and Asteroids Deluxe. And so oh, I think, yeah. you know, those, Star Wars, maybe Star Wars, maybe, you know, a little bit later on down the line. But um, but really, you know, outside of outside of, let's say, I'll just go ahead and say Asteroids and Tempest, you know, those were the two that I and, and well, maybe a Star Castle from time to time. But you know, I just didn't see a lot of vectors out there. And so that wasn't really the the focus of my collecting activity early on. But as time has gone by and my in my palette has, you know, has kind of widened a little bit for the games that I that I that I enjoy and I want to have in my collection, you know, you wind up with vectors. And then as time goes on, you wind up with quite a few vectors. And so it would be neat to be able to uh it, to you know, to to service them in, in the same way, or at least test oh, yeah. them or diagnose and, them in and, the same way. I, I totally agree with you because yeah, you know, I I I you know, as a kid, I played Asteroids, and I guess I, I was uh, when Tempest was really popular. I was probably a little bit younger, so it seemed to be like all the older kids, like I was like eleven or twelve, and it was yeah. like the, the yep. teenagers. They would play; they were playing Tempest, and so it always intimidated me for some reason. Yes. Like I felt it was like an it was like an adult game, and it, it was looked, too hard it for me. And hard. it was hard as hell when I tried to play it. Yes, um, but yeah, I, I loved yeah. it, and I loved the look of Vector. And um, uh, a friend of mine had a Vectrex, the home oh, yeah. home system. Uh huh. Yep. Um, and um, I was always fascinated by that. And of course, asteroids. I played a lot of asteroids, but um, it's the last couple of years when I now that I, you know I pay a lot more attention to the diversity, I guess, of classic games. Whenever I see a vector, I'm like, I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put quarters into it. And one the game I'd never played before, but I played at Grinker's was Black Widow. Yes. And I was like, you, this is actually like a pretty cool game. This is like fast paced. It's like a Robotron kind of vector. You know, it kind of has that same feeling. And so, 
So that's what it's going to take is, is I need to, I need to, add, I have an excuse now to add a vector. Yeah. Uh, so I have the hardware. So if anyone wants to drop off. And <laughs> you heard it here first. Widow Aaron's taking donations. At my house. Yes. I will get that vector pattern generator working. <laughs> You know, you know, it's funny. A lot of people say that Black Widow is just, you know, a vectorized Robotron. And I, and I understand I understand why that similarity or, or why that comment is made just due to the similarity of the gameplay. Sure. But there's a lot going on in Black Widow. And yeah, in a, I guess in a general sense, maybe like it reminded me of Robotron. But there was definitely I'm starting to pick up on some subtlety. Like yes. I was playing it with 34K from Claw. And we're like, hey, wait, wait, did you just push that egg off the web? Exactly. Yeah. What, like, wait, what about but... the dollar sign? You you know what's going on it's it's not as run and gun as robotron is and, yeah. Ro- and robotron take nothing away from it i i love robotron it would uh you know it's a cornerstone of my collection i would never see getting rid of it i, I love the game but uh but black widow's different you know and so there's yeah. there's definitely some some different strategy elements going on with that it's you know that it was really nice and colorful and, oh, and they had a major havoc at Rinkers, but it was out, so I didn't get a chance to play it. That's another one I've never played. What was never that? Never saw in person. Um, what what was but, that? I'm sorry, Aaron, I didn't catch that. Oh, a major havoc. Oh, oh, oh. So but it was major it was havoc. Out of commission when we were there. So. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. They have Star Castle, which you know never never really took to Star Castle, but I could appreciate it. Um, of course, Asteroids, Asteroids Deluxe, uh-huh. uh, Black Widow, which you mentioned, Tempest. Um, there are a couple other ones uh, that I can't remember the name, but uh, something space astro like. <laughs> okay. That I I'd never I had I had not saw, uh, seen before, but okay. Well, it, well, you know, the thing about the vectors is that once you, you know, once you start going down a road with them, they, they kind of grab onto you and, and, you know, y- your love for them grows over time because you, you just appreciate, you, you just really, really appreciate what they are. Yeah. I mean, de- definitely, especially when, I guess for me, thinking about the video side of it is not, is not really, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's not digitally driven. It's not. It's not even an analog signal. I mean, I mean, it's, it, it is an analog signal, but I guess it's almost like the purest. It's a purest form of like, uh, you know, a purest expression of the arcade kind of technology because yes. it's just you're swinging voltage kind of around uh, around the screen there to generate that display. And, <laughs> and somehow and I know they these get a games picture. are pretty early too, so I'm sure most of them do use CPUs, but they almost, you know, they almost seem like that era where there might be a couple of vector games that were pure TTL. Maybe, maybe somebody would know that, but, um, that always fascinated me too. When you have a CPU less game, like I guess the original Pong was pure TTL. Yeah, so yeah. It's just Compu- all computer, spa- computer space. Uh, yeah, that computer way. space. And so, I, th- I, mean, I think something. Death, um, I think Death I Race you, is that you way. You roll as well. that all the way back to like an Abacus, you know. And yeah. Those Abacus, man, they kicked that. You know, they kicked ass. <laughs> I've wow. never, I've never done math slower than on an I Abacus. I dropped man. five quarters in that Abacus. <laughs> but you know, I mean, but you know, you, so you can take it to extremes. But I just, yeah, you take it back to just like literally, like just lo- you know, interfacing logic chips, and you've got a game. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. So that's that's what I like about vintage hardware is there's different levels of it, um, from you know vector to you know, you get into raster, then you get into your pretty sophisticated games, and you get into the 90s, and you get, you know, these really kind of the, the end of the arcade, you know, evolution where you had some, some pretty sophisticated hardware out there. But so there's a whole gamut, but for, you can enjoy it on different levels, I guess. So 
I'm looking forward to collecting a few vectors. Well, good, good, good. I mean, you you will love them, and it, they can be a little frustrating to work on. But uh, you know, for a lot of what goes on uh, with you know, like the Amplifones or the 6100s or what have you, you know, for the, for the Atari games, there's there, there's ways around you know some of the problems, and so it, you can. You, you can get them to the point to where they're they're reasonably reliable. <laughs> I guess right. is the best way to say it. Yeah, that, and that's that's pretty key too because um, you know those um, everybody I talk to when it comes to the vector monitors, you know, basically says the same thing. Well, yeah, it's working great for now. For now, you know? yeah. And I, it's too bad there's not, um, you know, there's not a kind of a replacement technology that that could be used. I know that some people have used. LCDs, there used to be some converters that you could buy um, to convert the vector signal into, I guess, a VGA signal for an LCD. And and that, you know, but I, I have no idea what that would look like. Maybe it wouldn't look as bad as Vast Raster, but, you you know, there's a certain glow with vector, um, you know, where, you know, it can be really bright if it's really concentrated, like uh-huh. in Star Wars, you know, the explosions are really bright yeah, or Star Castles, yeah, when, by the way. Yeah. Um, and when you can't get that in an LCD, the, you know. You, you have no control over, you can't, you know, you can't drive a single point on the display to get really bright like that. That's only, that's only something you can do with vector. Yeah. There's, there's definitely no replacement for them. I mean, they, they have a certain look and they have a certain feel and they have, they almost have their own, uh, aura or their own personality. And yeah, it, it just, it comes from the monitor. It comes from just everything about them. They just, they just feel different. Yeah, so Aaron, so with that, I I mean, I will I'll say that uh we certainly have appreciated, you know, you uh being uh, being open enough to, you know, to have the interview and and to sit down and talk with us tonight. It's been sure. very, it's been very educational. I uh, have loved finding out, you know, the the history behind the test pattern generator and and the scanline generator and, you know, your projects and everything like that. And we I'll I'll close in, in saying that, you know, we wish you all the best of success, you know, with uh continuing on with those and, you know, I certainly look forward to you know seeing what uh you know what changes with the test pattern generator over the next year or so and you know man if there would ever be a you know a vector generator that would be awesome too so we'll we'll certainly stay tuned and stay optimistic like you say yeah i'll keep you i'll keep you guys posted um uh definitely um 2015 um i'm gonna try to do i'm I'm looking to do some new things um got some ideas i haven't really kind of figured them out yet 100 but i'd like to come out with a couple new products uh in this space so, um, yeah, I'll keep you posted. Just, you know, keep an eye on Clove. Oh, will do. And uh, your website is uh, www.craftymech.com. And it looks like people can go there and uh, order. Uh, it looks like they can order the, the scanline generator there. And I, I'm sure at some point, Aaron, like you say, once you get caught up, will the, uh, will the TPG be available there as well? Yeah, it'll be available there as well. Uh, for now, um, though, you can you can email me directly if you're not a CLOV member, just at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at CraftyMech.com. And I'll put you on the list and let you know um, roughly what it's gonna, how long it's going to be. Uh, but yeah, eventually, uh, once I get caught up, I'll put them for sale directly through the website. Awesome. Well, Aaron, listen, thank you for taking the time to talk with us tonight. Uh, like I say, it's been very educational and it's neat to hear, uh, hear the background, you know, behind something sure. that, that his, that's proven its metal and has become really kind of indispensable, you know, from a, you know, from a collector or, you know, a collector maintainer, you know, type of, uh, type of scenario. So again, we thank you for what you do and man, you know, it's, uh, it's great having you on tonight. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks for letting me ramble and wax uh, nostalgic a little bit. Oh man, that's 
that that's what it's all about, dude. If we if we didn't do that, then <laughs> it, a lot of this would have no purpose. So right. no, man, it's it, it is it is all good. It's all good. So no, thank thank you again, Aaron. We appreciate it. No problem. Brent, uh, for lack of having the uh, the Charles Kuralt, uh music for On the Road, we'll just have to go with uh, setting this one up by hand. But um, in this segment of the show, uh, Brent, it was it was great because we got to spend some time at the Stern Pinball Factory, courtesy of uh, Mr. John Trudeau, a friend of the show, and, and who's become really kind of a fast friend of ours, Brent. Over oh, the John's past, an, over the past John year, is an awesome guy. He's an awesome guy, and so. We, we met him at Louisville Arcade Expo. We did, yeah. Uh, last year, about, last, a, last about year, a year ago. Almost a year ago. And over that time, he has just extended courtesy after courtesy to us. And, John, we thank you for that so much. But, uh, Brent, let, let me set the stage for this for, for everybody to kind of, kind of have an, an idea of how this came about. You know, we went to Pinball Expo, and we were – work schedules and everything like that did not allow us to attend the Stern Factory Tour. So – what, that happened. What Brent like? Early, it was Thursday, early, early, early Thursday, Thursday morning. morning. It's like the, one of the very first things that 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 went off on Thursday morning there at Pinball Expo. And dude, I couldn't get there in time. And you know, and you and I were, you know, we were neither of us could. We didn't come in till yeah, well, we didn't uh, come in till late that evening. You know, or I guess like Thursday late afternoon. It was Thursday. We actually on Thursday. Yeah, on yes, Thursday. Yeah, was, yeah. and so. Because we couldn't make it, it's like, man, I, I just really, really hated to miss that that whole tour, you know. And that was one of the things I was really kind of looking forward to about going to Pinball Expo. And so when it was all said and done, uh, I reached out to John and just emailed him and said, "Hey, John, I am coming back to Chicago after Pinball Expo, and uh, and you know I'm coming up to coming up to Chicago for work. I had you know I had some work related things going on there in the city, and I thought, man, if if I'm going to already be in Chicago for work, wouldn't it be great just to you know take a you know take an, an afternoon you know an extra afternoon before you know before getting into work proper and seeing if John would host us? And he replied back and and he said that he would and so john is I, obviously crazy he's out of his mind <laughs> well i mean he, would you went actually, out on a ledge well what would i rather do would yeah. i rather stand out in the cold and uh uh do nothing or yeah. would i talk to these two fools uh, these, two, <laughs> these two yahoos and show, well, if we and were inside and it was warm and the other option was outside in the cold in chicago i can see where but still he's nuts he's john you're a mad man well and but but a very a very nice one at that for take <laughs> for taking our you know for taking our cause on and especially for what we ask for you know and so uh, for for lack of a better you know for lack of a better way of saying it you know we we talked to john you know back and forth a little bit and then he hosted us for essentially a personal tour of the stern pinball factory and so uh brent and i went up you know like i say a day yeah you know, i a met day whitney before. up um i drove up uh, um on my on my lonesome yeah we didn't yeah. carpool maybe that's why we had such good success on the road maybe <laughs> yeah. that was it i was just left to my own devices you know that's what it was <laughs> so i got myself lost and then i found myself and finally made it into chicago so it, it worked out and, well. and speaking of and before i forget while we were in chicago mr uh, jim zespi of logan oh yeah logan hardware uh, is yeah. it logan hardware or logan arcade it's it's logan the official it's logan arcade and then logan hardware so it's, okay yeah logan hardware is kind of like the music 
music store now. So well, Mr. Jim Zespi hosted us while we were uh, while we were in Chicago. Gave we, us a place to stay. Uh, also, yes, gave us a place to stay. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yes. And we got to spend a little bit more time uh, actually in the arcade, and it is it's phenomenal it's pretty sweet if you're, if you're in the area stop in uh, uh logan arcade yeah play some games there's there's uh, uh uh top top quality games nicely maintained games while we were there i saw one that actually had an issue one of the pins and there's there's I'm assuming that there's someone there most all the time, kind of keeping an eye on things. There is, yeah. And dedicated you know, staff there. There, there were they were there. They were working on the games, which is probably why you could walk through the through the game rooms, rooms, yeah, yeah. and and not see games down everywhere. They're, they're constantly maintained. Yeah, constantly maintained. So th- just, thank you, Jim. Yes, it's just a a beautiful location, and uh, he's definitely got a good thing going on there. So it, it was it was neat, and so yeah, so Jim put us up, you know, the night before that worked out. Really really well and then we uh, we hopped up the next morning brent and uh, rode up to stern and uh, met with john around 10 o'clock in the morning and he took us uh he took us through the through the factory tour which you know we'll we'll kind of talk talk and walk our way through here in just a minute one thing i do want to say though up front is you know john was very uh, he was very upfront about what we what we could uh see and what we couldn't see what we could take pictures of and what we could not and i do want to make a disclaimer that uh john did not uh he did not show us anything that we can't talk about and it, you know for what we for everything that we saw we can talk about but we saw you know nothing um nothing that hinted at an upcoming game yeah um, we know nothing we, and we actually know, we know nothing and uh we're told nothing so just just i want to throw that out there up front and you know one of the things that that we went out of our our way to say uh to john and to you know anyone that was kind of in that area involved in in just allowing us the the privilege of being there we we don't whitney and i we don't want to know no i don't i I don't want to know yeah we we don't want to know there's it's obvious that there's a lot of this that kind of goes on in 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 the community and i i can understand that what's what's is the title that i want it's the next the next thing yeah what's what's next up and i can understand stern or spookies or whoever's the other side of it and wanting to to protect what they've got coming out yeah and and play close to play close to the chest if you will or the vest actually i think it's the the real term yeah and personally i have i have no desire to be in the middle of that yeah i i enjoy the company enjoy the uh enjoy in this case the uh technology the technology the the line what was how it was done seeing it and actually being made the come like whitney said the camaraderie come like there's another word i can't say thank you whitney yeah Yeah. just not working for me today (laughs) and you know uh to us to me i don't want to speak for whitney but i think that i am it's it's about the people it's oh, about yeah. folks like john i oh, said for sure i said john's a madman john's a you know i'm kidding john greatest guy is in the world. unbelievable yeah. he's awesome rarely do we meet anybody in this hobby that is just problematic and yeah. we'll leave it at that yeah. you know so uh don't want to cut anybody short or or you know raise anybody up too high but yeah um you know let's 
it, it is what it is. But, you know, John, we really appreciate it. So yeah, anyway, Whitney, it, I got us way off. Yeah, there. no, 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 it, it's all good. I mean, I, I think it's a good disclaimer because... It, yeah, don't ask. We don't know. We didn't want to know. We yeah. didn't look to know. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. I mean, other there, there's going to be other people that are way more into the pinball industry than, than Brent, you and I will ever be. I mean, we're just two dudes sitting in your basement talking in front of microphones, and the, we, we have no pull. We have no advance notice or no inside source. Um, it, it's just, you know, knowing John over time and just asking if he would uh, help us fill some time. He said, yeah, come on up. I'll walk you guys through the factory you know, it was really what it turned into to me seeing how these games are built was was, was a million way, times more fascinating yeah than what the next title is yes yeah because and, and just causing that ruckus yeah i mean yeah. it's just amazing and, and all the drama that's associated with you know breaking the scoop i'm not really worried about breaking you the know, scoop what was cool though is to see how they poured their heart and their soul into making these games, and it made me uh, want to buy another uh, another pinball machine, Brent. And that's and that's I guess a whole other issue in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so you got you know Charlie at Spooky. Spooky. Oh, man. Charlie puts his he wears his heart on his sleeve. There's yes, there's does. there's pictures, and I respect that. Oh, absolutely. I really like Charlie. If you're listening. I really like seeing pictures of your uh-huh. facility, yeah, and as things go, yes. and um, I know you're pouring your your entire family, your crew, you're pouring your heart and your soul in it, and it's from a from a technical perspective, from just a how things happen perspective. Yeah, I really like seeing that behind the curtains and seeing that line of games, yeah, and starting from one end, they're less finished than they are to the other end. I know, and uh, I know you've had pictures as of this recording. You've had pictures recently of Ben Heck sitting there in front of the game writing code. Now, uh-huh. now knowing your all's history, Ben may have a beer under the under the laptop on the bottom of that cart. I got I got no problems with that. That's good for Ben. Yeah, exactly. But it makes that, the game more fun. That is the, uh, that side of it is the cool real cool side to yeah, me and yeah. then you know kind of going back into where we were here with stern that's what i was really excited to yes, see and yes, you'll yes. you'll hear it come out as we go through some of these some of the notes that we've made uh, just you know how how it comes to be in that box yeah. on your doorstep yeah so so brent and i so brent and i you know wind up at stern uh that, that morning and uh john meets us and you know kind of walks us in and no cameras no no cell phones or anything like that we pretty much have to you know put everything away and it was it was all access but only to what we could see and remember so that that was really kind of how it went which which was fine so so we walk in and john starts taking us on no cameras tour. in the fact Yes, in the factory. That is correct. Yeah. So that, that's a very good point. We were allowed to take pictures once we got into kind of like the playroom and mm-hmm. things like that. But while we were on the show floor, uh, or the, show. Sorry, the, the factory floor, rather, <laughs> it was a show and it was a show on the factory floor. Uh, there, there was no camera. So everything was divided into lines. I mean, they, they had the entire production componentized, you know, down to pretty much a science. So Brent, why, why don't you take us through, take us through the first line. We'll kind of go back and forth with this and uh and then kind of walk everybody through uh through what we saw so the first line that we saw and and personally this to me and uh, hopefully i don't say this like six times during this to me oh, this, but we will this was the coolest line to me of of all of it okay which was what i i'm calling the harness line so basically the main harness of these games they've got a four by eight sheet of plywood and over that sheet of plywood 
is a large piece of paper that looks like it had come out of a plotter. Mm -hmm. And on that piece of paper was all of the trace, the, the the lines to trace to lay the harness out along with the wire colors. Mm -hmm. So it followed basically the layout, the layout of the harness, the yeah. harness line. Yeah, it the, is wi what the wiring is. diagram for the game. The wiring yeah. diagram for the game. And on, on along this diagram, on this sheet, was a series of, of pins. And what they were doing was, is, uh, as it worked its way down the line, they would pull off the, the wire of, a, of the proper color, and they mm -hmm. would lace it along the pins. They would follow this map. Mm -hmm. and it, then, it was a loom. It was a loom. That's there exactly right. And if there was a connector, there was a, a fixture that held your IDC connector, and they would just clip it right in the little fingers. They wouldn't punch it down. Yeah. So as... As they would do a section, someone you know, whoever was at a station was responsible for that section. These these sheets of plywood were were vertical on. I, how would you describe that, Whitney? Kind of like a, wasn't like a conveyor. It was no, like a rack of some it, it type. Was, it was almost like a rotisserie. Well, that it, was at the end. Was, yeah, that was at the end, but it. it it was almost like a rotisserie locked in one position. Yeah, they okay. would hold the the board was held almost at, straight up and down. It was probably raked back, maybe about twelve or fifteen degrees. Yeah, let's say fifteen degrees, just just to make it easy to do the runs. Right, you know. Yeah. So the bottom, you know, the bottom of the board was probably three foot off the ground, and mm -hmm. it was on this track. That's probably a good way to explain it. Yeah. So one person would finish whatever they were they were wiring, and, and they would just be moved on. They down would the line. slide it down. Slide it down the and line, and then I guess as a new space was created, there'd be a new one. On, put on the end so the paper had the name of the game uh -huh. and the model of the game so if it was uh um you know they were doing that day there was a few games there but for the most part it was all the walking dead yeah there were some star treks uh and some mustangs in, some mustangs and a, and a couple of acdcs but it was mostly all walking dead so if they were doing a uh, a pro it would that board would be titled mm -hmm. the walking dead pro or uh, did it actually ha it had i know no, it, it had the, have, it the code the, name on it, it would have the code name on so it so it had the code name on it yeah. which was dinner time for De walking dinner dead dinner time for walking dead that's right and uh as they do their you know they they'd run their portion uh for the represented what their station did and they'd slide it down the rack to the next person yeah. and as it worked further and further down the stations all the individual wires were added yeah and then when it got to the end, they had a, a, um, a like a carousel set up where it would come off on a section of that rack that was movable, and that thing would spin, scoot across the the floor, and then insert itself into the next section, and then work its way back up where yeah. they would continue building the harness up. Yeah, it, it was it was neat because they could they could es essentially assemble a harness for any of their current or prior games just by going and getting the loom out of a rack and then setting it setting it up on on the the plywood and then going for it so at any point in time it looked to me like they could reproduce the wiring harness for any other game that they've ever done or at least that, that they that they have the loom for and it looked like they had a lot yeah toward the back of that area there was a storage rack mm -hmm. and i mean it was it was games we all knew it was ac current games yeah. acdc i think i saw one yeah. for uh i saw one for spider-man Oh, did you see yes, one for Spider-Man? Spider yes. I was thinking back uh, as far as, well, not even back because it's new, I guess, the uh, the Iron Man, you know, mm -hmm. the Vault Iron Edition Man. Yeah. Iron Man. 
hand. Yeah. And they just, they had a myriad of these. And if, if whatever order they wanted to run them, they could pull them up. They pull them up and stick go. Stick them on the line and start and start lacing them out and yeah. making making the harness. Yeah, it was neat. So there was, in that same area, there were smaller areas where they were also doing your, your kind of like your sub-assembly wiring. Yeah. And they had, I guess it's best described, like this little rolling rack. It was probably about two foot, three foot wide. And they would they would build the sections of harness that would plug into the main harness for sub sub areas of uh, of the game whether it was for a toy or maybe the 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 harness that would eventually go under a ramp if it was involved harness that, that was attached to the bottom of a ramp or something. So they were building these on that same area too, but more in kind of stationary locations. And then they were the you know they had testing facilities there. So once they were done. They could plug up to a test rig and do a test if they wanted to, mm-hmm. and then they'd go ahead and hang them on these these rocks or these m- mobile trees, if you will, yeah. so they can move them throughout the rest of the plant. Yeah, and a lot of the harnesses, once they were done, would uh, would go ahead and have the, the lighting connectors, you know, the lighting receptacles already in them, and mm-hmm. would have like uh, LEDs already inserted into the harnesses, ready to go. Absolutely. So that when they got to the cab or the final assembly line, they could just <laughs> just plug and play, plug and, and play, go. and move them in. Yeah. So it was neat seeing all of those uh, all of those harnesses with LEDs plugged in. And I think I I think I mentioned to John, you know, it's like John, man, look at all those LEDs. They look like coin takers, you know, to me. But it, I, I think I'd read that somewhere. But he, I've afraid, read that. He, he confirmed it, but a lot of the LEDs just look alike, Brent. So it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to know per se. But dude, I just know from what I the the paltry amount that I spent on Black Friday at CoinTaker, who knows how much money they they put out in in buying LED bulbs. I, they surely get a break. But dude, LEDs for something that only costs a dollar twenty nine, it's amazing how many hundreds of dollars you can spend on LEDs. It's unreal. And if you look at the volume <laughs> that goes through there, I mean, yeah. when you consider you might see a dozen games in your town, but you yeah. got to remember they're shipping games all Every over the U S worldwide, all over the world. Yeah. And it's, you know, that crossed my mind too, just the sheer magnitude of parts. Yeah. You know, they're at one point in, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into another portion of the, uh, I want to talk about this a little later, but, um, but there was a, at one point we saw someone who was, who was working on aprons. Yeah. And, uh, you don't, you know it, but you don't know it. There's an apron for every game. You yeah. produce four thousand games. You're producing four thousand aprons, and they're stocked. I yeah. mean, just because you've got to have them. Yeah, you got to put them somewhere. You know, you've got to have uh, four thousand coin doors. Yeah, or however many. I mean, there wasn't four thousand coin doors there that day. It's just, but that much material moves through there, and there might have been a couple hundred aprons there that day and a couple hundred coin doors there that day, you know, so that they could handle the production line for that two weeks or, you know, I'm just pulling, I'm pulling these numbers out of the air, but you see, you don't realize the, the volume, the, the volume that's yeah. involved. So, so Brent, uh, before we move on to the playfield line, talk for a minute about the solder station that we saw. Oh because, yeah, because here's the thing. Are you talking about, we're we're going to refer back to our notes because Whitney and I decided uh, to keep us on track. We had to have <laughs> some. Re- you mean the cabinet line? We want to hit the cabinet line next. Uh, I, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. What did I say? Did I, playfield I said line. Playfield. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. We yeah. want to hit the cabinet yeah, line. Yeah. We want to. We there yeah. was so much here. We had so, to have so much good notes on this. So, so, so yeah, so talk about the solder station. And if there was one part that I wish we could have taken a picture of, it would be this right here. So, so you're talking about where they were tinning the leads? Yes. Yeah. All right. So uh, we all know that in, in, in a pinball harness, there's there's 
portions of the harness that you're just going to have to actually, your final point of termination is going to be a solder. It's mm-hmm. not going to be some kind of term, a terminal or some kind of connector. At your flippers is a perfect example on those coils, or actually any coil for that matter. You're going to solder those on. So there was a there was a couple stations with a couple ladies there working that day, and what they were doing is they had um, uh, a little a hot pot or whatever term you want to apply to it, where uh, the and the name is absolutely escaping me. This is this show is a wreck no, for no, me no, in terminology. No, no, no here, here's what it was. Here's and what it was. And it was a, a not a kiln. What is it here? No, 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 no. Here's what it was. If anybody can visually in their mind picture a chocolate fountain. <laughs> or a fondue, fondue pot, pot, okay, a fondue pot. Yep. It was a bigger, more, much more robust version of that, where they would take literal blocks or ingot, bars, ingots, bars or ingots of solder, and it would, um, it would heat them to the point to where there was a bowl of solder, bubbling solder at all times. And I'm, I'm overthinking it because yeah. you know I've never had a, a, an occasion to own one of these, but it's literally <laughs> it's literally called a solder pot. Yeah, solder pot. Except okay. this is instead of like a home type unit, this was a commercial grade yeah, it was huge. unit. And then right great. right over these this boiling cauldron of solder was a, a, a fume evac- evacuator, uh-huh. and you you know they had enough of these where there were several stations if they wanted to run them where they were drawing the excess fumes off the top of these so while we were there there were two ladies working the station and they were taking the wire harnesses the looms if you will and if if it needed to be tinned so that eventually it could be direct soldered onto a component like a uh, a coil for like a flipper Uh they would fan out the the ends to tin and they were dipping them dip it in dip it in one at a time and that's how they were pre-tinning all of these ends and they were just that's what they were doing for that for that portion of of the morning they were neat they'd harness after harness they were just they were working away having you know (laughs) dip go dip go dip go and you would think that there there would be a more uh, automated way of achieving that but when you saw how they did it it's like nah i think that works pretty good yeah you know i'm sure some genius out there could come up with an automate uh, a way to automate that but it was it there, there's a reason they're still doing it by hand. Well, and, and I think that that sentiment echoes throughout the throughout this entire you know walkthrough of, of the factory visit is that there is a there's a lot of opportunity for automation in building pinball, but I don't really think that you want it because the way that they were doing it, the way that Stern was doing it, seemed to be very efficient. It seemed to be very intentional and deliberate, and I didn't really see where automating any part of it was really going to buy them much when you looked at how how closely everything has to be done together right yeah and, you know I, and i asked john i said um you know is this what a lot of these folks do constantly and, and of course what everyone has an aptitude for 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 things mm-hmm. you know whitney may be good at something that i'm not I, I find this hard to believe but he may be better at something than i am <laughs> i'll be still my heart dude <laughs> you're killing me over here uh he said you know n- no you know the they have the folks here have plenty of opportunity to do other things you know and i'm sure like unlike in an automotive production production facility where it's um a little bit more end to end and you're going to build the same thing for a year you're even though you're building pinball machines each machine is very is varied so much because of the way the play field goes the different toys the different sub assemblies uh that 
you know, they had all the folks there. They tended to to trade around in mm-hmm. a, in a lot of those positions because honestly, who wants to sit there all day in ten wires? I mean, mm-hmm. it was cool to see it done, but it'd be mind numbing. It would be mind numbing. But even at that, they were uh, they they would. It wasn't just dip and go, dip and go. They were all these. Everyone that I saw was paying very close attention to what they were doing, mm-hmm. and they were doing it with with intention mm-hmm. to for for speed. But they weren't just kind of throwing stuff together i mean it was there was attention to detail yeah and and, you know and there's going to be there's going to be errors in assembly or there's going to be issues with assembly and anything that's done by the human hand but overall you can tell that that they they achieve a a fairly if not a very high level of consistency in what they do so it was neat so the cabinet line well right off the back of the harness line part of the harness line and i so needed one of these if you've ever bought connectors on tape so you can buy individual like Molex pins, but you can also buy them from tape, mm-hmm. you know. Well, they had the machines that would actually take the tape for con- for connectors or wires that they needed to terminate oh, right. in a and different connector, not separated. an IDC. Yeah. And I, I just looked at that and I said, gosh, I need one of those. Because yeah. you've got this huge spool of tape of <laughs> connectors on the top of it that's... You know, the diameter of the spool or the box was, you know, 18 inches, 20 inches who knows how many connectors was in there and instead of having to crimp each one by hand yeah. obviously they wouldn't want to do this and to dunk to dunk i mean that and they they knock out however you know a hundred in a minute yeah. you know nothing just going through it it, it was i needed one of those it, machines it, it, was, it was neat i kind of forgot about that but you're yeah right. anyway the cabinet line the cabinet line so so we kind of made our way over to the cabinet line this in we, we kind of walk into the factory if you if you think about it um we walk in at like the six o'clock position and so you start moving clockwise around the face of a clock and so the you know the you know the harness line is like at that seven to nine to ten position and so we're kind of moving you know in in the building like to the 11 or 12 o'clock position where the cabinet line is it's neat you know the cabinet bodies they came in pre-assembled they're all painted black and and that's good for them because you know they're not doing any of the assembly there they don't need the tools to do that Uh, another company you know assembles the cabinets for them and stern buys them from from that company but what they are doing there on site is they're correcting all the imperfections and uh you know all the all the little divots or pock marks are filled in with bondo and they they scrape the thing smooth and uh, they just use a razor blade and they're they're just using the very lightest coat of bondo and they're pretty much doing it the same way that we would restore or fix you know a divot in in our own arcade cabinets yeah but when we walked over <laughs> there and i was going to ask john i was like okay what kind of material are they literally yeah. this question was in my mind and i turned my head and on the table was a can of bondo it was, was a can of bondo yeah exactly and as whitney said they're using a razor blade they're using a single-sided razor blade like you'd have in a box cutter yeah and they take a little and if there was any little place in that cabinet that would you know like where the decal would sink in it mm-hmm. they would give it a little just a little it, fill yeah a little fill and a little nick and then you know and just get it you know glide it smooth now in some cabinets like um I, i've had the opportunity to recently take a look at a uh, metallica it was a metallica premium and the decals on that had a little bit of a wrapping effect as you went from the coin door area around to the side i didn't look close enough they we saw them decal several star treks mm-hmm. and I, I haven't looked close enough at one of those to to know if they wrapped on the edges or not or yeah, if the edges were still 
kind of you could see that that black yeah. uh, undercut or that black color you know yeah, right there it has like a little bevel on yeah. it or a little bezel on it right so they were actually going around and they were also touching up like if, if a cabinet was moved somewhere after production to to where it was ready to be decaled any any spot that where where there was a little nick in the paint they were touching that up as well oh yeah yeah it was it was neat i mean they were they were essentially guarantee, guaranteeing a, a completely flat surface and then the thing that impressed me the most was how they applied the decals and for anybody who who may ever wonder you know no, wait, before that yeah they did scrape they scraped it down to make sure there was no high points on it which was kind of cool to me this final little step yep they took that razor blade held it vertical like 90 degrees off the cabinet a little razor and just, blade and just run it completely down the cabinet the entire cabinet yeah i mean they do quite a few of these i'd have thought you'd used a bigger tool but they could do it pretty quick they, they did do it quick so so essentially think of like a squeegee against glass yeah you know they were they were just completely you know smoothing that entire surface right. off yeah. so now now the decals this is so what yeah the, the this decals, was phenomenal th- this was this was pretty unreal so you think about you know putting artwork on your arcade cabinets and you know reproduction artwork and do you use the dry method do you use the wet method it, you know, or is there somewhere in between and how do they position it and everything like that? What we saw was um, essentially three guys applying the artwork. One would use the squeegee. The other two guys would, or I'm sorry, would, would use the water bottle, the spray bottle. They did use the wet method. And then a couple of guys would, uh, would essentially hold the artwork on either end of the cabinet. And then they would just strategically lower the artwork onto the cabinet. So they'd and hold then, it at the four corners. You'd have a guy, they'd have the cabinet like, on its like, side. Like a bed sheet. Like a bed sheet. Like there a you bed go. Sheet over a mattress, they would they would spray down the side of the cabinet with a little bit of water, and then lower that decal onto the cabinet, and then position it, and then they would just use a plastic squeegee, and then they would evacuate all the water out from underneath that decal, and boom, it was done. So if you ever wanted to know how did the pros do it, they use the wet method, uh, yeah. and those guys would get it done so fast it was it wasn't even it, funny. It was, it, it, we must have watched them do half a dozen cabinets. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just. It was wild to watch them, and they had they had three cabinets at a time, yeah, sitting there in their in their area, and as it would come through those three stations, they would do the various things: the fill and the the fill and the touch up, and uh, the scrape out or off, and then the decal application, and then the cleaning out of you know the the squeegeeing down of the decal. Yeah, yeah. So. So that was it, and then I, I couldn't make a bed as fast. As oh they, no, it, it was those, amazing. Yeah, those those guys were on it, and then uh, at that point, the, you know, we start to look at uh, start to look at assembling the rest of the cabinet, which would be the the head and the body itself. They're, the heads are already assembled. They made them to the body, and uh, I really like the new back box or the new head that that Stern is using. You know, it's a metal it's a metal back box with uh, with some wood. You know, T molding on the side. It, it, that's being used in. Uh, like the Iron Man Vault Edition, it's being used in The Walking Dead. Star Trek uses that. I mean, just a, a fantastic looking back box, and it's it's a it's a bit more modern looking than I guess some of the older back boxes are. Mm-hmm. But it, it was neat to see how how all that's done, and they're already pre-assembled and ready to go from the same company that they that they get their cabinets from. So, Brent, tell us a, tell us a little bit about the Playfields. So now the Playfield line is actually. Uh, in the, from the factory perspective, it's just behind where the cabinet line is, uh, in between the cabinet line and the harness line. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that was kind of interesting to me. Overall, they really utilized space. <laughs> so you know, in my they mind, pa- they were packed. Yes, up. in my mind, 
uh, if you sit back and look at it, the cabinets were kind of almost like a Y formation where uh, turn, you know, coming down one leg of that Y is your cabinets coming down another leg of that Y is your play fields. And then when you get down to the center, you know, the vertical bar of that Y, if you will, they come together and then they eventually end up on the main line and assemble together. So the play fields in, in this space, the first thing, you know, the play fields come right from a third party vendor. And they've already got the art installed and, uh, excuse me, the art is on them and the inserts are in them. So mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, and we didn't talk about this with John, it, I, I've heard how play fields are, are basically laid out. And, and real quick there, the the vent, what the vendor's actually doing is they're taking the bare wood, they're cutting the play field design, they're cutting out any any holes or anything that need to be in the play field, any, anything for the inserts. They're inserting the inserts. Inserts aren't actually flat they're actually kind of bulbous if you will so once they're inserted and, and fixed into place the whole top of the play field is sanded smooth so that's what brings the inserts level with the top of the play field and at that point they can apply art and they can clear all right and then john was even telling us that at the vendor's facility anything that's a premium or an le the designer signs mm-hmm. so yeah. before they do the clear after the art application um john or whoever in this case like a mustang for john hops in a car with a paint pen and he, he runs out to the vendor's location <laughs> yeah. and they have a stack of play fields yeah. they're going to be to L- work and he signs each one of them yep and then that signature and it's a specific type of paint pen that won't react with the clear mm-hmm. then that specific type of or excuse me then then his signature is cleared over and it's locked into the artwork of the play field yeah, yeah. so the um the the uh, the playfields come in, and one of the first things they have to do is they have to dimple the playfield. And what the dimpling is is that's the guide for all of the screws, all of the additional holes, the posts, all that kind of fun stuff. And you know, tell us tell us what John told us about the the machine, it was, Whitney. It was unreal. He walks up to this machine as if it was an old old friend because yeah. it was. It, because it was, and it, it, you could kind of get you could kind of get a sense for for the for the the the, the aura of respect for this machine that John and everybody had because this machine, a single use machine, and you can almost think of it as like a, a press for lack of a better term, where, where the, the top part of the machine comes up on, uh, on rails and then you slide the play field in between and then you pull the top part down as a press and then it dimples the play field. And the interesting thing about that is that one single machine had been used at Gottlieb, Williams, Bally, Data East, and then now at Stern. And and it and it wasn't just that same type of machine had been used. It was actual. It was that, that actual very machine. machine. That very machine had made its way. And we looked over at John and said, "So does this mean essentially most every playfield in the industry has been has been dimpled by this machine?" He said, "Yeah, it, it pretty has. much, pretty much." And it, what what it does to do the dimpling is is the. Um, the, there's like an insert, if you will, that goes in the top of the machine and the bottom of the machine. And there's pins. And, the, you know, the insert is roughly the size of a play field. There's very sharp pins, very stout pins in both of those inserts that uh, when the play field blank goes in there and the machine is closed, those pins create the initial dimples on the tops and the top and the bottom of the play field simultaneously. They pull the play field out. Now 
the guys on the line can use those dimples as guides for everything else that they're going to do all the yeah. rest of the assembly and it's 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 insane to think that that one machine because you know like like whitney said it's a single use machine but i'm sure that it started life as as a hydraulic press of some type it, it did and and so for the pins that would actually do the dimpling and like and like Brent said, it is hydraulic. So so they would they would change out the the pin guides for every play field and stacked right beside that that machine were pin guides for I, Brent, I don't know how many playfields were there, but it, it was easily twenty or thirty play playfield guides. Yeah, so were, different for those would be for different games. Yeah, for different games, one for each, and I, you know, and I saw or Spider-Man. two for each. You got oh, two for one well, top and the bottom, one top for, top and bottom for ones that have multiple. You're right, but dude, I saw one for Elvis. I saw one for Spider Man. You know, it, so they had some newer ones, some older ones, and John said at one point in time there existed pin guides, the, these dimpling pin guides for every playfield ever done. Mm-hmm. You know, by that machine, and uh, who knows where they all are now? But I'm going to assume that Stern probably has it, at least theirs, if not more. Okay, because I just don't know. It's hard to say where the rest of them could be, but uh, when it's this machine that is the choking point for getting all the play fields done, uh, all all those resources got to be sitting somewhere. I would imagine. I yeah. would imagine so. Yeah. It, it was. It was very. It was a cool thing to see. <laughs> it was it was a cool just, thing to see. It was just kind of this unassuming. You know, it, it it had the dimensions roughly the size of a of a pinball body, but yeah. just a little larger. A little larger, just a and big then, gray box. And then a big gray box, and you, you'd literally slide the playfields in it. You'd line it up with some uh, some registration marks <laughs> that was the in button. the guy, and hit the button. And yeah. Boom. Yeah. John told me to keep my hands out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the just the uh, the templates or the pin guides or whatever those things are called. Just you would it, imagine does everybody know what an iron maiden is you know that 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 uh, torture device of of long ago where with all the spikes all and you the, close the it spikes, up yeah. well that's kind of what the that's what these boards look like yeah, yeah. and they he just john looked he said those things are really sharp because i was thinking <laughs> it did with pressure well apparently it's not just pressure he said those are really sharp yeah yeah really sharp but it was a cool machine yeah. and just to realize it had that much history and it passed through that many hands and had seen that many games yeah you know because i mean look behind me if it's the games that I've got here, every game that's in my game room right now, uh, would have been served. Would have by been that would have been made by that machine. Yeah. So that's a high speed. That's a CSI. That's a Dirty Harry and an Adams Family. Yeah. Or is what's sitting here in Brent's game room right now. So every single one of those would have been hit by this machine. Yeah. yeah. And if when he said or John, stamped, stamped right. Yeah. yeah. When John said Gottlieb, I, I don't know if that was a old school Gottlieb or like Gottlieb Premier. Nah, you know, I, don't, I don't know. But and, you know he'd pretty much cover everything. <laughs> I'm thinking it through pretty much everything that's in my garage as yeah. well that's like on the on the list to be worked on. Yeah, it was all came out of that machine. Yeah, it was it's it amazing. Was wild. So then we had the playfield test and checkout area, man. So Well, the, those playfields they would be picked up from that point uh-huh. and uh then they would they they had to drill out any additional accessory holes or stuff that wasn't done from from the factory. So uh I don't know if did you notice this they would take the playfields out of that machine and then they would take them over to the, a bench right next to the machine and they had like a template that would clamp down over the the playfield and if they needed to drill an extra hole or for whatever a hole for whatever reason that wasn't done by the original manufacturer, say for example, like a hole with a post that had a T-nut then they would drill those holes there. They would follow the guide in that template, and they had uh, 
the the tools there and and they would work through and they would add the rest of the the holes that were needed they'd scoot it down and any um, uh, metal ball guides or posts they were also affixing them at that point as well yeah, so it, it was neat so so from there the, it would go ahead uh, the play field would move into the test and the checkout area and it was nice because they would mount these these play fields on on rotisseries that, that are attached to essentially a mock head and the head w- is opened and they could swap out the boards uh, you know the same system boards and everything is needed to uh, you know to test a ACDC play field or a uh, an Avengers playfield or Star Trek playfield, you know, you kind of get the idea. And so now, uh, you know what? I just realized what we didn't put in here. What's that? The line from this little area toward the back of the plant, where the playfields were coming out of the dimpling machine and getting uh, those initial holes drilled. The pl- the playfield, the main playfield line, where all the assemblies were put on it. It was put in this rotisserie frame. Yeah, and then it was built out as it worked its way down to yeah. this test facility, down to the head testing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, thank you for that. So, and, and that, that's probably the best way to say it is they there was uh, there was a large number of people standing there with pneumatic tools that were doing all the toy uh, attachment to the playfield, mm-hmm. and so the the playfields would just move down the assembly line, and everybody was doing their part to get the toys and the ramps on and things like that. So, yeah, that, that's very true. Absolutely. And, then, and then from there, it would move to the playfield testing area where where they would be attached to the mock heads and then they, they had a technician that would uh that would essentially run through you know the assembled play field make any adjustments that were necessary to switch leaf switches whatever it may be roll you know uh rollover sensors you know um you know optical sensors whatever it may be just to make sure that everything worked and so uh they would essentially you know go through and by hand uh play the game they'd actuate all the switches they would uh you know they would you know kind of touch the drop targets and things like that just to make sure that everything registered make sure that all the wiring harness work and uh, and everything that, that led up to that point was valid anything that anything that kind of needed adjustment they would adjust at that point so uh, we we watched the folks that were working that area uh and like Whitney said this thing was a, a pretty cool rotisserie so if they needed to get under the, the play field to adjust something mm-hmm. they'd pull a, a little lever it would unlock the rotisserie they'd flip it over it had several adjustment points in the 360 yeah. degree spin they might lock it at 45 or 90 degrees get in the area they needed to adjust work on it spin it back over yeah, and then keep on going uh they had um everything basically they had a working pinball machine minus the cabinet at that point you know they had they had all the boards set plugged into it hanging in the mock head that whitney mentioned they had a little workstation that that had all of the buttons or any switches that would normally have been in the physical cabinet so they had they had a working pinball machine hanging there with no cabinet wrapped around it it was yeah. pretty neat it was neat you know you, you don't realize how much wire is in these oh, things yeah. until uh, until you see it without a cabinet to hold it all so it was it, it was pretty pretty amazing from that regard so dude and the next thing on the list before we get to the main line kind of where it wraps up uh, we've got uh, these cell areas noted and uh, that those are essentially areas. Uh, John pointed those out to us where where they build some of the where they build essentially sub assemblies. And what that means is 
is they they may have a cell area where they they do nothing but assemble ramps, uh, nothing but assemble playfield toys, and and you know apply art to the assemblies and, and things like that. So sticker your uh, aprons. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and that, that's that's a very that's a very good you know way to look at it. Uh, where they may go through and touch up anomalies in the toys, uh, make sure that uh, make sure that that everything you know meets from a you know from quality control perspective in in those individual uh, or those dedicated areas right there. So. so what I thought was real cool about this is they, all the cellular areas were numbered. And John mentioned that yeah, the, they were, what, they? what yeah. they do changes. Yeah. So in effect, ba- based on game. Exactly. Yeah, based so, on game. So in effect, what was going on is, you know, game A needs two ramp assemblies made and they all need an apron made and they need game A needs this toy. So they assign cells, uh, xyz to do those yeah and then if game b was coming uh then the cells uh you know abc would do maybe the one ramp for this game and Mm -hmm. this for they were very dynamic is where i'm going with this (laughs) yeah and they would have to because stern stern does not run or at least we did not see evidence of them running uh, a dedicated run for just one game they were intermixing games as they went okay now, to, to some degree yeah, we, they to were some they were mainly uh the walking dead which makes sense uh-huh yeah and you know if you switch up too much you're gonna you're gonna screw up your your productivity yeah you're gonna lose a lot of efficiencies that being said yeah they still were running different games other than the walking dead absolutely yes yes yep. Yeah, so so from there, Brennan, I think probably you know we've got everything required to make the pinball machine. Now it's just getting to the main line, where where everything kind of comes together. And the, the main line is, I mean, it's all cool, but the main line was really cool. I mean, it, it is what it what it sounds like. It is the main line where all of these major sub assemblies, mm-hmm. your cabinet, mm-hmm. your play field, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, all of the major bits and pieces come together the coin doors and when it's all said and done after it's traveled the length of that main line you've got a working machine you do and then then i think probably one of the funnest parts of it is is it gets play tested at that point so just to make sure I'd that like, it works yeah, we we should have asked for that job we'd have done it for free I'd done it for free for that day do you could have i mean we could have knuckle rolled a couple guys that were there yeah. just took their job you know <laughs> Guess what? You get a you get an extra long lunch break yeah, that's today. Exactly. Right. What's Fred Sanford say? I'll give you five across the lips. So you know, <laughs> it's one of those things where where we could have we could have taken that job and gone, man. But uh, yeah, it was awesome to see to see that happen. And you know, from there, uh, after the game play tested properly and you know and met all the QC standards, uh, then it was time for it to go ahead and go into to boxing and shipment and then get loaded on a truck. So it was actually kind of anticlimactic, you know, when it was when it was all said well, and done. When you're there, it's all business. It is. It's, it was a hundred percent. Now, over business. in the back corner of the factory, they did have quite a few uh, Walking Dead setting out, mm-hmm. and you know the, the legs aren't on these games. They're setting a roller of some type. You know, yeah. they're not assembling. They're not going to put the legs on them to turn around and take the legs right back off of them and yeah. put them in a box. Yeah. So I'm sure the legs are. You know, I've never unboxed a Stern pinball. I assume they're all individually wrapped and probably in a sub box or something yeah they're, they're just wrapped in plastic yeah so those probably came from their vendor that way and they put a set of legs in a box at the end of the day but uh you know they so they had their their stand of games that was getting ready for whatever little finishing touch they needed to put on a particular game like if something come out of qa or whatever or if it didn't you yeah. know 
and it was ready to be boxed and ready to be stood up on its on its end and yeah. put on a truck and sent out the what sent out the door. So so I think the moral of this entire story is is that you know every game that Stern makes uh, is uh, produced by human hands to and and to the nth degree on that. So there wasn't uh, any real automation to speak of uh, outside of what they could do just to reduce some of the hand labor itself. Mm -hmm. But every part of that pinball assembly, the manufacturer and the assembly uh, was, was done, was done by people. And it was neat to see that the money that you spend on a machine is actually supporting labor here in the USA. And, um, and, and that they're, they're making, you know, they're making a product with, uh, with, with some love and they're putting their heart into. So it, it was. It was neat. I did not see a single person there frowning. Uh, I didn't either. Every, you didn't think about that. Yeah, everybody looked like they were having a good time. I didn't see anybody that, that looked disgruntled or disgusted or tired of what they were doing. Uh, everybody seemed to have a you know a, a good attitude about what was going on. And I, you know, I take it from that that you know hopefully making pinball is 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 a good business. Yeah. Um, you know, I. I I knew that, but I didn't know that. I think it's twice I've said that during this episode (laughs) that you're right. Everybody there, uh, they were, they were doing what they were there to do. Yep. And, uh, they were all working with intention. Yeah. You know, uh, they were getting the product built, they were getting it out, but yet they were there. It it wasn't haphazard. Yeah. I mean, even we were talking about the cabinet decal. I mean, there was a couple of the, uh, a couple of the, cabinets we saw them decal they laid the decal down didn't like it they could have just laid it down squeegeed it and moved on they picked it back up they recentered it yeah and, and they took it, another swing again. at it right. until it was right yeah yeah so, so. It, it was neat uh it, it was one of those scenarios where when when we were done uh john took us over into what they consider i guess a play area and that's a room where they had five or six machines set up there was uh there was a walking dead a pro version of that there was an acdc uh pro le uh, there was a Metallica and there was a Mustang, Mustang and there was a Mustang and John uh, and I played Mustang. Oh yeah. Yeah. We all got to play. Yeah. Brent and I both got to play Mustang with John. I beat him, but I either he let you win. dude. I was going to say either you, my, don't be, you don't beat a man at his own. I game. was going to say either my distraction was successful <laughs> or he just felt sorry for the poor Kentucky boy. And he let me win. He, he let you win, dude. Okay. That's just the way it is. I'll you know, go with that. He does that stuff for a living. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, I'll raise you up as much as I can, but that, yeah. that's one of those deals where no <laughs> if i let him win he'll buy a game <laughs> but the thing I, that, that i took away from it is that when you buy when you buy a machine from stern it is money well spent and i don't think that you can look at what you get knowing how it was assembled and what what went into it that you can think that you're getting a bad deal because it's obvious that that they are building uh they're building on schedule they're building uh to mass and they're building to the market and they've got people employed, and they're producing games. Which, uh, when we get into you know a little bit of the the uh, the industry news here, Brent, before we wrap up the show, that's different than <laughs> yeah, some a others. couple uh, some yeah. others that we've seen. So and, you so, know, and I'll add this too: I think they're producing quality games. I, they are, dude. They're I mean, producing good stuff. And I'll say that, and then uh, the hate mail will begin. Or, yeah, but, I got this, and this fell off. You know, look, it's no secret. Whitney and I. Uh, we're car people yeah. and you know I love my 80s General Motors products and I will but it, I will take a breath and tell you that that was the worst time to buy a General Motors product <laughs> they were crap yeah yeah you know there's always problems things always happen um, 
you know, and, and the squeaky wheel is the wheel that gets, I don't even want to say gets the oil. I'll just say that's the wheel that gets noticed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've always, I've always liked the feel of Stern games, even oh, if they, yeah, even man. if the title didn't do it for me or the game didn't do it for uh, me. Yeah. I think they're producing quality games they, they, they and they are. care and they, they care and they're, they're keeping the, you know, they're, they're helping for, for the big for the big guy on the street they, they do a they do yes. a really good job yeah. yeah that's these i was going to rewind that and say they are carrying the the boatload of the of the weight of the industry mm-hmm. and not and that I, charlie doesn't care no, or no, skip no, b no, doesn't no, care no 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 but this is mass produced yeah pinball. the walmart of pinball they, i walked out of there they do a good job and i think they do a good job they do they do a really good job that's exactly right and so so it, it was great and we, we went over into the play area and uh you know like I say got to play some pinball with john trudeau how often does that happen that was a privilege it happens very rarely for us it was a privilege we got some pictures and john uh you know if you're listening thank you so much for uh you know for taking us on for the day uh, we got to go eat lunch with John. It was awesome, and the Portillos was great. And I, I just don't see how we could have put, uh, you know, a, a bow on the day and called it any better than it was. It was, it was just a, a great, uh, it was, great time. Uh, um, it, you, you were already there, and you're on the head end of doing some stuff for work. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a, you know, I, I came up uh, the night before, got in a reasonable kind of early in the evening, and uh, uh, it was a quick turnaround for me. So it was kind of rough, but it was worth every minute. It was. It was. It was was great. I am so glad that that I did it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so glad that we got to do it. So, so so with that, Brent, uh, we were fortunate enough, though. uh, You know, once the once the the uh, the time with John wrapped up, and I think you'd mentioned this at the onset of the segment, the beginning of the segment, is that uh, we had spent some time with Jim Zespi at Logan Hardware, and while we were there playing and uh, you know getting our pinball on, I guess you could say. We met up with the gentleman uh, who introduced himself as Jack Benson, and he works at Stern. And uh, we got to you know spend a little bit of time with him and, and get to get to know him and the the excitement and the exuberance that that is that is him and what he's bringing to Stern. And uh, we asked him if he would sit down with us and, and do a quick interview, and uh, he agreed. So, uh, Brent, I, I think it, there's no better place here in the show uh, to go ahead and roll this interview than to than to wrap this uh, wrap this you know discussion at Stern in the visit with uh, a talk with Jack Benson. Okay, everybody, we are uh, with Jack Benson, and I'm here at uh, Logan Hardware, and Jack has been nice enough to uh, sit down and talk with us, and Jack is a programmer at Stern Pinball, and I uh, met Jack a couple of days ago, and it's like, oh, man, this is great. We meet somebody from Stern to have him on the show. So, so Jack, welcome to, welcome to the show. Thank you, Whitney. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah, no, no problem, man, no problem. Jack, you're a young guy. How, are you? If you, how, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I am uh, 25. 25. Okay, so Jack, I would say that you definitely rank in the up-and-coming part of the pinball industry, okay? So, man, how does a 25-year-old guy such as yourself get, first of all, you know, get on at Stern, and man, what? how did you get into the pinball industry at your age, just uh, just out of curiosity? That's a good question. Like, I think I could probably give most of the credit to Space Cadet for Windows, that free pinball game. No, no, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> and that was a pretty good game. No, no, it was. It was. It was part of it. It was part of it. Fair enough. Yeah. Get some flipper skills yeah. down, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. type in the cheat code, drag the ball around. <laughs> exactly. I remember all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting, right? All these games are really old, and all the video games are really new. You know, Call of Duty and all that stuff. Why am I not doing that kind of thing? Yeah, see, that's, that's what I'm curious about. It kind of goes back to, I remember the first time I played pinball. 
Eh, I'll skip to the good parts. Um, <laughs> my my friend's dead. So this guy, uh, it, my best friend growing up, I met him in second grade. And okay. We went to Catholic school together, and we all made right. it through all eight years, second through eighth grade. We, okay. We stayed really good friends. Yeah. Okay. Best good. friends, still. His name's Andrew Pollock, and uh, his his family is a mom, a dad. And four boys. Okay. Okay. And they live kind of in their, uh, you know, like a suburb on the outskirts of town where they got big fields. And, you know, we would go out and play football. And okay. They, they just boy stuff all yeah. the time. Yeah, just having a good time. Yeah. And uh, his son, one of his sons, uh, was really into, like, kind of engineering side of things. He was really good at math and he was really good at drawing and diagrams. Anyway, one day the, the the dad hears that uh, there's an eight ball deluxe that one of the, the the family members on his side of the family doesn't want. So he says, "Oh, I'll take it. I'll fix it up." This engineering son, uh, Brad Pollock, yeah, he picks up this and totally fixes it up, redoes the entire play field, yeah. all the flipper mechanisms, cleans it all up. So, so he, he shopped it. He he brought it back. Oh, totally. At the yeah. age of I don't know, fifteen. And so wow. they start doing this, and they pick up an Adams family. And then they pick up a Johnny Mnemonic, and then they pick up another like forty machines. Their entire basement is filled. So, th- so this began, I guess, their obsession. Oh, the, what it sounds they like. Were they were. They just went off the deep end. Huh? Oh, totally. Yeah. Doctor Who, yeah. Uh, uh, King Cool, all these g- great machines. Yeah, just good games. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I'm in middle school. And I would have slumber parties over there for, like, five days at a time. I think we called them fripples. Instead of triple sleepover, it was a fripple. Five sleepover. I would just live there, you know. And you guys played pinball the whole time? Uh, We would play a lot of pinball. We would, you know, roughhouse and play Nintendo 64 and go out and rollerblade and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. Yeah, we'd do the whole thing. And he drove his mom crazy. And, oh, she's a fantastic lady. My second mom is is really what, what she was. and. Uh, all credit to that family for getting me into pinball. And, you know, uh, then I went to college, and uh, I went to college at the University of Michigan, studied computer science. Uh, I always like video games and kind of like playing those. But um, at, at, in Ann Arbor, they've got an a arcade called Pinball Pete's. Mm-hmm. And, oh, uh, yes, definitely heard of it. That, yeah. that kind of kept me going with pinball through college. Okay. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Monty Roberts, uh, we went to high school together and, and uh, Catholic school together, actually. Uh, a good friend of mine. And uh, we, we played a lot of Lord of the Rings and things like that. So uh, over at the Pinball Pizza in Ann Arbor. Okay. So. Well, cool. So, so how, does, how does college lead you back here to Chicago and to walk into Stern and, and put an application in. I mean, did, was it uh, was it something that you've always wanted to do, or you know how how did how did this position kind of uh, find you? <laughs> Definitely found me. Okay, <laughs> that's All for right. sure. Um, I, I came in and uh, came out of college and wanted to go into some web development stuff. So I, I started work at a, a company here in Chicago. Okay, and about four months in. I was at a, a different barcade than the one we're at. We're at Logan Logan Hardware here, yep. but uh, I was at Emporium, okay. which is down in Wicker Park, and they've got a nice selection of pinball machines. And 
I played there a lot, and they had a Metallica, and I was sitting on Metallica, and a guy came up next to me on ACDC, and he was really shoving the machine around, too. You know, I was shoving the machine around, swearing, and yeah. he was just shoving the machine around. <laughs> and um, You play like I play. <laughs> right. So I said, exactly. how'd you get into just, pinball? Just give, giving it the stick. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. you got you got to show that machine who's boss a yeah, little bit. There you go. If you're not tilting, you're not trying. That's right. Um, and uh, I asked the guy, you know, how he got into pinball, the guy next to me, and we started talking, and uh, he says, oh, I've kind of always been around it. How'd you get in pinball? And I, I gave him kind of the same shtick, except I said, well, you know, I, I started off playing this one machine. You probably haven't heard of it. It's not that great. It's called Johnny Mnemonic. And the guy next to me starts laughing. You know, the guy who was standing there. Yeah. It was George Gomez. The it guy was who did George Gomez. <laughs> the guy who designed it. Awesome. Oh, yeah. fantastic. So I just yeah. told him his first machine, or one of the first machines he designed was uh, was crap. So yeah. Uh, yeah. that was a great way to start well, off. Well, you know, it, it sounds like you took it okay because you, cause you wound up at Stern anyway, you know. He didn't hold it against you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> no, he didn't. Hopefully he appreciated your candor, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. I love that machine. Yeah. More than... More than a lot of people, I yeah. think. That's one of my, it's one of, I think it's actually one of the best play fields that you can absolutely yeah. find. There's a lot going on, man. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Totally. Yeah. Love that game. Yeah. And uh, so he ended up getting a hold of me, and uh, we went, uh, you know, found each other online through the LinkedIn and stuff, and I okay. came out for an interview and interviewed with Lyman Sheets and Lonnie Rop. That was okay. who gave me my interview, which yeah. was those are some, cool. Those are some, some big names, man. Yeah. <laughs> Right off the bat. Right. Well, th that's that's awesome. So how long have you been at Stern now? I've been at Stern for just over a year now. Just, just over a year. Okay. Now, Jack, when I met you a couple of nights ago, we were talking a little bit, and you said that I guess one of your most recent projects is you were charged with doing the uh, the most current code update to Mustang. I, w I was uh, uh, a big part of it. I won't okay. say it was entirely me. Okay. You know, All right. But it was a definitely a team involvement thing, but um, I, w I would think I was a pretty big part of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Now, let me ask you. I mean, so how does... How does one go about writing code for pinball machines? Because this, that to me has always been the black box of, of, of the game. You know, I mean, there's everything physical. There's the ball. There's the bombers. There's all the things you can touch. Uh -huh. But the code and the rule set, man. So it, did you have any formal training in this? Or was this all on-the-job training? I mean, did Stern take you in and, and say and work with Lyman and, and the guys and say, hey, man, this is how we do it. Yeah. We're going to teach you how to do this. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. Um, I mean, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, back, you know, in you know Williams' days and right. like the '90s, they were they were right after EMs. They were doing a lot of assembly code, which is just basically programming in the ones and zeros yeah. of each instruction. Yeah, it's it's the one step up from machine language. So yeah, right. yeah. save this uh, byte yeah. here, you yeah. know, all this stuff. Yeah, um, we've moved on from that, and um, Lyman Sheets is a, a fantastic programmer. He's, oh, yeah. I, I've um, so well you know, regarded. Oh, I, I've interned um, at some um, high-end tech companies, and okay. Lyman Sheets code is is by far the best I've ever seen. Okay. Um, he he wrote an operating system for the underneath part of the pinball game, and it's got calls like you know, written very cleanly. You can go in and you could read the code. Okay. Uh, anybody listening could go and read that code. It's amazing. But you can call sys lamp on. Yeah. You know, and that'll turn a lamp on. Okay. You know, um, Sis M ball, get number of balls on the play field. And yeah. Get the number of balls that are on the play field. A bunch of different calls that are related to kind of pinball language. Okay. A combination of those will make a program that runs and you know, it will start up the machine, get the okay. multi balls going, check for switches, all these different things. Interesting. But it's all these different. Uh, uh, 
functions, kind of yeah. like reusable modules. Yes. That Lyman has put into place. Okay. And Lonnie has put into place. You know, I, 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 I've, I've kind of left out Lonnie, and I shouldn't because Lonnie's had a, a, a huge hand in that yeah, as well. understood. And his experience is invaluable, I'm sure. I, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about somebody who helped a lot on the Mustang yeah. update? That, Lonnie Rupp yeah. was insanely useful and See, helpful. It's neat to hear Lyman and, and Lonnie being mentioned and just, you know, the work that they've done because you see their names time and time again through the Stern Reed you know, for the, for the games that they work on. And, and I've always wondered, I mean, I'm in IT. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of coding early mm-hmm. in my career, you know, and so I, I just find it really interesting that, you know, the, the coding mechanic of it and just and just how that's, you know, just how that's done. I mean, I, I, I would love to tell you, yeah, Whitney, understood. I really would. Yeah. But, like, you know, we got all this, you know, that's why it's the black box that's, that it yeah, is. We un- kind of want to keep it that way, yeah, right? Un- you know understood, I mean? understood. If I was being honest, we just kind of, like, uh, Shake the machine a bunch, and then the code just works. You know that—that's what happens. They quote me on that one. No, yeah. No, no, no. No, no that's that's, that's good. No, yeah. I, like I say, I'm just I'm just curious as to what you guys use, and you know, as far as you know, development environments and stuff like that, just to just to write pinball code. And, it's, and it's cool. I, I, you know. It, what I said earlier, you know, and, and just to be honest, you know, I, I don't know what I can exactly yeah. tell you. And um, it's all good. Just to be upfront, but, it's, it, it's but, fine. And we understand that. You know, yeah, it, but it, I didn't know you worked fine. in IT too. That's oh cool. yeah, yeah, sure so. enough, sure enough. So, so dude, let me ask you: as far as like um, time to development on mm-hmm. on a game is, mm-hmm. is the code. How long do you, how long do you all have to you know to write a, to write code for a new game from start to finish? I mean, are you under the gun pretty pretty hard within you know a couple of months, or do you have do you have time to really develop the code or what? I think like uh, it's it's uh, it's 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 challenging. I would say okay, uh, it's it's not undoable. It's not impossible by any means, but it's something where you got to work hard. Yeah, and uh. which is nice. You know, you get a little push from having deadlines right yeah and the deadlines i think are are adequate um you know you'll see machines like um like when mustang first came out there was things missing i think mystery ford wasn't always there and some other things that were kind of like not quite there and with what you can do with pinball machines now with the updates and things like that you can go back um i would say you know uh, average time frame we get about you know I can't put an exact number on it, yeah. but we get an adequate amount of time to make a good pinball machine, at least get it off the ground. You get it off the ground so to the point where you can continue to service it later on. Correct. Yeah. And, and then, then we'll go in and put in an update like that. Yeah. And uh, I think it it works kind of well, you know, well, if you download the update. If, yeah, if you, if you stay current with it, that's true. Let me yeah. ask you, so how much how much of Jack Benson makes it into the code update? <laughs> so, you know, when you're, when you're sitting there and you can do anything that Jack Benson wants to do, and it's like, you know what? <laughs> Mustang needs a little bit of this, you know? Is there a little Jack Vincent inside that or what? Uh, You know, like, there's definitely a lot of the team. And I think on Mustang, it was a great example. Everybody was, almost every day, we would meet in the office. I think it was like 1030. And we would meet, and everybody on that project would get together and discuss what we are going to do for the day. Okay. Discussing rules, discussing scoring, discussing, uh, you know, the animations and the characters and the things like that. So, like... I would say my my portion was about equal to everybody else's, you okay. know, equal to everybody else's, yeah. especially for the main the the main 1.0, you know, kind of thing. Like yeah. everybody contributed to that. Yeah, it's just it's an awesome team environment. So as much as Jack Benson got in there. Yeah. Yeah, some things where I helped out with, but that's you cool. Know, that's a cool. lot of team and stuff. So, so how, um, so how much of how much of the original 
designed the rule set do you think like working on mustang with john trudeau so so how much of that uh makes it into the game by by the time it's all said and done i'm sure that there's things that are left out i'm mm -hmm. sure that there's things that that john would like to see in that you would like to see in it's like you know man if i had another week i would do this 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 and this do you guys generally get most of everything that you want in in or is it is it something where it's like man i this this had to be cut now that's kind of tough that it did as far as like the first cut happens yeah you know, when we got to ship the game stuff yeah. is cut okay for the most part. Okay. I'm not sure. I can't speak for every game ever. But as far as, you know, future updates and things like that, uh -huh. that's the stuff that we wanted to put in there and couldn't get into the first update. And we're given time, adequate time, to go and make those updates. A good example, I think, is going to be Walking Dead. Okay. Walking Dead has come out, and it had as much stuff as we could push into there. But with the code that's going to be coming, with the new, there's going to be so much new stuff coming Sweet. into that code. Yeah. And so I'm not just good. talking just the code or the rules, dots, new animations, new sounds. It's all coming down the pipeline. Awesome, and awesome. It's that's just good. like Metallica, you yeah, know? Well, like, in Star Trek, like with the voice pack. Yes, exactly. It's it's nice to see the, the investment continue and the game feel new again every time that you put every time that you put a code update in. Yeah, yeah. and I, I like that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you this, Jack. I mean, I'm sure that the developers you guys have got your have got kind of like your pet projects and the stuff that you love versus you know, or the stuff that like really resonates with you the games that do and everything i mean is it something where if you wanted to take on you know an, an update to a game that you know that needs some updates i mean can you kind of like sequester the the project and said you know what i'm gonna finish this thing i'm gonna do this the way that everybody wants it to be done i've only been there for a year and uh with the Mustang update, there was kind of a gap in time, and it just kind of worked out that way. Everything kind okay. of fell into place. Um, as far as, you know, I know that Lyman will has that ability. You know, okay. he's been in pinball for I don't know how many years now. Decades. Uh, decades. And yes. amazing work for yes. all those decades. Amazing work. He, he's he's gained that, you know, yeah. and uh, I'm working my way towards that. Yeah, you know? that's, it's neat. I mean, in my mind, it's an enviable position to be in, the one that you're in, because you're affecting the games that everybody plays. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you've got to you got to be proud of your work. You know, uh -huh. you've got to be able to, you know, to sit back and see everybody coming in and, you know, just hammering on the machines. And, you know, it's like, yeah, I did that code. Or, yeah, I know exactly why that's doing what it does. You know, that, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Rule sets. If, uh -huh. if you're, you're, you're writing the code, you have to understand the rule sets better than anybody. Does that translate into how well did you play pinball? I don't know. You know, you, you just code what's fun. You, you, you know, you make sure there's always something for the player to do. Yeah. You look at other games that have been successful. And, I mean... Yeah, it kind of changes how I play Mustang. I know about the the burnout multiple and the exactly. captain ball now, yeah, things yeah. like that. You yeah. know, but you know, like you want to make it fun, not like one aspect to dominate the game. You never want that. You want to have it so that every strategy is good and all these different things, and so that when I step up to the game. I'm not just going to go and, and nitpick this one. You know, let's say a pop bumper is worth way yeah. too much. You know, like I'm yeah. not going to do that. You know, yeah. you yeah. want to have a great rule set with all the strategies balanced. It was and all very, that stuff. very balanced. That, yeah, you used the key word right there. Very balanced. Uh -huh. There's a lot of stuff going on all the time. 
with a good combination of everything, right. you know, moving, moving and shaking down the line. Uh-huh. So, okay, so the, the so the game flows and it, it doesn't, I guess, just kind of paint you into a corner, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. So let me let me ask you. You mentioned tournament play, competitive play. So, uh, so so do you? And you know, are are you are you touring with Papa or anything like that? And in, in playing in tournaments? You know, I I, I, I do when I can. Okay. Um, I I was recently at the Papa World Championships. All right. And I played in C division. And I took home first. Ah, congratulations, uh, man! Oh, that's sweet. You. Yeah, it's yeah, awesome. awesome. They, yeah, they I would be in like Stearns in it. So. I'd be in like Division K if <laughs> I was playing. <laughs> I know you wouldn't. <laughs> Come on, Whitney, don't pull my leg. <laughs> great. So, so does so does Stern, you know, work with you guys on that? Because I mean, you're out there promoting pinball, you know, and being a good steward of the industry. I, 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 w- I would hope that you know at least you, you know at least you can do that kind of stuff. I know that for you know Steve and John, John. Morgan, John Trudeau, yeah, they're all these events, and you know, I'm still getting there. I I can't speak personally to that, yeah. But you know, I, I drove myself out. I yeah. love pinball. I yeah. wanted to go out to Papa. I wanted to play. That's, you know, that's, that's cool. what I like that, to do. That's cool. It's good that it's not just a job. It's it's a it's a <laughs> hobby, a lifestyle. You know, it's it's all that kind of stuff. Definitely so, not just a job not working at Stern. Not just a job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that that's awesome. That's awesome. When you talk about you know rule set development and everything like that, um, do, do you guys? I mean, I mean, you guys give a lot of feedback to the to the designers, and does some of that change the the design of the game? I mean, are you guys involved early on during like Whitewood production and things like that, to where you can say, listen, you know, I'll, I'll just. I use like John is is an example. John Trudeau. It's like, listen, John. I you know when we code that, I don't know that that shot's going to be the way that it looks or something like that. I mean, how how early do you guys get involved in in the whole process? You know, um, once a whitewood's out there, uh, you know, people say a lot of the time if the white whitewood shoots, mm-hmm. if the whitewood shoots well, then the game's gonna you know play well. It's gonna be a fun game. If okay. the whitewood's fun, then the game's gonna be fun. And you know, like the designers. They'll definitely have an overall idea of where they want the rule set to go. And okay. It's it's like uh, not just, you know, uh, one person saying, you know, the rule, sh- rule set should be like this or okay. the designer saying, you know, it has to be like this. It's definitely a conversation. And I think that creates the best games when you get a lot of different opinions on it. Okay. Um, but that's just my experience so far. That, oh. um, it's been a kind of a collaborative experience. Cool. Well, one thing that I've noticed, you know, if we if we look at, like, at Star Trek, and we look at Metallica, and then we look at Mustang's a good one. Uh, you know, The Walking Dead. It seems to me like the rule sets are getting more complex, and the strategies that are required are are being ratcheted up. I know that the depth. And another way to, to say what I was going to say is the depth of the games mm-hmm. are increasing. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do you attribute that to? Is it just the the overall attitude of the player, or is it the the maturation of the industry, or is it you guys just wanting to say we can take this theme all the way down this road and do so much with it, or is it all of the above? I'm just kind of curious as to how, when you guys are thinking about complexity and depth, what, what drives that? Uh, yeah, you know. Um well, you, you'll go listen to, say, Bowen Karens when he did a tutorial of Spider-Man. Okay. And he was dissecting the machine. He was talking about, like, the risk-reward that was involved in either taking a mode now and trying to finish up your shots before the multi-ball. Okay. Or just starting the multi-ball and getting the points. And giving the players that decision to risk the ball, you know, the, 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 the keeping your ball alive is the biggest thing. Okay. And putting that at risk for more points, that kind of... 
fight that you have to, you know, kind of involve yourself in. You know, yeah. it's it's a lot of fun. I, I bet you almost have to picture yourself on the play field, you know, and just saying yeah, how 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 would this if I was the ball, how would this work out? <laughs> the zen of the ball, I guess. How right. would this work Do out? Do I want to risk this? I mean, you know, the ball's running across the cliff or something. But Do I? Yeah, no. You know, great great games do that and. I think like uh, you know you mentioned depth, and I think there's like a, a nice, um, uh, both a common misconception, but like a good idea that was brought forth when people start talking about depth. I think depth is more along the lines of say Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings deep. Yeah, Twilight can, Twilight Zone. Twilight very, Zone, very deep, deep. Yes, you can go, you can play that game for a long time and still not be at the end. Yeah. Um, games like you know ACDC have depth. Mm-hmm. Encores. I mm-hmm. haven't gotten to it. Yeah, I consider myself fairly good, and but ACDC <laughs> also has a bunch of choices available at the very start. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not just three forks in the road that you kind of follow this this narrow path. Yeah, there's a bunch of different paths that you can take, and so it's not just the depth that's complex in ACDC, say, but the breadth. Okay, you can take a lot of different choices that all are equally good strategies. Oh, and. Uh, I think that's like a, something that's kind of big in rule sets as far as kind of the, the depth goes and when we think about that, like the conversations that I have with Lyman or that, you know, I hear overhear people having, it's just fascinating. You know, all the knowledge that just gets poured out and it's, it's awesome. I, yeah, I can, I can only imagine, man. It, yeah. it has to be, it has to be such a fun place to be. I mean, when you, I mean, when, <laughs> dude, when you're working on games every day, you're working on stuff that makes people happy, uh-huh. you know, that's. Uh, it, you're, you're doing good. I mean, it makes you happy. You're doing good, man. Really? That's pretty strong. Oh, yeah. Oh, pinball yeah. just makes me mad, man. <laughs> Whenever I drain the bro. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Even when I'm mad, I'm happy. Because yeah. you know what? I'm not out digging ditches. I'm playing pinball. So, you know, it's, it's A-OK. <laughs> so, so, man, listen. I, I'll tell you what. I appreciate your time tonight and uh, for just being for being as open of a book as you have been. So, yeah. I, I appreciate that a whole lot. Yeah. I know our listeners will just love to hear this. And, yeah. you know, and, and to get some inside you know get some inside info into stern and you know how the game development's done and everything yeah. like that man so i'll tell you thanks for taking the time and talking with us yeah and uh if you don't mind if i like go off on one last topic here you oh know, yeah there's a lot I, of I do have one question sure. that i wanted to wrap with go ahead yeah, and then i'll ask mine at the end then, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah sure go ahead um you know there's a lot of names that you know we, we talked a lot about lonnie and john and steve and john and george and yeah big names in pinball but uh, right now there's a lot of people you know in the software department in the art department that kind of don't get mentioned as often as more the unsung heroes be. i guess and i i think a big name you know tanyo kleiss he did all the lamp effects on star trek all those nice sweeps color changing things and he's someone who uh you know uh, is definitely kind of like a mentor to me at the company and someone that uh is is a very good programmer okay. a, extremely cool. good programmer and uh he, he he should be brought into the conversation i think as well as you know guys like uh, uh Mike Kizavat, Wayson Chang, uh, uh, Mark Galvez, who's a, a dot artist who does fantastic stuff. Mike Kizavat, he mm-hmm. did the, the voice work for the Klingons. Uh, uh, Wayson Chang, he did, he did the entire sequence for the drift, 
the the final drift wizard mode or in uh, Mustang neat. and yeah. you know it's it's really well done and everybody just contributes so much that I just want to make sure that those names are kind of lost you know amongst you know uh, uh, amongst the conversation yeah to, uh, just as much as me if not more so than me in some cases and yeah. you know I just want to make sure that they get their you know, fair dues th- th- that's very fair and I, I know that there's always a lot of focus put on you know quote unquote the names in, in the industry but it's an industry and it takes a village and yeah. it, it and it's not uh, it's not anything built on one person's back it's I, i'm i know it takes a team to get anything done Absolutely. so yeah yeah so there is no i in that but no it, it's it's good that you do man because i know that there's a lot of hard-working people there uh-huh. i mean i was there just a couple of days ago touring the factory and you know what it made me want to do it made me want to buy like two new machines man <laughs> you want to talk about something that makes me mad it makes my wallet mad dude it makes it angry but, but you know something after seeing all that and seeing what the good work that everybody does dude mm-hmm. i have got no problem no problem at all for you know mentally putting the money down and buying a new pinball machine because i know what i'm supporting i know what i'm getting mm-hmm. and dude just you know you being accessible sitting here with us tonight that's cool that puts money in the bank right there man i hope I'm so all, oh yeah yeah <laughs> dude just out of curiosity if there's any game that you could go back and revisit revisit the code on and it just all, all the games that you've played and you know when you look at it and you say Man, it's good, but you know something? It it needs some love. It needs some TLC. What would you go back and put some effort into? Oh, man, that's hard. That's a hard <laughs> question for me to answer. Well, we'll end it with that, though. Yeah. How about it? I know that everybody's always talking about the missing wizard mode on Wheel of Fortune. Okay. And I think it would just blow everybody's mind if there was a wizard mode in Wheel of Fortune. I think it would be hilarious. So, uh... Yeah, not only hilarious, it you know make the game better. So I think that one. Okay, cool. That's that's very good, man. That's very good. I'm not spending a lot of time on Wheel of Fortune, but you're right. It, it does get a lot of talk. And, and you can it's just always the, the wizard mode, right? Where's the wizard mode? Is? So yeah, just not so that people stop the talking about Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> it's a good game. It's a good game. It is. Listen, Jack, thank you so much for your yeah, time. It was Absolutely. a fantastic conversation. Yeah. And uh, love having you on the show. Yeah. And, uh, appreciate you taking your time to sit down and talk with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks awesome. so much. Take care. Brent, this episode has been nothing short of massive, okay? So... Uh, here's we work well, our way. a lot of that's just been me babbling because I can't remember words. <laughs> that's okay, dude. It's you know it's it's a monthly phenomenon. How about that? Well, you got it's who I am, so you got to love me. Just you know, we just we roll with it and we go, man. <laughs> but dude, this segment here before we get into uh, you know kind of our our announcements and uh, you know kind of kind of closing the show out, we want to do just a little bit of news and uh, acknowledge our feedback, man. We've got quite a good mm-hmm. bit of feedback, you know, this month, and and it's something that we want to give shout outs to everybody that gives a shout out to us and just kind of talk through a couple things. But dude, this <laughs> it's funny that I said dude because we're getting ready to talk about the big. <laughs> Lebowski here uh, that so wasn't intentional that was not intentional that was uh <clears throat> that was yeah completely unintentional but anyway man there are some there, there's a couple of uh i guess pinball industry uh notes that i think have turned this week into what i'm seeing other people call pinball drama week 2014 okay <laughs> <laughs> and so so <clears throat> remember earlier i was talking about uh in this episode i mentioned that you know my my online life 
has been lacking as of late. Yeah, this, I, this takes almost, care of it. Yeah, I'm almost happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, this 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 takes care of it. It equals everything out. So I just want to make a, a quick disclaimer here. We're not perpetuating any uh, hypotheses around what's going on. Uh, we're not here to speculate on what causes what. We're just here to uh, inform everybody and make them aware of just what's going on. Okay, so. The first one uh, is a Stern announced uh, the Walking Dead Premium Edition this this past week, and so like I say, we're recording the middle of December, so so it'd be you know within the the second week of the month, and I, I think where a lot of the, the the drama and maybe some of the stink that comes around that Brent is that uh, Stern had had said that there would not be uh, a premium edition of the game, only pros and LEs, and then once the premium edition does come out. there's again a lot of people who say wow that thing actually looks better than the le does and at a lower price point Mm -hmm. and so there's there's just been some churn okay on pin side and and on some of the other forums around man i'm sure you know i'm sure that a lot of the le owners are are you know maybe a little bit uh sad that they couldn't buy a premium instead or what have you but uh, i I know it's all business for stern i don't i don't discount that in any way shape or form i just think it's it's, um, I just think it's kind of a tough deal for people who made purchasing decisions probably just a month ago based upon what, what Stern had told them about there being pros in LEs and no premiums. Yeah, and that, then a that, premium rolls out the door. That does kind of surprise me. And, it, it does um, me too. Ha, have you picked up any – has anything come from Stern that you've picked up at this point? As to, not yet. Not, not that I've seen. It, not that I've seen. And I've been scouring Pinside pretty hard. Um, you know, it, I mean, Brent, at the end of the day, it's business. Okay. It, it, I agree. And I almost wonder here, <laughs> and I know we just came off of a, of a glowing conversation oh, yeah. having to do with the factory side of the house. Yeah. Um, it, I just wonder here, I know there was a lot of kind of odd feeling in the community when when Jersey Jack with the Wizard of Oz announced these various flavors of the wizard of oz mm-hmm. the and and i i don't purport to be a, a master of under of understanding of all the levels of that game no. um my my feeling is is it's all the same game just the art packages and some of the playfield colorings and toys there's no there's no additional pieces or uh on a game and not pieces on this game at, at the various levels it's it's mainly in art and in detail and trim work mm-hmm. but um I, it seems a lot of people kind of had this weird taste in their mouth when they had signed on for an le and then the the ruby red edition came out That's and right. i think there was an emerald green edition and i'm not sure how all those fell and when and where but it's almost as if Stern. Oh, yeah, I think it's Emerald City. Emerald City. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's almost as if Stern has done something similar, but they've gone a step further. And and you didn't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden there's a new edition. You were told there wasn't going to be an edition. Yeah. And it, then you woke up and there was. And there was. And the thing is, is that I think that I think the rub, at least for me, if I was a customer, would be that. It, it's it's the gap, okay, or the lack thereof between the pro and the LE, and then the premium because the premium is it, I think it's a nice looking machine. Um, I, in fact, I actually I've not seen this. You talking about I, in general or the Walking Dead specifically? No, I'm talking the Walking Dead specifically. Okay. The, the gap between you know the pro and the LEs come out, okay, and then uh, the, the pro, then the LE, very shortly the LE, and then there's a small gap, and then the premiums come out, and it's it's very easy to see that the premium, at least in my mind, the premium had been waiting in the wings 
and and it was more so just a timing a timing maneuver you know on on Stern's part but like I say I mean I don't know I don't know the reasoning behind it I don't know why the why what one thing was said and then another thing was done it's hard to know it's it's hard to say but at the end of the day it, hey man this is this is about games that are fun so mm-hmm. so it's it's just uh just something you have to keep in mind but uh but yeah so so the Walking Dead premium uh announced and on its way and uh, I urge everybody to take a look at it I think it is a, a great looking game me personally though I like the pros the best I, th- I think the artwork on the pros is just killer dude okay. it's it's awesome you know and all lit up and, and everything it's just I think it's just a neat looking game okay now before you hop into the next thing yeah. uh, let me insert something here okay. because what you've got is probably the bigger of the of the three stories yeah so let me insert one thing here we talked a little bit about this earlier and that is Dennis Norman's split from Highway Pinball oh yeah dude so I'm just gonna read just to bring everybody up to speed. This is a, we report the news. We don't make the news type of a situation. Yes. So, uh, I am going to just read Dennis's, uh, uh, initial post on a pin side thread. And it looks like this, this thread is now, is now been closed. It, it made it to about four pages and it's just titled Dennis Norman leaves highway pinball. And, you know, at Expo it was announced that highway pinball was going to pr- produce, uh, alien aliens you know a, yeah. a, a game that was to encompass both uh, both alien and the aliens movies and dennis was going to be the designer so the here's dennis's post it's it's pretty short so i'll just read it uh, i have decided to end my relationship with highway pinball i'm not the game designer on the alien project i made the initial playfield drawing and created concepts for four new playfield toys the drawing can change drastically as the game develops Andrew announced that the game would be ready in April, and I can't possibly agree with this. I've seen the video that he submitted to Fox, and I'm going to insert something here. I'm not sure what that is. He's got it capitalized FOX, Fox, like we're used to seeing the Fox News Network or okay. something like that, okay. or, or or the Fox TV channel. So I'm not sure. I'm assuming that's what it means because it's capitalized like Fox, the TV network. So anyway, uh, I have seen the video that he submitted to Fox and if the game turns out anything like this, it will be great. Well, that's good. That's good. So, from that regard, anyway. So, as of this recording, that that was about uh, about four days ago. So, this okay. is pretty hot news. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I, we talked to Andrew at Pinball X, Andrew Highway at Pinball Expo. Just a, just a solid, solid guy. And so, I, I you know, I, I have to feel. And Brent, I'm not going to speak for you, but I will speak for you. I have to feel that we we would wish both of those guys the best. And we just want to see more pinball, dude. That's, Absolutely, that's, that's all I want to you see. Know, just we, more quality pinball. We were excited to see that Dennis was going to be involved with the project, and we were excited to see. We we liked Dennis, or excuse me, we liked the you know the full throttle game the the. The subject matter is a little odd for the states. I know a lot of folks I've heard comment about it. They just don't get into the bike racing. I, I don't get into the bike racing. I don't know anything about it, but I know that's a you know Andrew is based in in, in England, mm-hmm. UK, and uh, 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 the bike ra- bike racing is huge. It, 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 it's a European thing, you know, kind of like American football versus what we would call soccer i guess i don't i don't know if it's if it's that stark of a contrast but regardless the, the, the sport's got a following yeah exactly yeah. there you go that's probably the that's that's the way to put it in fewer <laughs> words than i use absolutely <laughs> yeah there you go so i mean i could see the game being successful there versus versus here uh i like the game what i got to play it and how it basically owned me in in no no time flat so yeah, yeah more pinball 
and uh, you know, best of wishes to both of them. Yeah, so for sure. So, so this other one, Brent, is uh, or the last one that we'll bring up here before we move in, into some feedback. It's for this the proverbial eight hundred pound purple gorilla in the room. Golly, man, it is, and and there's just there's drama around this just left and right, but. Uh, okay, so Brent, so let's rewind a little bit. We were at Pinball Expo, and what was the probably the the most hotly discussed topic while we were there? The Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was that was the you know the the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room, uh, purple every, gorilla. Thank you, purple one. <laughs> and um, and you know, and everybody was just you know gaga over over you know the over that that theme and that pinball machine, and rightfully so. Beautiful machine. It was awesome. The thing that struck me though is that not only was just a machine there but there were several machines there playing and what looked to be very close to being finished there was a lot of uh, signage banners there was a dedicated area for the big lebowski i mean brent this this was not a pinball machine this was a production is what this mm-hmm, turned out absolutely to be. everything was to the nth degree yeah. in terms of uh, uh, well, everything you hit on the, the it was a production. All it, it the was signage was beautiful. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't you know hand drawn signs on you no. know from poster bo- on poster no, board. No, I no. mean it this, was it was beautiful. It, I, there was time and effort spent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they the, you know they they had the tile floor laid out and you know everything matched the theme of the movie. It was great. And and for me, not having much exposure, well, much if any exposure really to to Dutch pinball, my first impression of them was. Wow, these guys have got it together, man. They they are really you know pulling out all the stops, you know to to really you know bring this this theme to market. Well, Brent, just within uh, this past week, there have um, th- there have been notices of Dutch Pinball refunding people um, unexpectedly and without and without the customers requesting the refunds, and the state of the game is now uh, is now really unknown. So. We're not really sure what's going to happen. Um, there's a thread on Pinside that is covering this. And, and Brent, just between the time that you and I started recording today, okay, uh, that thread started uh, our recording session at just a, a little over 500 posts. And as of right now, it's all it's over 775. Oh, wow. So it's picked up 200 it, posts in the past few hours. Up, it's picked up over 200 posts in the past few hours. It's essentially grown by a third over again in just a couple of hours. And so um, that would be that that would be phil uh from dutch pinball his has issued these refunds he is active in the thread and talking about the whole scenario so right now the 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 state of of the big lebowski pinball is in my mind it is up in the air i you know we don't really know what's going to happen um there there will be no speculation from me uh on what's actually going on if you want to know uh read the thread there's more than enough going on in that thread to, to get your you know to, to get your your head full of that whole that whole topic but man Brent, i would say between you know the whole the walking dead premium uh you know norman leaving highway pinball and now what's going on with the the pre-order status of the big lebowski dude it's it's been a banner week and and you know something merry christmas merry christmas everybody and and you know who's you know who's really just just uh, just hanging tight and just knocking it out. It's it's Charlie and Ben Heck. It's Spooky, <laughs> and they're the guys that are producing the pinball with no with no drama. Charlie, Ben, we say Merry Christmas to you guys. And if I could buy one of the America's Most Haunted for Christmas, uh, you better well believe I'd do it. So oh, absolutely. That's the only yep. thing I know to say. 
Yeah. So, man. So, yeah. So, pinball drama week 2014, I guess, is is that. But Brent, we had talked when we talked about the Big Lebowski uh, over the, the course of the past couple episodes. I had not seen the movie. Uh, I do want to say that as of now, uh, my wife and I did get a chance to sit down and watch the movie. Uh, I now totally get the theme and and how the pinball tied into everything. I will say this. Dutch Pinball executed on that theme brilliantly, just brilliantly for everything that's that's in the movie and in the game. I I hope it sees the light of day. That's all I know to say. Well, there's at least four of them out there because I think I counted four yeah. at Expo. Yeah, there. Yes, but you know something? It's going to be hard to know whatever happens to those machines. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, at this point in Here, time. Let me hit this real quick. I was th- uh, thumbing through the the Highway Pinball thread, and it looks. Yeah. Like, and, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. And you know, by the time this comes, this episode uh, actually makes it to air. Uh, it could have changed 300. Yeah, it, it could have changed no, t- 30 times. All the things we've talked about could have changed yeah. it, 100 times, just like Whitney said. But yep. uh, uh, I, I read Dennis's comment, so let me at least read Andrew's, because Andrew did comment on the pay, uh, top of page two here on the pin side thread. And like I said, this thread's now closed. Uh, so let me give him at least his just dues. Uh, and the, I assume this is Andrew, because the, the, it's from Highway Pinball. That's the poster. That's uh, the, the name of the poster here on Pinside. Just to clarify our position, Dennis has indeed designed the playfield layout for Alien Pinball and development of the game continues, even though Dennis has now moved on from our company. Although Dennis has indeed left us, we still consider his work to be complete with us and development continues with our team. Dennis's announcement is unfortunate, but it is uh, his prerogative to move on uh, to other onto other projects. We, we are, oh, excuse me, are we behind schedule at this moment, question mark? Yes, uh, crud, I'm just insert. I This is a running theme with me, Whitney. <laughs> are you going to make it? I'm going to fail. <laughs> I, is, is this gets, Hashtag fail. As this gets longer, yeah. I'm getting more and more out of time. I'm going to take, take you out and get you something. I need dude. a resynchronization. <laughs> are we behind schedule at the moment? By approximately one and a half weeks, yes. The prototype play field gets cut next week in ball guides uh, either just before or after Christmas. Testing of the prototype is weeks, not months away. As for April production, we have a fully playable version of the game complete with rules on a digital platform already. I apologize to our customers for having uh, to give an update. Uh, I apologize to our customers for having to give an update his way. I assume that's Dennis. Yeah. But it was not our choice uh, that this post appeared in this way. Uh, We will... Which is understandable. Yeah. Yeah. We always be grateful to Dennis for his contribution to the game and continue to have the utmost respect for his work and as one of pinball's design pinball's design legends. Yeah, that, that's cool. I never was good at public speaking. Yeah, it's, that's all right, dude. That's all right. Good thing you speak behind a microphone yeah. <laughs> in, in a basement. So, you know, it's all good. So anyway, there we go. Yeah. So, all right. So that that's it. It's hard to say what January will bring, uh, you know, especially for the Big Lebowski and, and for Highway, but we'll, we'll kind of keep an eye on it and, uh, you know, just you know, talk about the, the points of interest, but I, I'd say just, uh, you know, check on pin side. It's going to be covered to death <laughs> and I'm sure it'll be yeah, in, in a sure lot faster be, format than, a lot than faster we can. Format than we can. And I'm sure on other, uh, you know, pinball dedicated podcasts, like the pinball podcast and probably coast to coast, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to have much more in depth coverage, but Hey, we just wanted to, we just want to make our listeners, uh, make our listeners aware of it. So Brent, let's talk about some feedback, man. Uh, we got an email here. 
from we, Dan. We do, man. And it's cool. You read that because I've, if anything that I have proven in the last uh, thirty-two seconds is, is that I should not be reading for. I shouldn't be speaking just dude, of my dude, own mind, dude. I, I, what I'm going to get you for Christmas is a red button that says "play" on it, and you can just hit it when it's time to listen my to the voicemails. <laughs> uh. All right, so Dan, so Dan writes in, and uh, Dan is uh, a club member ear blast. Okay, and so Dan writes in, he says, "Hey guys, you are my favorite. You're my favorite podcast these days. So keep up the good work." Well, Okay, first of all, let me cut in here and interrupt Dan. Yeah. Whenever I listen to feedback from on podcasts, yeah. they all start with, I love you guys. You're do, doing a great job. You're one of my... That's all great. Uh, one time, I would like to just get one that starts out, hey, and just, just you rip, all Just rip the new hole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I do listen and I have an idea. You know, just... And then just... It's all good. You know, yeah. just, just turn it on a dime. <laughs> just one time. We're open to those as well. But Dan, thank you so much hey for, guys. for the kind words. Hey, yeah. guys. I'm Ear Blast. You make my ears bleed. <laughs> Thought I'd mention this. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry, Dan. No, Go ahead. It's all good. No, Dan. Thank, thank you for the kind words. So Dan says, you're my favorite podcast these days to so keep up the good work. I thought one of you guys had mentioned that Mappy Marquis pre-order that died on Clove um and darren over at phoenix just put out a message that stated he went and made them anyway give him a holler and he'll set you up i went ahead and got one myself so uh dan and i had corresponded a couple times and uh, dan i appreciate the heads up i went ahead and got my marquee order in as well and so uh, hopefully we are supporting uh the vendors that support us so that's awesome so dan thank you for taking the time to write in man we really appreciate it so we've got some facebook from uh there it is (laughs) we've got some facebook we got some feedback from facebook and yeah you know everybody thanks a lot for uh jumping over and liking the page we've climbed uh, in our like count quite a bit dude it's 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 been kind of on a roll yeah man. it has yeah. And, and and that's awesome yeah. you know uh we're, we're not in it for the fame or the fortune ha 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 <laughs> it we're just out and we're not in it to, to promote ourselves that that's a huge lie uh <laughs> we're we're in it just to just to you know spread the knowledge spread, to communicate spread with the word to That's communicate right. with uh uh the the to communicate with the community this is getting worse as i go along yeah. with me and you know just just to reach out to to other collectors to to bring new collectors into the fold and yeah. you know just just to give a little something back yeah. you know yeah. so whenever we see those likes go up uh man it, it really puts a smile on our face it, we've gotten several this week yeah you know we're we're quickly approaching that 600 mark and uh uh it would be awesome to cross it by the end of the year and yeah. i think i don't think we're gonna have a problem doing that yeah, that's, so that's pretty sweet so uh 313 heavy industries uh says they'll uh be listening into the show yeah that was that was a cross like man so we picked them up and and uh went ahead and, and gave them some like love as well so so yeah that's awesome so uh it, listener maddie wyckoff sent, sent us a picture of a fire pyre that was up for sale that's he hashtagged us oh yeah and he said it reminded him of me <laughs> and he just had to share so uh so maddie that's awesome dude and uh, hopefully i didn't botch the name too bad and then uh deb's foot fitzpatrick uh, sent us a link to Super Mario Brothers free run video that is amazing, dude, dude, dude. I, we're going to have uh, a link to this in the show notes, and it's it's essentially two guys that are dressed as Mario and Luigi, and they they essentially do this free run through the through the street, and uh, it's you just have to see it. But uh, Deb sent that and said, hey, I, you know, I thought you guys would like it, and it's <laughs> it's it's something else. Quick so, shout out to uh, 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 Deb's's uh, better half, Chris. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, Chris is a, a, a 
he, Chris and Debs are both. They're they're great folks. Great I, folks. They've been here. They've uh, they're not local to Louisville. They've been in town many a time. I've had uh, uh, several opportunities to sit down and, and spend some time with them, and they are great people. Yeah, very very great people. So look forward to seeing those guys in March. And uh, Brent, this is great. Uh, so this is a listener uh, in Shoreham by the Sea over in the UK. All right, and uh, his name's Steve Ridley. And listener Steve says uh, he wants to know how the Burger Time's coming along, Brent. I mean, gee, many. Christmas, dude, you with know, a smiley and, and an LOL. And get it, get it together, man. Come on. Oh, I, I that would was great. I would just flat out ban Steve. Oh, but we, we can't do that, man. Well, we need all of our listeners. I man. can't. We I can't ban him because I mean that's that's kind of the that's that's what uh, they do over at No Quarter. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 Mike's thing over yeah. at No Quarter. Yeah, it's funny. So I might have Mike ban him. Yeah, there you go. I have yeah. to email Mike and see if he can ban <laughs> see Steve. If he can ban him. That's funny. Yeah. So. So Brent, on, on Twitter this uh, this past month, we've uh, we've had you know quite a good bit of uh, quite a good bit of activity. Uh, Nicholas uh, is a listener from Denmark. He's uh, at Isocube. Uh, Nicholas sent us a link to a pinball lamp measurement tool that he has developed, and so it's it's kind of neat. Uh, we'll we'll have the link in the show notes. Now there I'm gonna have to well. look at that. I'm even sure. What, now what is that? Have you looked at that? I, I have I've looked at it and what it uh, what it appears to do. And, and Brent, I've not run like any data through it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it looks like it it compares like uh like current draw oh you know of, of of the different types of pinball lamps and so it's neat he's got it all he's got it all listed out here it, it lists like power consumption um you know temperature measurements of, of the different types of pinball you know incandescent versus led and everything like that and it's it, you know it's not really something that that you can um, that you can refer back to, you know, like while you're working on a machine, this is more so, you know, really good background information reading that really kind of helps you to understand what's going on with all the different types of lamps and stuff like that. So he, I mean, Nicholas has done a lot of work on this. Yeah. So. It looks, I, I'm just, I'm just looking at the pictures, which yeah. usually works for me Yeah, and the way he's charted and graphed and uh, graph the, you know, where he's comparing different lamps and yeah, I'm definitely going to, I'm going to leave this tab open so yeah. I can check that yeah, out. Yeah. It's, it, it's, some, it's some good reading some good readings yeah so nicholas listener in denmark thank you so much for sending that over to us that's that's awesome supersonic at supersonic brewing sent us a picture of a really cool space invaders light box project that he's doing with uh, of all things beer bottle caps yeah so brent he's a man after my own heart <laughs> because because you know I, I mean i loved him vibe of the barley based beverage so you know it's i'm all about that dude it was neat uh vic from at 10 pence arcade says harvest those tubes <laughs> yeah hey vic what's up man so vic was responding to uh to one of my my new photo albums where i'd started uh, kind of documenting some of my tube harvesting and, and swapping and everything and vic said to make sure that no tube goes unturned man oh you're gonna have to help me with this one boga monkey no that's that's sean man it's oh, listener Sean. It's listener. No, that's uh, production assistant Sean. Production assistant Sean. Thank P- you very production much. Production assistant Sean says, "You know when it's a good episode of At Broken Token when less than an hour in and they've already dropped uh, hashtag twenty dollar word hashtag far par and hashtag a show title." <laughs> <laughs> so Sean, I don't think we we may have been a little bit past an hour on this episode, but uh, I, we we still nailed it, buddy. So so thank you. Oh God, thank I, you for that. I, we've, That's I, awesome. I just realized, Sean. I didn't realize this. We've created a thing, haven't we? <laughs> oh, that we have. Yes. <laughs> Gosh, there's going to be T-shirts and all kinds. Oh, Wait yeah. a minute, there yeah. already is T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> 
we're, we're gonna have to merch up brent oh my gosh yeah so so they're coming to uh to louisville for march man for louisville arcade expo and uh look forward to seeing those guys there awesome yep uh, the ball at the ball is wild. I got. I have to get up on this Twitter thing. Yeah, dude, we're going to get, get I'm not, you to Twitter. School, I, I need. To, I need to tweet a little bit more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at, it's, it's the whole. It's the whole ad sign that's really. That's really. Uh, yeah, that's what's. Yeah. The, it's right there. Yeah, it is. At the ball is wild says uh, he was downloading episode 19 right after we posted. So uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. So I mean, after I after I made the, the Twitter post, I mean, within several minutes, I mean, he jumped on it and he was like, "Yeah, I'm downloading." episode 19 right now and i was like dude that's awesome man so so yeah the ball is wild man thank you so much we really hope that you uh that you enjoyed the show we had a lot of fun with that one so uh are we gonna be on the road anytime soon whitney well brent no not really um i, I mean you know throughout the holidays uh, it, it's you know it's it's good not to honestly but uh, i do have uh you know a little bit of uh work-related travel coming up mid-january and i'm going to be going back to chicago and uh we'll certainly uh visit uh visit our friend jim zaspi and and uh there at logan's and we'll probably try to take in a couple of other places as well uh dude i want to check out the underground retrocade because uh mike and carrington over at no quarter mentioned that quite a bit and speak very highly of it we'll make sure I, you wear one of our shirts I, I will do that i will do that and uh you know and if we could get like a no quarter or something man i'd even pimp that thing out while i was there so so you know we'll just have to see but yeah that, are you begging for 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 I need couture a, no no i need a new hat dude that's all there is to it so uh he, so, so he, you are it. actually you're actually asking for someone to send you clothing well you know i'm a hard guy to buy for i so. look i would never ask that if you want to send me a pinball machine there you go i'm all in yeah, all in all right so uh also well this week you know, I, I have nothing i have no travel going on yeah. i have nothing slated so uh you know you have to give us a road trip from chicago I, I will do that man i will do that i'm looking forward to it and uh brent you know last but certainly not least we have a contest for this month from okay. mr from mr david paul yes and at, we, at lifeunderglass.net yeah and david uh has 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 been very good to us I, I'll, I'll i'll come right out and say that he's helped uh it's like we've a, got something on him <laughs> <laughs> well he's helped us out a lot man and uh and david was kind enough uh, a couple weeks back to send us a couple of t-shirts and he said hey whitney i would love it if you guys uh, could use these as prizes you know for for your show and so what we're going to do brent is i was kind of uh racking my brain on this yesterday while I've, now I've on got the show notes we haven't talked about this so i'm gonna surprise you with something live on air when you get to that r word uh when you get to the r word the one know. that's in parenthesis in your show notes oh gotcha gotcha All okay right, so yeah we'll, fair, fair we'll enough. throw okay. this out and you'll tell me how bad of an idea it is go <laughs> okay fair enough so what I wanted to do, is, and thought this would be a good way for everybody to enter, much as we did the Python Angelo contest, um, you know, Brent, I've talked about my my favorite grail, okay, on this episode, being the zookeeper. All right, it's it's essentially my grail find. So what I'd like to what I'd like to hear is if uh, if our listeners would call in and leave us a voicemail four seven zero to call BT. Um, and you can, uh, what I'd like to do is just talk about your favorite grail find, whether it be a pinball machine or a video game, it doesn't matter. And, uh, you know, we'll take all the entrance and, uh, we'll, we'll pick one from random and we'll play it on the air and then you win a life under glass t-shirt. So here's the, here's the, my thought. Okay. Can you tell me how bad of an idea this is? Okay. We'll take the, we'll take the entrance uh-huh. and we'll figure out some way to equate in this. I, I'm robbing, stealing this idea. Okay. I freely admit it. Okay. I think this was done on, uh, um, the lock is lit. Okay. 
and we'll figure out a way to assign the the people that that entered to a score and uh-huh. I will play one ball uh-huh. on one of the games behind me yeah. to determine the winner based on the score. Oh, okay. And we, if we get just real simple, say we get 10 entries uh-huh. and we'll, uh, we'll say, we'll look at the, the thousandths position on a game. Okay. And if it's a, if it's a seven, then, then it's number seven, number seven wins. Then it's okay. a number seven. Okay. Hey dude, I like that. So yeah, that, that, that way it's completely well. random. Okay. And I'll play it on the air and uh, try not to curse. Oh really? Yeah. Sweet. Well, if you curse, I curse. How about that? I'll, I'll curse you cursing. How There'll about that? Of, we'll do that. Be a lot of edits. A lot of edits. <laughs> All right. So we'll do that. So, so, so your your ability to to win a t shirt from from David Paul and LifeUnderGlass.net is totally predicated on two things: one, you entering, yeah, and two, my ability to play one one ball on some game okay so what do we do for like entrant number 11 well we'll have to, we'll just see what we get and we'll just have to figure out how okay, to, how to right. pair it out okay fair, fair enough fair enough if so we get five we might have to double one two double two, them up or you know, three four something like that yeah. we'll figure so, it out so we'll, we'll figure it out but the the great thing about it is is um is, is you get a chance to win a really cool t-shirt from uh from a definite friend of the show so david thank you for doing that we we, we hope that uh we hope that we can get your get your shirts out to everybody and uh we look forward to hearing some voicemails from everybody about their about their favorite grail find so whitney let's talk a little bit about uh upcoming shows and events let's let's remind everybody what's coming up and you know i'd encourage anybody listening if you've not been to an event if you've not been you know whitney and i've talked about several shows we've 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 been able to hit quite a few this year uh we hope to hit that many if not many more next year if you've got an opportunity if you've got one close by go to the show you know uh uh don't get in on the camaraderie of of all the attendees attend the panels support the show organizer so yeah. it's important fir- stuff to do absolutely if you could if you've got the ability to travel the time to travel uh make make that leap get away from home for a little while go and, and spend a weekend playing video or pinball and you know do something different yeah first show uh we want to touch on is arcade expo which is january 16th through the 18th 2015 in Banning, California. It's billed as SoCal's largest arcade exposition. Uh, www.arcadeexpo.com. Yep. And uh, on on March 6th through the 8th in 2015, we have uh, our own uh, Louisville Arcade Expo at the Ramada Plaza Hotel in Louisville, Kentucky. And that you can find out more information at uh, www.arcaderx.com. Now we're going to try, and no promises, but we're going to try to get the organizers of that show. Uh, Matt and Jeremy Flights, as well as Joe Stith, uh, into the studio for an interview. Yeah. So hopefully we'll hear that here. In uh, we we want to have them on the sh- on the show before Expo. So yes, yes. ideally it's going to be the January show. Yeah, so I would, I would hope so. We're going to try our best to have them in. Uh, let us get a little bit of a, a scoop as to what's going on. Thus far, uh, we do know that the 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 main the main panel will be uh mr david crane who of of activision activision fame fame, yes so so dude i'm gonna wear my pitfall t-shirt and uh hopefully uh hopefully get get a couple activision uh, activision game signs so that'd be awesome southern fried game room expo uh this is you know ever hopefully everyone out there listens to uh the, the game room junkies this is their show, and of course, in a, in association with a, f- a few other folks there in Atlanta, Georgia, June fifteenth, 
And uh, uh, what's the note here, Whitney? May need to begin talking about this. Oh, after New Year's. Well, yeah. we can start talking about it now. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, it's June. Yeah. June is June will be here before we know it. Yeah. I know it seems like it's a while out, but you know, if it, if you're wanting to come to the show, Whitney and I were at the show last year. It was an unbelievable show. Uh, Preston Patrick, Shannon, help me out here. Shannon, yeah, so Preston, Joel yeah, yeah. and. Help me, help me, help me. And Dana. Yeah. They did. And and if there's other folks, I'm sorry that had had deep involvement. I I apologize if I I didn't get your name out there. I think that's pretty much it. That's the core group. Yeah, it's the core group. They had an unbelievable show. Looking forward to going. For year one. Yeah, So, you know, guys, the only only way to go, only place to go from here is down. (laughs) But before it completely spirals down, (laughs) I I, I kid, I kid. Uh, You know, if you've got the opportunity to go to a show and you're you're out on this coast you're out on the out on the east coast and check it out you you check it out you know june we 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 say it's a little ways out and it is but you know if if you need that opportunity to plan to to put some money back to get time off from work uh really really consider it yeah and and so brent um we can be found on several social media outlets and um one of the one of the newer outlets that that we've been uh, accepted into is the throwback network and so uh, that's at www.throwbacknetwork.net, and it's great that uh, it's great that, that we're uh, working and commiserating with uh, all the different retro podcasts that are available on that network. And uh, that is that's run by uh, Rob O'Hara uh, from the You Don't Know Flack podcast. And so it's if you're looking for, like I say, like-minded content, that is a fantastic way to find a lot of cool, cool podcasts. Yeah, you, you go check it out. They're they're not. Uh, they're they're all retro, and I guess it m- might be safe to say, uh, techno retro. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's retro computing. Yeah. it's it's retro uh, memorabilia. It's not. Ret- yeah, it's just ret- not video and pinball. No, 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 it's not no, just it's, arcade. It's Star Wars and Star Trek, and it's just a home yeah, console. Home con- just all of it. Here, let me. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a quick. The rundown. greatest American hero. It's just. It's just all of the all of the cool stuff about the eighties is there. Ten pence. Ca- uh, they're carried by. Uh, they carry ten pence. They carry no quarter. Of course, they carry us. And, uh, you know, they've got the Antic podcast, which is uh, the Atari 8-bit podcast, got 2600 podcast, ColecoVision, uh, the Lock is Lits uh, is on there, um, 8-bit uh, Game and Magazine, uh, call, and the podcast name is Player Missile. There, they, there's a, uh, just a wealth of information and commentary that, that, that's carried on. Uh, on the network yeah it's 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 just all good stuff and 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 i think that uh i think that you could pick any one of those podcasts and not be disappointed i so. listened to several and actually I, i've been meaning to add more uh i've wanted to listen to antic but then i, I thought man i'm going to fall back into collecting atari again so <laughs> yeah uh, I, I gotta get this burger time done i know i know man and uh, and so brent we're also uh, available on the itunes store uh we appreciate uh, everyone leaving a review and rate the podcast it does help us to get noticed and increases our reach uh you know across uh you know across the hobby we're available on stitcher radio as well as xbox music and from the social media side of the house, Facebook at facebook.com slash broken token. Twitter with that, that at sign I have a hard time with. Yeah, that, at broken that, token. That newfangled at sign. I, yeah, that's all new and shiny. <laughs> yeah. 
And, go ahead, Winnie. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go, go ahead. And, of course, the website, yeah. www.brokentoken.com. Yeah, so, Brent, I think with that, we can uh, probably tie a, a very Christmas-themed bow on this episode and, and call it done. I It was it was a, it was a massive, massive undertaking to get, uh, you know, to get this in under, under eight and a half hours. So, I think we did it. <laughs> We just we need to stop putting a cap on ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. We yeah. just need to quit. We just need to quit. Yeah. Just, and it's going to be what it's going to be. Just let it roll and just let it be. But uh, no, we, we hope that everybody enjoyed the show uh, and and really gets uh, gets as much out of it as we had fun uh, putting into it. Uh, we covered a lot of ground, but dude, it was fun just to just to I, I guess just talk everything through. So I I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's amazing how much there is to cover in in a hobby that's based on equipment that's this old. It's 30 years old. Yeah. So with that, we'll say thank you, everybody, for listening. Merry Uh, Christmas. Merry Christmas and game on. Congratulations. You made it to the end of another episode of the Broken Token Podcast. I promise they'll do better next time. Maybe next episode, they'll actually listen to me for a change. Just go easy on the guys. They don't have a lot to work with, but I know their moms would be so proud. We want to hear your feedback, comments, rants, raves, and otherwise, both good and bad. Drop us a line via email at podcast at brokentoken.com. You can also call us at 470-2-CALL-BT. That's 470-222-5528. And leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, and we might play your message on air in the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broken Token and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Broken Token. Britt and Whitney are always posting content between the official episodes, and it's a great way to stay involved with the show between the shows. You can find our podcast on the iTunes store and on Stitcher Radio. Just search for Broken Token and subscribe to the show. Like what you hear? Please consider leaving us a review on the iTunes store and on our Stitcher Radio page, as the reviews help out the show. Please visit our website at brokentoken.com for articles, reviews, restoration logs, direct show downloads, and expanded show notes for this and every episode. Once again, thanks for listening. The Broken Token staff would like to extend a special thank you to the real vocal talent of the show, Christy Litzy. And that's me. Cha-ching! Music for the Broken Token podcast provided by Kentucky native bluegrass musician Gary Brewer. Please visit brewgrass.com. That's B-R-E-W-G-R-A-S-S dot com for the latest information, show dates, and to purchase music. All right, if you want to start it, go ahead. Are we, are we, are we ready to roll looking good? Yep. I don't know how good we're looking, but we're ready to roll. <laughs> awesome. All right, I'm going to kick it off. You ready? Yeah, go for it. All right, Whitney. So I want to kick off our technical and restoration section with uh, our set. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it because I'll restart it. Don't, I just don't qualify that. Oh, okay. kind of problem, right. You know? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, please tell me that was recorded. That was recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's awesome.